You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We are gathered here today to <laughs> bid farewell to our beloved franchise in more ways than one as we move on to Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. Um, and we are so glad it is not the last Star Wars and we have a chance to redeem it. This is, I don't know, in some ways whether this would be the one that we were dreading getting to, uh, this is our unfortunate climax, or if it's the whole reason we wanted to do Star Wars as a series in the first place, to just demonstrate all the problems that are with The Last Jedi. But we're going to talk so much about this, I don't know if we're just going to be rushing through it, like, oh, this part sucked, this part sucked. Uh, but as we kind of mentioned last week, there's going to be some good stuff that we want to defend in this, so it's going to be open minds here. This isn't just going to all be trashing The Last Jedi so we could be you know, also accused of being Russian bots that are um, <laughs> sabotaging the movie's reputation. Uh, but The Last Jedi is finally here at the end of our 10-movie recap of Star Wars. Largest project we've ever done. And we've got at least one or two more episodes to come on Star Wars. Let's get into it. My name is Colin Naked Leaking Bag. <laughs> and my name is Ben, and I'd rather not do this right now. <laughs> So appropriate. <laughs> and I also guarantee you that Colin Naked Leaking Bag would have gotten a better critical reaction, better fan reaction, I should say, than The Last Jedi. Because I almost want to jump straight to the critic thing on the end, because I feel like this is the weirdest thing about The Last Jedi, is that... I, okay, let's go back in time even further than that. Uh, we've covered lots of movies from the 90s when we were growing up. And critical reactions to those movies were generally always negative. It was like a guarantee. If there's a big blockbuster that costs more than $150,000 to make, critics were going to hate it. So nobody took critics seriously. It was always like, oh, critics didn't like this? Well, of course they're not going to like it. You know, it's a, it's a blockbuster. No critic was expected to like a superhero movie or a science fiction movie or anything. And something shifted, I think probably around the time of The Lord of the Rings, which was like, Maybe the first major blockbuster that got, like, not only great critical response, but, like, Oscar nominations and was considered a classic. And suddenly blockbusters, I don't think they changed any, but critics just maybe lightened up and started taking them, you know, less seriously. And we got to the point where every time a big blockbuster came out, it got good reviews. And... The Last Jedi just seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back, <laughs> where everybody was so confused. Like, not everybody, the media and critics were so confused as to why fans apparently didn't like this movie, that they blamed everything under the sun, except for accepting the fact that maybe fans didn't like this movie, because all the critics loved it. Uh, and this is finally our opportunity. We barely touched on this. You just listened to... Our Last Jedi spoiler-free review today mm-hmm. uh, that we did two years ago on the night this movie came out. And I don't even think we had the opportunity to address that because it hadn't really been a thing yet. But that's, for me, why I'm here for The Last Jedi is to go through critics. It is not, you know, just a bunch of angry fanboys. There are problems with this movie. We're going to talk about it all. Um, going back for history of the movie, we don't have much to talk about. <laughs> we were here... Running the Oz Network, when this movie came out, you heard us do preview episodes. We're going to cut a lot of this intro stuff in half here. Um, the movie came out, like all the other Star Wars movies, I got my tickets well ahead of time, was there for the first showing, saw it. 
I remember walking out of the theater being as positive as I could. <laughs> as I, I was with my regular crew, which was myself, Jamie, uh, my brother, and my four nephews, who this was their first Star Wars. Oh, no, they saw The Force Awakens with me and Rogue One. So anyways, <laughs> this is their first Star Wars series they got to see with me. And knowing, okay, there's some kids in here. They probably enjoyed it. My sister picking them up. She already had her tickets for a different day. She's like, oh, so how was it? And they're like, oh, that was okay. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this, I, I like some of it. I love Luke. Uh, Luke's my hero, whatever. But <laughs> I don't think anybody, including children, walked out of this movie thinking that was a great movie. And that was just my immediate reaction. And for more on that, feel free to download our Spoil Free Review to hear how kind of disappointed we were after this came out. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting to hear our reactions for it because I mentioned at the end of last episode watching this with Noah, not saying a word until we got in the car and kind of like, on the count of three, what's your reaction? And I remember <laughs> Noah's like, I didn't like it. And I was just kind of like, eh. you know, I, I just didn't know what to think. And even just, yeah, listening to that episode when I'm saying this is the first Star Wars movie I think I ever walked out of where I was just like, I don't know, like, eh, like... You walk out of Star Wars movie, you're like, fuck yeah, Star Wars. And this one, you're just kind of like, eh. and yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely gotten less over the years. I mean, I've only seen this movie. I saw it twice at the cinemas and once for this rewatch. I've only seen this three times. I can remember how many times I've seen this movie. And it, it just, it's one of these ones where all this stain sticks to it. And you, I, I went into this rewatch going like, I don't want to hate it. Like, surely it's not that bad. And then there are definitely moments where you're kind of like, oh, that's pretty cool. There's definitely a few moments you're like, wow, that's awesome. But then it's just, you just start questioning in your head. And this is the problem with this movie. It's that we talked about it with The Force Awakens, that if you really analyze it, there's a lot of holes in the plot. But mm. it's enjoyable around the edges and you can kind of forgive it. Whereas this, the questions take over more than the enjoyment. And that was the problem, I think, the first time we all saw this. Because yeah, it just it just had that. And I think, you know, we all remember the history of this. As you said, we did episodes in the lead up to this. We did trailer analysis. Listen to those trailer analysis. And we're also positive about it. Because <laughs> The Force Awakens left us a lot of questions that we were assuming we're going to build upon. And, yeah, there's a lot of issues in this movie about not answering questions. And I know we've addressed that. And we'll address it again in this episode. But it's just you you have that sense of, and I'm going to use the goddamn word again, hope that... <laughs> It just it just leaves you so just like bleh at the end of it. Um and it's really is this the first Star Wars movie that not just myself or you, but just any Star Wars fan. I think I think even the prequels didn't have that universal level of hate that this had. Like I don't we talked about that in the Phantom Menace, didn't we? Like people actually liked it at the time. Whereas mm -hmm. I feel this didn't ever have a chance after the reviews came out. So Ah, I, I said right now in my assessment and my history, I'm all over the place, just like this movie. It's just, it's just, you said at the beginning, how are we going to feel about when we got to this one? We definitely were dreading coming to this movie to really analyze it. And I think we have been for two years, but I think that the word of the, the year at the moment for Star Wars, and this is going to date ourselves and it comes to actually recording these, hence why we haven't mentioned this until now. But I think the one word that can sum this up is McClunky. It's a word we'd never heard before. We didn't know what it meant. We're still trying to work out what it meant. And that is pretty much The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, that, 
this is why I'm unsure. Like, how how quick is this episode going to go? Because (laughs) there are so many things to dissect in this movie that that do work and don't work. But kind of like the way you said that, you know, universally hated. Okay, a lot of that, let's be fair, is we're living in the internet age and the age of, you know, (laughs) fanboys just, you know, going insane on everything. that, That plays a part. But just like you, I try to like this movie. I saw it the first time. I wasn't completely negative. Um, I, I think, you know, there were things I found I liked it, but there was more that I found in this that I disliked or disagreed with than any other Star Wars movie. Uh, I don't want to dwell too much on the disagree because I feel like that's the bad part of the reputation is people say, you can't do this in Star Wars. And I almost get annoyed when people will defend this movie by saying, oh, people just don't like it because they did so many things differently. Mm -hmm. No, I'm okay with a lot of things. A lot of the things they did differently, I'm like, that's really clever. You want new things in Star Wars. It's the fact that they did new things in this movie that just don't make any sense. Agree. So you don't walk out of this feeling like, you know, oh, I can't believe they did that. That's not how the Force works, you know? You walked out of this going... That's not how anything works. Like, this isn't the way movies are made. And I I mentioned last week, I'll say it again, I don't put all the blame on Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson's a great director. I got so excited. I mean, the first bit of background we can get on this movie, I was super excited when Ryan Johnson was announced. Because I think we got his name announced before Episode 7 came out, like not long before Episode 7 came out. And at the time, you know... Nobody really knew who Ryan Johnson was, but I mean, if you had seen the movie Looper, which is a great science fiction movie he made, which is Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis playing the same character who time travel, essentially trying to kill each other, um, it's a great movie. And it, it was science fiction, and it was something original, and it was dark at times. It felt like everything you wanted. And I even saw another movie he made called The Brothers Bloom, which was just sort of a quirky comedy. And I'm like, okay, well, he can bring some humor to it as well. He, he just seemed like a right fit for Star Wars. Uh, so I didn't go into this, you know, expecting not to like it. And I really feel bad for Ryan Johnson that that ending we talked about last week that we love so much of the final shot is Ray standing before Luke meant Ryan Johnson had his hands tied so much he could not do what he really he didn't have a clean slate to work with. Every other Star Wars movie, they have these jumps. You have uh, Phantom Menace to Attack the Clones, 10 years. You have uh, Attack the Clones to Revenge of the Sith, three years. You have 20 years in between the trilogies. You got, you know, three years in between A New Hope and Empire. You have a year between Empire, a year and a half between Empire and Jedi. And he gets five minutes. Not even. He gets five seconds. He has to actually start his movie where J.J. Abrams' last scene is. So he goes, he gets minus 60 seconds as far as what he gets to develop. And I feel like that's where a lot of the problems with the movie come because the things that just don't work because they're boring and bland in this movie, it's hard to imagine what else they could have done. But yet I still love that ending in Force Awakens. So it's something I'm really torn on. Was that the right decision to make? Is there a better way to do it? I mean, the only hypothesis I can really come up with that that I think could have worked where you still maintain that that final shot of Luke is to have Rey going into hyperspace or just leaving the planet and then your final scene you get a nice wipe because we love the wipes in this these movies that we rarely get anymore and you get luke on the planet on the cliff same thing 
and he's got his eyes closed, so you know he's sensing something in the forest. And then he opens it, and he just has that same look on his face without anybody appearing there. Then you could say it takes her weeks to get to Luke, and you start the, the movie with her appearing before him. But you get to build something that isn't literally five minutes later. Yeah, I I completely agree. And look, I'm probably going to be more negative on Ryan Johnson than you are. I'm, I'm definitely one of these, um, you know, fans of Star Wars who is on the hater raid for Ryan. And the only thing I was familiar with him for, he directed a couple of episodes of Breaking Bad. And he arguably directed the most divisive episode of Breaking Bad, Fly, which... Look, it is very Last Jedi. Um, <laughs> it's very like, huh? What? What was this? Like, what's going on? Again, to go on your point, you can see they did something different with that. And I, I'm exactly the same with you. I, I'm not one of the people who is like, oh my god, this isn't Star Wars. Blah blah blah. With with some, there are definitely a few things that I'm very much like fuel and hyper about. They, they do break some rules mm. of Star Wars. I feel here, which is. It's not okay. When I say breaking the rules, I think we're going to agree that you're kind of destroying logic from the Star Wars yeah. series. That's what I mean. But I'm with you. Like, I don't hate this... And I don't want to say hate. I don't hate this film. I don't dislike aspects of this film for it being different because I think it is important to try a few new things and, and do things differently. It is... I, I 100% agree with you. Like, he had five minutes to work with uh, in terms of time. But there are definitely moments in this movie where you can't help but blame him for certain aspects of it. And it's just what JJ Abrams has to fix um, compared to, you know, where he was going, because did Ryan, is it true that Ryan Johnson basically saw the outline that JJ had written and kind of basically threw it out and was like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. Like, is that true? Mm, I don't think there's really any confirmation on that because the original plan was that, the previous director would stay on to kind of assist with the new one. J.J. Um, Abrams has said that, at least only in terms of the character Ray, they knew where they were going with the character of Ray. And now that we're getting some words that, I guess, J.J. Abrams saying that he is going to honor uh, Ryan Johnson's you know story in The Last Jedi, that I think maybe you know Ryan Johnson just sort of gets all the criticism for what was probably the plan all along. Uh, and maybe it just wasn't revealed in the right way. But I think that's as far as it goes. Um, because even though J. James is credited as an executive producer, I remember very little about him leading up to this movie. And even the time the movie came out, I don't remember it ever being a thing that he was involved in any way. And yet, I think that was the original plan. And maybe just as a, a way to keep the, you know, the, the directors happy that they, they, Lucasfilm now has a reputation of just, you know, uh, directors are expendable. Um, they decided, okay, let's just turn it over to just the one guy. Because when Ryan Johnson's hired, like before Force Awakens comes out, it was not just to write and direct episode eight. His contract was to write and direct episode eight and then to co-write episode nine. They specifically wanted the previous director to work with the next director. Now they had, I don't even think they had Colin Trevorrow at that point, but they knew they were getting a different director, but Ryan Johnson was supposed to be the guy that sort of, uh, mentored the next guy in the next movie. And we know that even by the time the last Jedi came out, they had already scrapped that. And 
Lucasfilm and Disney were very happy with Ryan Johnson. It was literally the only time I think a director had no conflict whatsoever. And it was just from the point that they came in and they were hired, they're like, we love your script, we're going to shoot it. No rewrites like J.J. Abrams had, no firings like Colin Trevorrow. They were 100% behind this guy. But yet still, they removed it from their plan of him being the mentor of the next movie. Uh, so I, I, I'm more and more believing that they had no plans from the beginning of what they were going to do post the first movie. And as they've gone on, it's just gotten less and less control as far as like consistency from one movie to the next. Do you feel in hindsight, and this might be a question to ask at the end, but I'm just going to ask it now. Do you think Colin Trevorrow could have done worse or better? Uh... I feel like he, well, I, I think the best time to answer that question will be after we see Jurassic Park 3, um, <laughs> or Jurassic World 3, because I think that he um, he proved he could do something really good with Jurassic World, he proves he could do something really bad with the Book of Henry, uh, and even though he's not the director of Fallen Kingdom, you know, it's still his story, and they took so many huge risks, very much like The Last Jedi, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom took so many huge risks to do things differently that it almost borderlined on stupidity at the t- you know, in the end. Um, and some directors can make mistakes like that and learn from their mistakes. I feel like if Colin Trevorrow had had an extra year between The Last Jedi and what now is Rise of Skywalker, I'm hoping he would have been one of those guys who's like, yeah, you know what, they went too far with the last one, so let's pull it back a bit. But having the two-year turnaround, I would think he'd have to have a completed script, and Fallen Kingdom and Book of Henry kind of show us that he he just, he just he thinks too big like Ryan Johnson. He's like, I'm going to do this because it's different and it's bold, but I don't care if it makes sense. It is interesting because, yeah, I'm glad we did the Book of Henry because you and I were just talking off air, and I honestly completely forgotten we had done that movie. But, um, you know, I've I've had that odd relationship with Jurassic World and we obviously did the recaps last year but I'm I'm still a lot higher up on Fallen Kingdom than you are but I mean I don't think you hate Fallen Kingdom you admit it's a dumb film but it's kind of an enjoyable mm-hmm. dumb film I think but like yeah, yeah I think exactly. that's a good point you make with Fallen Kingdom kind of is the the last Jedi of the Jurassic Park franchise and I can actually I'm really the opposite in Fallen Kingdom I actually love it more every time I watch it um and Right now, in 2019, I, I generally will always do a Jurassic Park rewatch every year. I actually haven't done one this year, so I'm planning on doing it like pretty much now. And I'm really looking forward to getting to Fallen Kingdom again because it's just one of these dumbass movies where it just logically is kind of so stupid. But at the end of the day, as I said during those ones, I'm just glad they actually did something different with it. Um, again, we're not here to talk about Jurassic World. We're obviously here to talk about Star Wars, but I think it's it's a great comparison and i think that is a good answer that once we see what happens with jurassic world 3 uh it's yeah and i look i we, i was, I was work, working this out the other day when like rank your favorite franchises and i always kind of debate between star wars and james bond but then i always forget about my beloved jurassic park and i'd have to lump that franchise all together even though there's only really one good film and the rest is kind of pale in comparison but <laughs> anyway uh we're not here to talk about jurassic world download those they're great we did them last year <laughs> Uh, we're just we're trying to avoid to talk about The Last Jedi, apparently. Uh, well, going back to something earlier about, you know, wanting to give this movie a chance. You said you saw this three times. I mean, I saw this four times in the theater, and I think it was all within a two-week period. That's normal for me with a Star Wars movie. I'll see it, and then a day later, I'll see it again. And then, you know, you got time off around Christmas now with these movies, so I'm like, I'm going to see it one more time. Each time I saw it, it was because I want to see if it gets better. Uh, and I think... My reaction improved each time 
that I saw it in the theater. Uh, maybe because I was like, I just, I want to know if this could have been better. And I would watch a movie thinking, okay, that actually works. It could have worked better like this, but it still works. And I got to the point where even though I only saw it four times, which is a record low for me for Star Wars. I mean, the previous record low was The Force Awakens, and I saw that seven times. Uh, so with this at four times, I was still happy with it because it was a Star Wars movie I wasn't happy with, and I saw it four times. It comes out on Blu-ray. Uh, I buy it first day, just like I always do. I get halfway into the movie, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to turn this off for now. Always intended to pick it back up again, and just couldn't bring myself to do it. And that was, I think, April of 2018. And I got around to finishing this movie in January of this past year. So it took me, what, nine months of having this thing, of owning the movie, to actually finish it all the way through. And this is the first time I've watched it since then. So as much as I really, I did want to like the movie, and I found myself watching it again and again to enjoy it more and to find more positives in it, I find myself, now that I'm removed from it, rewatching it and just just kind of getting bored by it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I, I completely understand and does make sense because yeah, as I mentioned, like I just I went into this wanting to like it and trying to go through that rage of moments that really piss you off. And there are definitely just boring moments. The whole freaking casino stuff. Um, oh, Rose. Oh. Like I really I feel bad this episode for being one of those people who are going to shit all over Rose. But I think people need to take things in context when it comes to dislike of a character versus the actor. Yeah. And that's what I really want to point out right now on this episode, because I went into this rewatch again, trying like, oh, don't hate on Rose. Like, come on. Like, that's what they all do. And, you know, poor Kelly Marie Tran has, like, had such a hard time of it. And, like, I don't want to be one of those people. But, like, I, I don't care who would have played this character. Like, this character is just, ugh, I, I will say right now, and the worst character in all of Star Wars to me is Rose, but I, it's like I don't dislike the actor. I do not dislike Kelly Marie Tran. I have nothing against her at all. But yeah, like on your topic, like you just you want to like things, and just so much crap happens. And then like the thing is, like when you think about what could have been, when when you watch the how it should have ended video, and they literally have an ending that would have been so epic in that and you just wish that could have been the thing because that then you would have been like fuck this movie had some shit parts but that ending holy crap but instead we get a kid with a fucking broom um (laughs) (laughs) it actually makes me nauseous thinking about that scene i don't know why are they is that kid on the cast list for rise of skywalker (laughs) i hope not god damn it (laughs) i want to say uh i'm not one of those rose haters I'm not like a Rose fan. I I feel like people go two ways. And yes, everybody is aware that like she took way more abuse than she should have. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine what it was like for poor Ahmed Best? Oh, I just watched (laughs) that video. Just quickly to actually, it's funny. We talked about that, um, him in the prequels. I finally got around to watching that. It's, 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 it's heartbreaking. It is so heartbreaking. If you haven't watched that, it's only a 10 minute video on YouTube, but yeah, God, you just feel terrible for him. And so I, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm with that way with Kelly Marie Tran too. As I said, like I don't, if you dislike a character, like it's not fair to dislike the actor because they're just working with a script. Bag the writers out. But 
in all fairness, this really is the type of abuse that it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody received. It's just she happened to be the unknown. If nobody had heard of Laura Dern before, Laura Dern would have taken the same heat in this movie. If nobody had heard, guaranteed, if nobody knew who Benicio del Toro was, he would have taken way more heat than she did. Mm-hmm. And I also guarantee that if there had been an internet in 1999, Jake Lloyd would have oh, God taken it much worse. And he's a child, okay? So people, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, you know, what your race is or anything like that, because a lot of people did make it into a race thing. I'm sure, you know, there are people who will make comments like that, but there is a long line of people who have taken abuse like this just because, you know, they didn't live up to what the beloved, you know, Star Wars fans have, you know, anticipated out of a movie. I gotta be honest, I don't love Rose. I don't mind rose I, I i found i enjoyed her more each time i saw this movie there's still just something i think it's her introduction really sours you if they had given her a different opening scene or just not included that scene in the movie i feel like a lot of people are okay with rose it's just it's like almost like one scene just ruins it because it actually is we'll get we'll get there but if it's it's contrary to everything else we see of the character. It's it's annoying because it's not even the same character we see in the very next scene. But Benicio del Toro, let's be honest, he is the single most annoying thing in this movie. It's just you know he's Benicio del Toro, so you give it a free pass. I still I to this day just get confused about what the purpose of him is. Is it just a case of hey, uh Ryan guess who we've got available, uh Benicio del Toro. Oh great, cool. What what are we gonna do with him? Mm. Dunno, make him yeah. stutter and be like a rat? I really oh. don't know. Um, like it's, it's kind of like, like you mentioned Laura Dern and we're, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about Holdo in this movie. Cause like, she's one of these characters I feel that, yeah, at the end of the day, she's, eh, but like, I think on paper, like there's so much more you could have done with her. And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's disappointing the execution of what you got, especially with someone as great as Laura Dern. And you know, I'm going to love Laura Dern. She's Ellie fucking Sattler. Of course mm-hmm. I'm going to love Laura Dern, but it's. Yeah, I, it's just such a waste of Benicio Del Toro. Like, I'm worried for poor Dominic Monaghan in, in Rise of Skywalker. Like, what are you going to do with my Charlie? Like, you know, like, come on. Well, I, I obviously we know we have the entire cast back from the first movie. I feel like they, they held on to too many characters. Uh, I don't think we... I, I love Hux. Um, I don't feel like we needed Hux and Phasma. I think you should have had one of those characters come back. Take your pick. I would prefer Hux because they did something with him the first time. Uh, we definitely did not need Maz again. Uh, I have a very uh, good case to make for what should have replaced that without having to change the script at all. Jaja. And Benicio Del Toro? No, not Jar Jar. Better. Um, and maybe they're going to give it to us eventually. But... Um, Benicio Del Toro, like, this was the other big cast. So after Ryan Johnson, the next big announcement is that Benicio Del Toro is coming in, and they say he's playing the villain. Now, nobody alive who has seen Benicio Del Toro in anything wasn't excited at that moment. And what we got was this. Like, and and you could tell by watching this movie that they signed Benicio Del Toro. Maybe they had a different character in mind, and they scrapped it. Or maybe they just said, we're signing Benicio Del Toro. We'll write a character for him later. And maybe they had something better, and Benicio Del Toro was kind of pulling a Marlon Brando saying, I'd rather play this with a stutter. And they're like, all right, you're Benicio Del Toro, do whatever you want. But it was such a big name to get, especially for a villain role. I wouldn't even call him a villain. Like, I don't know what to call him. He's he's comic relief more than anything, and it's just – it's a bizarre character. And then they're like, we're signing Laura Dern. Okay, we got another big name in there. And when you watch the movie, it feels like it's a character that they wrote in after casting Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is the case. That's just the way it feels. Rose is probably the only character that feels like she belongs in this story. 
and they did cast you know uh, an unknown actress um, I don't know the reason for that. I don't know if she gave a better audition, but like when you read the names of people, and again, not dumping on Kelly Marie Tran, I, I think she does quite well with what she's given here. Um, but the other actresses that they had potentially lined up for this movie, you know, th- there's one which I'll, I'll pinpoint in a second, which is would have been very exciting. Uh, but Gina Rodriguez, who's on the um, what's that TV show where she plays the woman who never had sex that gets pregnant. Uh, uh, Jamie it, uh, Jane it. the Virgin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jane the Virgin. So she's on Jane the Virgin now. She's kind of transitioned into doing more serious, dramatic, and action stuff. Um, and um, uh, Olivia Cook, who's uh, on the TV show Bates Motel, who this past year was in Ready Player or last year was in Ready Player One. She played the female lead in Ready Player One. Incredible actress, love her and everything. She would have been so good. You could put her in anything in this movie. I think it would have worked. And then Tatiana Maslany, who's now a Canadian icon for life from the TV show Orphan Black. I don't know if you ever saw it. Uh, it's probably the highest profile Canadian TV show of like this generation. Uh, science fiction show where she plays, I think it's five or six clones of herself, each with distinct personalities. It's an actress to do anything. And the funny thing is, when this movie was getting made, before they had filmed or before her name was even being dropped for this movie, I remember having a conversation with Noah because Noah was watching Orphan Black. And he was saying, it's like, yeah, this girl from Orphan Black, I don't know what it is, but I feel like she'd be really good in a Star Wars movie. And then it was like after this that it came out, well, she was up for the role of Rose or whatever, but lost out to Kelly Marie Tran. So the great names there, whether it's absolutely confirmed or not, I would love to see any of them in this movie. Um, nothing against Kelly Marie Tran, but I don't know. I feel like they, for all these new characters, to me, my perception is they hired an actor and wrote a character afterwards. I don't know if you have any take on that. Not really. The one thing I was just thinking of when you mentioned Laura Dern and one thing that I do appreciate about her and, and any style of actor who gets to be put in a big franchise, they, I think it's Variety do that series on YouTube where they sit down with an actor for about half an hour and they kind of go through each of their you know prominent roles. Yeah. And yeah, so there's a Laura Dern one and she talks about Star Wars, about how it was such a big deal for her and then she talks about day one on set and she's kind of surrounded. She sees C-3PO. She sees, like, all these things. And she just broke down and cried. Broke down and crying because she mm. just said this was, like, the greatest moment of her life. And I always appreciate that from actors and actresses when they are that invested in it. Like, we talked a lot about that on 007. Download now via iTunes. Where, you know, we appreciated, you know, Pierce Brosnan and, and Roger Moore. People who, I guess, didn't shun the fact that they played James Bond. They, they're proud of it. Mm. And, yeah, I like that about Laura Dern. So, um... Yeah, I, I definitely on that note feel bad for Kelly Marie Tran because I, I don't know how... I don't think she is active at all in the fan community now, is she, after all the backlash, which is mm-hmm. which is sad. I've never seen anything about Benicio Del Toro talk about Star Wars. Um, so yeah, he probably doesn't even remember he did it. He's like, oh, was I in Star yeah. Wars, was I? Uh, I'm my Oscars, the Del Toro family. Um, but do you think they just sit around with their Oscars? And like, look at um, all the I'm Oscars sure I've Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Penelope Cruz is in there as well. Jesus. Um, what a family. Um, but anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, I just saw the word Oscar's Isaac. Oscar's Isaac. That's two words. Uh, what a beautiful face. Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, that reminds me when you were talking about you and Noah saying, okay, let's not say anything to get to the car. And it's like, all right, on the count of three, it's like, uh, I didn't like it, but Paul Dameron's beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is like, Longo. Yeah, Longo. <laughs> um, 
I just kind of speeding because we're going to cut a lot of this, you know, stuff with the trailers and all that because you can go back and listen to our original episodes. Uh, as the movie sort of started to come together, we had two original cast members sort of stepping down, Kenny Baker and Peter Mayhew. Uh, so now we have the new R2-D2, Jimmy V, and uh, can we ever pronounce this man's name? Jonas Suotamo. Jonas Suotamo. I'm the wrong person to ask about pronunciation. Yeah. Uh, good old Junis, uh, replacing Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca. And, um, I mean, that, that's kind of a big deal that they had, you know, these original actors stepping down. I feel it's seamless, especially with R2. I hardly noticed it was a different guy in there. Oh, uh, don't you love yeah. that movie? Performance you is know, a little bit off. An actor dies, and usually there's just floods of support for them. Kenny Baker dies, and Anthony Daniels is finally like, I'm free. I can finally tell everybody what a terrible person he was. <laughs> and now all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, did you hear this Kenny Baker guy was a real dick? <laughs> <laughs> I love like explaining that to Mallory. Like, I don't think Mallory actually realized that there was a real person inside R2-D2. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much it for the cast, other than the fact that a very important person dies before this movie comes out, Poor a Kenny. year before it comes out. Oh, wait, no, um, no. Did you say Kelly Marie Tran? No, I said Kenny. I said poor Kenny Baker, but then I realized okay. you're talking about the other one. <laughs> no, uh, well, because I think Kenny Baker died after this. But um, no, 2016, Carrie died Fisher. halfway through, I think. So, mm. Well, Carrie Fisher had, I guess, just finished filming. You know, they, they probably wrapped this in, like, what was it, maybe a month later? It was December of 2016 where she died. Mm. Uh, and that was... I think I've never been more caught off guard by the impact of a celebrity dying. Uh, it's not often like I, I'm very attached to movies and TV shows, but I'm not as much as I love a lot of actors. I don't really get emotional if they die. Like my favorite actor alive is Christian Bale. If Christian Bale died tomorrow, I'd be disappointed. I'd be sad. I don't think I'd really feel sad and like like terrible about it and i really did feel that with princess leia or with carrie fisher because princess leia was is still to me the greatest female action star of all time the greatest female character of all my favorite female character of all time and star wars being my favorite series of all time and because i'm such a big star wars fan you know uh you know i figured okay well this is just me and i don't know if i i can think of any other celebrity that's died probably in the last decade that there was as much outpouring of like people's love for as after Carrie Fisher passed. And I mean, they really did, you know, I think treat her with respect. We get like the, the final credit, the tribute to our princess or whatever, Carrie Fisher, uh, you know, they, they left her role untouched until we get to the rise of Skywalker. You know, they said at the time this came out, uh, that they're not going to, you know, tinker with it in any way, but we, we get a final performance Ryan Johnson was like apparently very tight with her, like of all the you know people she worked with, all the directors, like he was super tight with Carrie Fisher. You know, all the actors were were just gushing over her. And uh, do you remember hearing about that? Because I actually remember it's it's not often in my entire life where like a celebrity dies, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. Like I feel like I got to go home from work. Like <laughs> I'm grieving here. And I think it was like. Jamie had sent me a text message and it was just like a sad face. She goes, I'm so sorry, Colin. Like, even Jamie knew it's like, okay, Colin doesn't, mm. I'm not cold or heartless. It's not that I don't well. care. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, if a person dies, I'm like, oh, that's sad. I like their movies. Let me watch one of them tonight. With Carrie Fisher, it was actually like, I'm so sorry, Colin. It was as if, like, my, my, you know, 
parent or my <laughs> my my grandparent died or something and that really was kind of the way it hit me too um but it was just everybody and i i don't know i can't think of any other time do you do you remember when this happened and what was sort of uh your what were your thoughts even on how this would affect the movie because I sort of thought if there were any scenes that were ever going to be cut of hers, they're going to be included in the movie now. Like they're not cutting anything. They're going to give us everything we have. I definitely remember because it was around Christmas and because she'd had a heart attack first, hadn't she? So it kind of, mm-hmm. it, she'd been reported as I was on a plane, I believe. And then kind of a couple of days later, they announced that she died. And then her mum was it Debbie Reynolds died basically the day after. Yeah. Um, which funnily enough, the only thing I knew Debbie Reynolds for, I realized that she's obviously an icon of the screen and I don't really watch old movies, but I, I knew her as, uh, Grace's mum on Will and Grace. So I was like, oh, I like Grace's mum. Um, yeah, I definitely remember it. I definitely remember feeling very sad. Um, you know, I, not quite on that high level as you, but like, absolutely, you know, Star Wars was part of my life and it is very sad because she, she was just too young, too young to, to pass. And that really added, I mean, 2016 was a dog of a year. Uh, when it came to losing, yeah. you know, we lost Bowie, we, we lost Alan Rickman, uh, Prince, Carrie Fisher. My mum died in 2016 too. So, like, it was a very bad year for, you know, so many levels. I, I would say the only one this decade, at least. Personally, for me, it was Michael Jackson. Uh, like, you mentioned about, you know, getting messages. I got I got messages from friends, like, wishing their condolences to me. And, again, it's kind of weird <laughs> when it's like, you know, that happens. Um, and I think the only other person that would be for me would be Michael Schumacher. And, obviously... He's kind of very much in a vegetated state, so it's kind of one of these things you kind of expect to happen one day. But when he had his accident, people were messaging me and you know wishing their condolences. So the only other one I would say, though, in the um, the last decade that would have matched this would have been Robin Williams because I think that was one that nobody really expected that because like Robin Williams was incredibly beloved. So um, mm-hmm. I remember that one like ringing my mum at the time, going, "Holy fuck! Like, did you hear Robin Williams is dead?" And she's like, "What? No, like, don't don't be silly." And it was kind of like you know it hit you, but. I don't, I don't really think at the time when she died, it was, you know, it wasn't straight away like, holy crap, she's going to be in another movie. What's going to happen here? I think kind of as it got closer and closer, you had to think about it, particularly when they kept going on about how this isn't going to affect the movie. And we'd obviously just seen Rogue One. And so, like, what's the automatic thing you're going to think of, right? Like, oh, they're going to digitize her face and all that sort of stuff. So, there are definitely moments in this movie that I feel we will talk about where it would have been a perfect conclusion to her character. Um, mm-hmm. which particularly one involving Mary Poppins, but um, <laughs> I I think there's arguments for and against what they could have done with her in this. But it's I think the more one that I'm more intrigued in is for the Rise of Skywalker, just because yeah. at least she'd filmed this, whereas they're what using old scenes in the next one. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm kind of like, well, what are they going to do there? But um, yeah, it's it's ridiculously sad. I I feel. You know, and I'm not trying to do this to kill any of the other two because we did this with Roger Moore and we're still sorry, Roger Moore's family. But, like, I think it was always going to be a case whenever we lost Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, there would just be this level of outburn. And I, not to disrespect Carrie Fisher, but I would assume Harrison Ford would be even bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And not to take away from Mark Hamill either, but, you know, like, Harrison Ford's obviously been not just in Star Wars. Anyway... It was very well, sad. I don't, so, yeah. I don't know if it would be. Like, I think the reason I kind of brought up, like, how big the reaction was to this is because of how unexpected it was. Because if you go back even before The Force Awakens, like, when they first started announcing, oh, yeah, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher are coming back, that was, like, the first time anybody mentioned Carrie Fisher's name in 20 years. Uh, and I think because The Force Awakens and this brought her back into the public eye and brought her out of acting. I mean, we, we mentioned last week that like she was mortified 
making The Force Awakens because she's like, I literally forgot how to act. And J.J. Abrams had to pay so much, you know, one-on-one attention to me because I couldn't act anymore. I think because fans kind of grew up with her and then suddenly got her back. It was like taking – whereas I feel like with Harrison Ford, it's like, you know, we've we've had him for so long – Maybe people just got like Carrie Fisher's just now getting back into things. I I feel like it would be the same with Mark Hamill, but I do get what you mean. Like Harrison Ford would be, you know, he is the biggest movie star of all time. I don't think there's any question about that. There's nobody bigger. Uh, but we we've talked enough death here. Um. <laughs> so we're just start between now and next week. If all these characters have just like died in the way to the Rise of Skywalker premiere or something like that, like we're sorry. Yeah, and you know what? We we promise we will leave this episode unaltered so that we could <laughs> while we're in jail. Clearly, when they've all died, yeah, crash exactly. the first suspects because we're the ones. Who are, oh, lol, what if they all died in a fiery car wreck? Colin, quick, get the plans going. <laughs> All right, well, let's start this thing off. Oh, for fuck's sake. I, I love I'm going to go. Oh, sorry, I'm busy. Yeah, I've something. Oh, yeah. Enjoy. Yeah, well, I, I, I've decided to get out of the podcasting business, so. Yeah. No, I've, I've right, found, we gave I've you the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find a Lord of the Rings rewatches if we're going to catch up in the next five years before the next one comes out, right? <laughs> um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars! No Foxing. No de- 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 yeah, Will no they put Fox. that back in now that Disney owned Fox? Can they put that back in now? Ah, uh, would they? I doubt it. They should. Come on. Yeah. We're going to do it. We're going to re-edit this. I'm sure <laughs> Forget about I'm sure someone has. <laughs> Forget about McClunky. We are <laughs> giving our own re-edit update of the Star Wars Disney films with the 20th Century Fox. I, I want the 20th Century Fox to be like, McClunky, McClunky, Baby Yoda, McClunky, Baby Yoda, McClunky, Baby Yoda. There we go. We got our crawl. Yes. Star You're Wars! This, crawl. <laughs> is this the most pointless crawl in all of Star Wars? Sorry to interrupt you, I but mean, come on. It is, because we mentioned... Well, again, what are they going to do? <laughs> it's been five minutes! So, well, let's, we'll try to rewrite this in a second. The Last Jedi, the First Order, reigns. <laughs> and do they reign? They just got beaten down by a you know, couple of I ships. <laughs> and a girl who's never been trained to use the Force, they reign? <laughs> this, is, this is like... The Toronto Maple Leafs have choked again, but they're gonna win <laughs> the next year. They've been saying that the for Maple Leafs reign. <laughs> I'm just gonna tag that on to any anybody who's just completely failed at life. They reign from now on. Yes. <laughs> uh, having decimated the peaceful Republic, how do we know they're peaceful? First of all, they didn't have an army, but the Republic was funding the Resistance, which is a terrorist organization still. And again, they um, just lost five minutes because they lost their biggest asset. Like, this is like... Yes! I, like, I don't know. Like, what? Could you, who's the Toronto Maple Leafs' number one player? I don't know. Um, Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews dies tomorrow, <laughs> and the Maple Leafs come out like, Oh, we're still the favourites to win the Stanley Cup. Yes! Maple Leafs ready! <laughs> lost their big thing that was the reason why like this is just um calm down calm down man see there we go we're, we're getting look at that we've already got complaints that we're not even done the first sentence of the opening crawl breathe, the second breathe um, force spin baby yoda baby yoda baby yoda baby yoda having decimated the peaceful republic supreme leader snoke now deploys his merciless legions to seize military control of the galaxy <laughs> which <What is> this? <laughs> 
merciless legions. First of all, weren't all of his troops already at Starkiller base? <laughs> He's deploying them from where? <laughs> the other one that they to don't know where? about. <laughs> Well, let's get on to more people that we don't know about. Only General Leo Organa's band of resistance fighters, which again are coming from where? There were three ships left at the end of the last movie. Stand against the rising tyranny, certain that Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark. There's our new hope. It's spark of hope to the fight. Stunning. But the resistance, the resistance has been exposed. Well, they just blew up. They should have won. It worked for a minute. New hope and freaking return. Sorry, sorry. Calm down. I'm going to take a breath. They're also not exposed. The entire battle was basically, they knew where they were already. <laughs> As the First Order speeds towards the rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. <laughs> now, yes, this is five minutes. From the last movie, and they have literally told us everything that happened in the last five minutes. Like, well, I just want, I want a Disney movie to surprise me. Like, you know, the, the Phantom Menace, maybe we didn't know, we knew more about the prequel movies going into the prequels. And yet, every time you watch those opening crawls, you were surprised by something. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the Phantom Menace, they're you know, two Jedi Knights, you know, to, to resolve this, this conflict or whatever. Attack of the Clones. You know, Senator Amidala is returning to vote on the creation of an army of the Republic. And then we get, you know, the kidnapping of Chancellor. All these are big Whoa. reveals. The, the <laughs> stunning move. Um, but this is just, it's, I feel bad for Ryan Johnson, but at the same time, like, don't, they are really, really putting their best foot forward here. But there are way, there's way too much excitement if that would be the way to, mm. uh, you know, it's overselling. They could simply do like Return of the Jedi, one of the blandest opening crawls ever. You know, it's recapping the end of the last movie. Nothing new really good. A new Death Star, but they're not using these words like deploying their merciless legions <laughs> and the 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 rising tyranny. Like you are trying to get us so excited about the fact that nothing has happened in the last five minutes. I think you should have it like you know uh, the first order reigns having decimated blah blah blah. Meanwhile, sand is still coarse and rough <laughs> and irritating and gets everywhere. But I, the, the, all, all jokes aside, I think that like absolutely agree. You're backed into a corner. This is happening five minutes afterwards. But one of my biggest things with this movie is that I think the issue is is that the the First Order are chasing the Resistance. Okay, they've just blown up their planet, but the whole point of this movie, have the First Order on the back foot. Have the Resistance in yeah. control and, like, have it roles reversed here. Like, the, the Resistance have won. They're just finishing off the final few people, so they're trying to, you know, chase them off and things like that. Like, that is where you could fix this movie because... You know, we talk so much about this with Kylo Ren in, in uh, Force Awakens that what makes it great is that he's kind of resisting turning to the light side. Like, it's kind of new <laughs> and a unique take on it. Like, flip it on flip it on its head because, you know, this just turns into the Empire Strikes Back where it's just them just trying to destroy the rebel base at the beginning and on Hoth. Like, it's... Oh, like, that, that's one thing you could have easily done and made this movie better. And yet the better plot is in that opening crawl when they're saying they need to stop them from seizing military control of the galaxy. You have it be a race, the First Order. And and there's, like, one line that's thrown away that I didn't even catch until this last time I watched it where they're talking about, you know, within a few weeks, race says, I think, to Luke, within a few weeks, the First Order will control, you know, the majority of the major systems. 
Well, that's wow. what this would be about. If you literally have a government collapse, you have these two rival factions trying to get to, okay, we got to snatch this system up. Let's let's send our ships here. Make it where they're both like, okay, we got to get here first. So the First Order is going to try to seize control because they're like, there's no Republic anymore. And then the rebels are like, we're going to stop you from doing that. Make the chase the other way, just like you said. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. But no. Um, <laughs> instead, we get them running out of gas for two hours, two and a half. Longest Star Wars movie in history. Uh, I'm going to breeze through a lot of this opening stuff here because it's just sir. it's a very quick. It's a very quick battle, but uh, let's start out with all the questions. So we have a really cool opening shot. I'm going to put this up there as one of the uh, – maybe A New Hope, uh, Revenge of the Sith, and then this is like my favorite opening shots in a Star Wars movie where they're just kind of zooming in past all – like it's like you're going through all these ships that I'm flying side to side. It's it's really cool. This, you know, transports or whatever it is that's fleeing the planet, First Order's arriving – it's just the opening of the Battle of Hoth all over again. They're trying to escape. Um, my, my biggest questions here, uh, let's just say, first of all, all these ships that are leaving, all these resistance ships, where were they when they needed to blow up Starkiller Base? Because I thought they literally sent everybody they had to blow up Starkiller Base that was about to destroy the entire galaxy. And they're like, let's hold about uh, 20% of our ships in reserve. No, <laughs> come on. Like... They shouldn't have anybody here left to fight. And yet, the people who do survive, like Greg Grunberg, <laughs> he's not even here. Where did he go in the last five minutes? Yep. It, it doesn't make any sense. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> and well. yet, he's one of the only guys who survives the last one. Rip, Greg. Um, what I do like is, you know, the arrival of Hux. And I like the... They go a little bit too far, but I like some of the humor in this opening battle stuff here. So, we have... Uh, Hux arriving, and we have a new character who is really fun that they do absolutely nothing with, this Captain Kennedy, this, you know, grumpy old man with jowls, <laughs> uh, in charge of this dreadnought or whatever. Uh, but, uh, as they're about to crush the resistance or whatever it is Hux wants to do, crush the rebel scum, we have a single light freighter approaching them. And right here, I just wanted Hux to go, good, our first catch of the day. <laughs> <laughs> the first combat is away. Yay! <laughs> but we don't get that. What, one uh, ship against a Star Destroyer? <laughs> a single life freighter against a Star Destroyer? <laughs> uh, but what we do get is this really fun conversation. Now, every time Ryan Johnson does something that's really good, he ruins it. So this conversation is essentially the only ship that is standing against the entire First Order fleet here is Poe Dameron, MBB-8. What a beautiful and, face. And Poe's is okay, and what? too. I said, what a beautiful face, and Poe's is okay, too, but it was a bad oh, yeah. joke. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, BB-8's beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, this conversation he has where he's essentially stalling for time, where he goes, uh, you know, Hux is giving his massive, elaborate, elaborate speech, everything we loved about him in the first movie. You know, it's like, I am going to crush the entire resistance with one swift stroke. <laughs> and uh, then you get Poe Dameron on the line. He's like, hi, I'm uh, holding for General Hux. He's like, yes, this is General Hux. You are doomed. You and all your rebel scum. 
Uh, yeah, okay, I'm holding for General Hux. Uh, then he keeps saying, I'm here, I'm here. Can you hear me? And he's turning the other guy. It really is hilarious. Does it belong in a Star Wars movie? I think it's fine. As far as the opening, you know, the darker Star Wars movies, Revenge of the Sith, Empire Strikes Back, the first acts always have a ton of comedy in them. Uh, some of his stuff is great. Can you hear me? He can. <laughs> Donald Gleason is a brilliant comic actor. Uh, I really want to see him more. Uh, and then at the end, he's like, all right, uh, Hux, he's like, what do you say? Something like, a uh, uh, skinny guy, pasty. <laughs> and then as he's stalling for time, you get that one guy saying, I believe he's tooling you, sir. <laughs> they dropped the word tool in Star Wars. They're going to use woke in Rise of Skywalker, aren't they? <laughs> but then we have to ruin it all by Poe oh. Dameron saying, uh, all right, so, uh, just if you run into Hux, tell him that I've got a message from him. It's about his mother. What was that? It's it's for his mother. Or it's about his mother. Basically, a mama it's joke. It's a mum joke in Star Wars. <laughs> Why did you have to ruin it? It was a really funny scene. Like I was even still now. I'm watching this thing. This is really good. I like this. And then you throw a mama joke in there. Like your mama. What's worse, Come the on. jinx your mama joke or the the poet your mama joke? Uh, uh, still the jinx, sorry. <laughs> Die another day. Is, this is not me purely just doing it because it's Die Another Day. The thing that I like about the jinx one is the fact that, like, she follows it up with the, yo, mama. And she told me to say that she's really disappointed in you. Like, I just love the little follow-up. But she just left it at, yo, mama. You're like, oh, my God. But, like, just the fact she throws it. This one now, it's just, Star Wars has used a yo, mama joke. Like, come on. And plus, yo, mama jokes aren't even cool. It's 2017 when this movie came out. Yo, mama jokes died out in the 1990s of double denim. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, it doesn't belong in either movie. Uh, so basically, he's stalling here. He, you know, goes to battle with this Star Destroyer. He puts some super turbo boost thing on, which nobody's ever had before. Uh, gets in underneath their shields, just starts blowing up the cannons. They realize this is what he's doing. Uh, you get some really cool flying effects in here. Like, I love that. Both this and The Force Awakens, they didn't go so far as to, you know, make it look all CGI. Like, they follow the same type of laws of physics of how models will move sometimes so that it looks like something that would still have been filmed, you know, with a camera. But they make enough little adjustments here and, like, pose flying scenes where you're like, whoa, that's cool. Like, I like the way that that moves. Uh, But as he's stalling here, we get the, the transports leaving. And then you get Poe Dameron going into business for himself, uh, as she's basically the last, Leia saying, the last transport's away. Poe, let's leave. No, we have a chance to take out a dreadnought. I'm gonna disobey your command. I want him to just shut off and go, boring conversation anyway. <laughs> of course, we don't get <laughs> Everything's fine. Callback. Situation normal. How, how are you? <laughs> um, so he decides he wants to go one-on-one. He starts giving the orders to these bombers. Where were these bombers when they needed them on Starkiller Base? Yep. This is a lot of firepower. Uh, and they're just using this to take out the Dreadnought. Now, I've got a whole bunch of issues with him just disobeying the command here that not, oh, well, that doesn't make sense. It literally does not make sense, and I'll explain <laughs> later. But how are he, how, how is he able to give these commands, and Leia's not, I don't understand. Uh, but then we get a really great moment, and at any time, C- yeah, C-3PO is wasted in these movies, but any time he's on screen, Anthony Daniels makes it work. When Leia looks at him and says, wipe that nervous look off your face, 3PO. Uh, I and he's that. like, oh, I will certainly try. And then he goes, nervous? <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> everything 3PO does is gold. So... 
uh, Poe's ship is flying through the battle, and then there's something on fire <laughs> down below. <laughs> so BB-8, fix our problem. So BB-8 keeps trying to plug these holes, and sparks just shoot out somewhere else. It just turns into like a Three Stooges skit. And then again, something that was working that was kind of funny, which was a droid having to plug these holes. You know, similar to some of the stuff R2-D2 was doing in Revenge of the Sith, uh, where it's like, okay, it's kind of funny, but it's not going too far. Then they go too far. So what does he do? He just headbutts the thing and spins his head around. It's just a Mr. Bean skit or a Three Stooges thing. It just doesn't belong in Star Wars. This is where I started to hate BB-8 after really liking BB-8 in the last movie. Uh, on one of these bombers uh, is Rose's sister, who's the pilot, I believe. And everybody's dead during the, the space battle here. So she's the only one left, but they have to release these bombs. You know, release the bombs now, release the bombs now. So what does she do? She goes back herself. I, I like the idea of seeing inside, uh, you know, a ship to see how it works. Like, I remember George Lucas did that in Revenge of the Sith. We didn't even mention it. But when the uh, the battle over Coruscant was happening, we had them loading what looked like canisters for these giant blasts mm-hmm. coming out of the Star mm-hmm. Destroyers. Yep. And it was like you know having to load a cannon. I liked seeing that. So seeing the bomber is a cool thing. But the, again, the way this is handled, this is where Ryan Johnson just did something just filmmaking-wise that just – it didn't look like anything that belonged to Star Wars. It doesn't look like anything belongs in any movie. Because as she's trying to release these bombs, she falls onto a platform. A, we're getting way too much screen time for a character we have no idea who it is. And then we get this ridiculous slow-motion shot of the detonator. Why is it all operating on one detonator, I don't understand, too? Uh, Falling through the air, going at least 20 feet below her, cut to another slow-motion shot of her miraculously snatching it out of the air. It just looks terrible. It's It's bad filmmaking. It's bad editing. And it is not Star Wars in any way. I don't think we ever have seen slow motion in Star Wars outside of like a fantasy sequence. And it stood out to me because when you watch these movies enough, when there's this many of these movies and nobody uses slow motion, it looks awkward. So she releases the bombs. They take out the dreadnought, but she dies in the process. So they have to go in for a slow zoom in shot of her holding a Chapur snippet or something. (laughs) 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 Totally a Chapur snippet. Um. And uh, that's it. The end of the battle. They all get away. Um, so talking a little bit about the Poe thing here. Uh, my issue with this is... What's the best way to explain this? Uh, okay, so when you're in, when you're in a military, right? In, in, in a military situation, you know, you have the higher-ups, then you got the regular everyday soldiers, can you think of any military movie? Let's just create our own military story here. We're going to create a generic army, military, navy story, whatever it is. You have a character who says, no, don't worry about the lives of my men. We need to accomplish the mission. That's going to be like some type of bureaucrat somewhere. Or that's going to be the general on the ship hiding in safety. That's going to be the guy calling the shots. That's not going to be the front line guy on the battlefield. And he is the guy leading this charge, it does not make any sense for his character to say, no, let's take out this dreadnought. It doesn't matter because he has this conversation with Leia where she slaps him, which, by the way, I would love to see what HR did with that. <laughs> he's <laughs> an email away a second later saying, I was slapped by my superior. Uh, I want action taken immediately. Colin, <laughs> They're called Colin. into a meeting. It's like, Colin, it's okay. A woman slapped a man. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Women slap me at work all the time. I don't complain. Yeah. Um, it's what's 2019, your it's, it's, you know, it's fine. It's all good. 
Uh, but she's so upset with him and she brings up the point of like, you know, uh, you know, we lost people or whatever and he doesn't care. This doesn't fit his character. His story arc of a soldier who doesn't get what you need to do to lead or that, or that you, you have to sometimes weigh the pros and cons. Sometimes you need to run. They should have made this a story arc about sometimes you need to run and not stay and fight. Whereas instead, because it's being told from Poe's point of view of, we need to kill the First Order, it's ignoring the fact that this guy who's on the front lines wants to sacrifice the lives of everybody. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make his character look smart. It doesn't make sense for the character in his story. This should have been some... This should have been a Haldol thing. You want to have Haldo in a movie, have Haldo the one saying, you know what, we need to uh, win this battle, so go take out the Dreadnought. And he's like, but we're losing all of our men. Like, that makes more sense. Anyways, complain. I'm sure it'll come up again. He just basically committed genocide to the Republic. He killed everybody they have to take out one dreadnought. Well, no, uh, no where BB-8 gets it from in this movie when BB-8 <laughs> just goes on a murderous rampage for no reason. <laughs> um, but back on Hux's ship as they get away, uh, we get the nervous look from Hux, and then we get uh, the Supreme Chancellor. <laughs> what is he called? Supreme Admiral? What is he? I've forgotten about him already. Who is he? Who cares? He, he's dead soon. Supreme Leader Snoke wants you to report to him immediately. And then you get him looking like, excellent! I'll be in my chambers. <laughs> just, his <laughs> delivery is so funny. And then you get the hologram of Snoke there as a General Hux, and he's like, oh. And then we get a force power that makes no sense at all. Now, this is an example of, it's not about you did something different from what I grew up loving in Star Wars. This isn't just, that's not how the force works. This is the Force is stupid if that's how it works. Because we've been led to believe that the Emperor, the most powerful person ever, the most he could do is, like, choke... Vader can choke a guy. Kylo Ren can stop a blaster bolt. Snoke, who's not even present probably in the solar system, and if he is, he's, like, kilometers, hundreds of thousands of kilometers away, even if he's within visible range, he can, through a hologram, throw this man around the room like it's a cartoon? Like, this is like a Tom and Jerry thing. They've got him doing flips in the air and spinning around on the floor. Like, do a force choke. Even go a little further. If you want to really show how dangerous Snoke is, have him go a little bit further and have him actually be able to throw, you know, um, Hux to the ground. But don't have, like, don't make it go so far where he's, like, flying circles in the air. Just hate it. Uh, but... Still, where he has that line, you know, I have him tied on the end of a string. Uh, I think that plays great because he's being presented now as, like, the dopey character who's just a, a complete buffoon. And you laugh at it, but then it's going to come up later and it's going to be great. Um, but, uh, yeah, before we even got to the uh, the Leia conversation as I was uh, proceeding there, uh, we get um, Poe landing on the ship and being all excited. And then he's talking to BB-8 and he's like, what Finn naked leaking bag? Because Finn has woken up. Oh boy, <laughs> he was unconscious during these five minutes. So we're supposed to believe, oh, he's been out forever. Uh, and I love the the way these two embrace. Like I get the whole you know <laughs> gay subtext they have with <laughs> Bo and Finn here. Uh, but then you have to remember it has been five minutes. Like <laughs> it's not been that long since he's seen this man. Uh, but he's like, I know you must have a million questions. It's been five minutes. <laughs> Yep. What do you have to update on? And he goes, just says, sliced in the back, and he's fine. Like that, that water yeah, tank must be fantastic. 
it's a scrape. You'll live, okay? <laughs> it's just overselling the drama because, again, I don't blame Ryan Johnson. He had to do something to make the audience feel like there were stakes here because we left the last movie with no stakes other than the fact that Finn was taking a nap. That's it. Uh, and But he, he's awake here and he's naked leaking bag because uh, Bo can speak BB-8, which also we should mention we did get the line. Uh, I have a bad feeling uh. about this. You want that later because I know you have a rant. Uh. Uh, but after he says you have a million questions about the last five minutes, <laughs> he just says one thing. Where is Ray? We cut to Ray. The same scene we saw at the end of The Force Awakens, walking up the steps, finding Luke. Luke oh. turning around, seeing her, her, handing the lightsaber over. And then you get the big surprise, which got a huge laugh yeah. of Luke just grabbing the saber and throwing it off the cliff. Uh, I hear you groaning, but... This I don't mind. I, I I felt like it caught me off guard. I'm like, that's not what I expected. Um, I feel like there's a better way to play the Luke arc of this than just being like, Ugh, go away, which he actually says the words go away coming up here. Uh, but uh, throws it off the cliff. We see the porks trying to turn our first clips of the porks. Yes. <laughs> Horse is stepping on this thing. Like, there's just all these teases about poor, poor carnage. And we do get one moment of it, which is just the best moment of the movie. Uh, but I'm just going to kind of group in some of the Ray stuff here because it's, it's basically it, the scenes come up later on, but we'll just talk about this introduction now because otherwise, all we have to talk about is just a space battle. Um, <laughs> so. Ray eventually follows him, shocked why he's throwing this away. She says, you know, I've been sent by the Resistance. Your sister Leia sent me. You know, we need your help to stop the First Order. And this is where she says that line, which would have made a great plot for the movie. If we don't stop the First Order now, they're going to seize control of all the systems or whatever within two weeks. Uh, and Luke's just basically saying, you know, go away. <laughs> I love it. It's just sulking. Uh, but then we get... Uh, <laughs> One of the great moments here where he's locked himself in a room, <laughs> locked himself in this hut or whatever that has a steel door. And as she's knocking and he's saying, go away, <laughs> we get the door bursting open and Chewbacca comes in. One of my favorite Chewbacca moments, I just remember like like cheering at that moment where Chewie just bursts <laughs> screaming at Luke. And just Luke's excited, Chewie, what are you doing here? Which just leads to him saying, wait a second, where is Han? And they just sort of leave it at that. Um, I'm going to kind of leave it at the where is Han thing here. Uh, we'll, get, we'll pick up with Ray and uh, Luke's story after this. But I don't think it's a bad opening to the movie. I think there's some things where I was immediately reacting yeah, they kind of went too far with that. Some of this comedy is too over the top, but yet I like this, the setups for the comedy. But I don't know. Maybe we're going to have a big disagreement on this, but I love the shock of seeing Luke throw the lightsaber away. I really wanted it when she's banging on the door. Um, you know, like, we need you. The, you know, the first order is bad and resistance needs you. Oh, I was going to go to touch and get some power converters. <laughs> Just be all whiny. Um... <laughs> Yeah, look, I remember the first time seeing this movie and then having that thought process of, wait a minute, we didn't hear, I've got a bad feeling about this. Like, and I remember Noah and I, I think might have even been on our spoiler episode where we were, and Noah or you were like, oh no, I think we did. And it's like, no, no, we definitely did not hear it. And then it was a case of, we actually Googled it and then they're like, oh, Ryan Johnson decided to make it uh, so that BB-8 said it in the opening bit. Like, it's just, this is just one of those things which is just stupid. Like, yeah. Okay. Going back to our point with like, he's, we don't hate everything that he's tried differently, 
But this is one of those ones which is just dumb. It is just dumb. It's like you have certain expectations in certain franchises. Like James Bond films, you know, he's going to say his name. He's going to have a martini, you know, things like that. Like even the Terminator films, it's it's the come with me if you want to live. And they even destroyed that in freaking Dark Fate, didn't they? Like it's a, it's a bad sign when they take a trope out of a movie that you're just expecting. Um, and just, this is just dumb. It's just stupid. Um, the, the whole, yeah, the backwards and forwards between Hux and Poe, like, yeah, it, it, it definitely got laughs. And I remember this is kind of that first taste of like, oh, this is a bit different when you're watching it in the movies, but the yo mama thing is just stupid. Um, it's, but this feels very Marvel like, and I think that's where a lot of the humor does like this movie has got too much humor in it. Um, (laughs) We talked about now Terminator 1s about how Terminator 3 gets criticised because of the humour, and I think you and I didn't really think it was that bad. Whereas here, it just... Because, like, Star Wars has humour in it, obviously, but, like, it, it, it's natural humour. Like, it doesn't feel forced. I think a lot of yeah. The Last Jedi just feels too forced. Like, we're going to have a scene with, like, an iron that you think is a spaceship. Like, it's just stupid. Um... All of this battle stuff visually looks fantastic. Like, it really does look incredible. Um, yeah, these bombers just make no sense, as you said. Where have they been? They are the most pointless ships because they're so slow and you've got to, like, be dead above a target to drop your bombs. Like, how the First Order aren't taking them out. Like, I get it, Poe's flown around and fired off all these cannons, but, you know. And even what's he thinking? Like, I agree with you, his whole military campaign, like, one dreadnought, like, that. that's it. Like, it's not like that's the last one. I mean, God, they just destroyed the biggest weapon in the galaxy, but they're still going. So, mm. like, what's it, What's his thought process behind this whole situation? Um, I'm a, a slight positive here. I'm a real fanboy of that female pilot. I think her name is Talisson Lintra or something like that. Um, you kind of see her in a few of these shots. The X-Wing um, pilot? Yeah. I, I <laughs> like her. Hermione Caulfield is the actress, and I'm a fan of her. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but... Yeah, kind of just the Rose sister, the Japor snippet. The how is she even alive? The bay is open. Like, how does space work in Star Wars? Yeah, like, shouldn't she be sucked out in her eyes, like popping out? Like we talked about this with Vader in Rogue One when he's standing overlooking the thing. Like, does space just not kill humans? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. clearly it doesn't with Leia soon. Yeah, um, <laughs> but like she should be sucked out of the thing and just. Oh. We didn't mention Billy Lord. Um, good old Billy. Yeah, Billy. Uh, so, uh, she's a bit more prominent in this movie, of course. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know if I really have a whole lot to add. It's just, again, seeing it for the first time, you're kind of like, oh, it looks visually cool and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, just the slow-mo stuff and just everything that just happens with the explosion with the Rose's sister. Does she actually have a name or is she just literally Rose's sister? She does have a name and I, I was struggling to think about it and then I read it, um... After watching the movie, and then I already forgot it again. So, <laughs> I do like the shot of um, when the the ship is blowing up with the first order, and you've kind of got that gruff looking, grumpy man who's kind of like, mm, just as the ship's about to like blow up and kill him. Uh, I do like that shot, and it's also it's interesting, like when Leia looks at the little screen and kind of sees like all the things that are blown. It's, it's really the first time in Star Wars, isn't it, that we've seen someone, I guess you know, sad that they've lost so many ships. Like, we don't really yeah. see that in A New Hope or that. It, the, the screen actually reminds me of, you remember in Independence Day when all the ships are getting blown up uh, in that initial dogfight uh, and Bill Pullman's, like, looking at the screen and you see him all? It kind of reminds me of that. 
Um, I also love, I do like the bit when Hux, when that, that woman who is like, you know, served, uh, you know, Grandmaster Snoke is on the line for you. I just, I love like that woman just ran in the way she does it. But yeah, I love Hux's like facial expression, how he just kind of is like, hmm. He's like, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> I will take you to my quarters then. Um, and yeah, just the whole, add the Benny Hill theme to him getting dragged around the ground and let that diddly, let that diddly, just like, it's just, <laughs> it's just so over the top. But this is like, you talk about laughs. Like, I remember that getting a big laugh in the Simpsons. It's just, it's just, there's moments like this, which are just played too obvious. And it's just, it just takes you away. You don't need it. And like, again, the force is just odd. Like, why doesn't Palpatine just use these powers in the original trilogy and not even bother showing up on the Death Star at the end? Then that way you can yeah. just explain how he's about to pop up again in the Rise of Skywalker. Um, you know, things like that. It just, it just doesn't make sense. And he, Hux is bleeding from the lip. How hard did he shove him down <laughs> on the ground? Um, it, it's, you know what the other thing is with like these force powers? Cause again, I don't want to be like, the the reputation that you know the critics want to give the fans who hated this movie because oh how could it? fans hate something critics love uh it's not just well they change too much or oh well they they introduce new things you can introduce a new force power you don't have to introduce 70 new force powers yeah. and there needs to be some type of logic to it you have to believe okay maybe Snoke and Kylo Ren discovered some new things that even the Emperor didn't know. Even the Emperor says that's a whole thing with turning Vader. He's like, if we work together, we could discover the secret of this power. There are tons of new things you could discover all the time. When you watch Snoke and Kylo Ren in this movie, particularly Snoke, nothing he does has ever been done before by a Jedi or a Sith. It's like he is ten times more powerful than anybody else, and then you just give him this this idiotic ending that makes him look like a fool. And So just... Yeah. You you can introduce one or two things, just don't introduce a million things. And it's like the you know as you're saying, a lot of this stuff, the comedy is it's it's too obvious, like you said. It's not that's a natural organic joke that played out. You know, like uh, you know a scruffy looking nerf herder who's scruffy looking. A regular person would give that response, but the way that everything just has to be played so perfectly, the timing of you know uh, she's got a message for you. You know about your mother, and then the the BBA thing. It's like get a laugh and then just end it. Don't get a laugh and then try to outdo that laugh until you just keep going too far until it just stops being funny. It's almost very much and again. God, I, this isn't Double Seven. Somehow we bring up Die Another Day every five seconds, but like it's it's your point on Jinx, like how it's kind of everything she says needs a do yes. at the yeah. end of it. Like there's a lot of that in this movie. I feel with the way the humor comes about. Um. They go when they go to light speed. Like again, oh god, we're gonna get to light speed soon, and the frustrations around that. Finn just—we talked about how technology doesn't seem to advance that much in thirty years since Return of the Jedi. I get it medically, obviously it has. Like we kind of this is the water diaper tank from uh, Empire, yeah. <laughs> but now it's just in suit form. But again, can we put this guy was sliced up the spine and basically in a coma yeah. five minutes ago, <laughs> and now he's awake because he's put on a tank of water around him, like. Again, we we established this in The Force Awakens, didn't we? That basically The Force Awakens takes in part of 24 hours. All of the first two sequel trilogy movies takes place in like 36 hours, does it not? Like, (laughs) this is almost a season of 24. Like, it's just, it's just, you've got to work things out. And I just don't get medically how stuff works in Star Wars that this is, 
you know, we've never seen Star Wars Anatomy or Star Wars ER or things like that. But uh, anyway, and just him getting up with the water and the leaking out. It's like, oh, ha, 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 look at him. He's naked and water's leaking. And, oh, you know, where's Ray? Like, dude, you've been out for, like, you know, whatever. And just, oh, you've known her for a day. Stop <laughs> being creepy. Speaking of Ray, um, yeah, look, this got a laugh. I would have been one of the ones who laughed at the time. I get it at the time because, as you said, of all the hundreds of theories, did anyone ever think that this was going to be one of them? I, I don't think so. In hindsight, it just it pisses me off. It just it just takes away from the ending of the Force Awakens. Like this goes back to we talked about last week. Like you, the ending is epic. Yeah, you could have stopped it just before she goes to light speed. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, it, it makes for a perfect ending. But like this just makes the whole ending just pointless to me. Like just just him throwing it over his shoulder and like ah ha ha, it's played for laughs. Like you could have played the is it Jeopardy or Prices Right where you have that boom boom boom. Yeah, this is right. Like yeah, like just may as well play that over that bit. And then like what if what if Ray like again. Ray's just been discovered 24 hours ago. The Resistance have put all of this on her. Like, this isn't Leia. This is random girl they've discovered on random yeah. sand planet. <laughs> what if Ray is just, like, shit? And she's like, oh, well, I tried. And just went straight back to the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> and just like, oh, no, he didn't want it. <laughs> and then just flies off. <laughs> and then, like, you know, like, I mean, that's, they don't know <laughs> her. Fine, Chewie. You want to stay? I'm leaving. And she just takes the ship and strands Chewie there. <laughs> she could be a quitter. Right? She, yeah. she she could be the Vancouver Canucks of Star Wars, right? Like, they mean well, but at the end of the day, eh, we're not going to do well. May as well give up. Oh, well. Like, there you go. Um, It just makes me mad. I mean, it is made up. As you said, you see some porgs flying and, oh, the porgs sitting there. And, and then just the one when it's, like, pressing on the lights. <laughs> Good. Like, like, <laughs> like about this. Everybody's worried. We didn't even talk about that. Like the lead up to this movie. Yeah. How much concern there was over these porgs. Oh, so oh it's just going to be the Ewoks and Jar Jar all over again. I hate this. It's just there to sell toys. Uh, by the way, like uh, Casper, he was like a. Oh, I don't know. Was he about what year? This coming two thousand seventeen. He was like a year, year and a half by the time this movie came out. And every time we went to the store, I would press the button on that little toy pork thing, and he would freak out and then cry when we left there because he wanted it. And we got him it for Christmas, and he barely touched it. <laughs> so it worked to buy the toys, not to necessarily play with the toys. But then this movie comes out, and we hate all the things we thought we'd love about the movie. We hate it. For the and porgs. The porgs. We're like, yes, more porgs. Where's the porg spinoff? <laughs> Well, we, like, I I was just listening in the, the episode we I was talking about, that was spoiler-free one, and I told the story about how, like, Noah and I, as soon as we see the movie, went to 24-hour Kmart to go and buy us a... <laughs> they had, like, Ray Barbie and Rose figure, but no porgs. We had to wait the next day and go to, like, five stores before I could finally find a porg Funko Pop. Still got it. <laughs> um, But, like, yeah, exactly. Like, porgs are the best thing about this movie. I, I can't get enough of porgs. And we're living in a world right now with Baby Yoda. Like, I want the Baby Yoda Porg special, like I am, I am there. Like, just, I just love Pork. these. <laughs> Porgs, the holiday special. About <laughs> yes. Porgs, Battle of Endor, or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> Caravan of Porgs. Porgs, Caravan of Courage. <laughs> 
The nah, Korg nah, Wars. Korgs. Like, come on, bring it. But like, oh, just this little scene of his, and then just like, I just love the one pressing the lightsaber. Like, it would have been <laughs> hilarious if it like skewered the other. <laughs> but like, that is so goddamn cute. Like, I just, oh, Porgs and Porgs, Porgs, Porgs. I want Porgs. <laughs> Seriously, Pogs and pre- Pogs 2020. I want a Pog for president. Just give me all the Pogs. More Pogs, more Pogs. Pogs, they're not coarse and rough and irritating, and I don't care if they get everywhere. They're Pogs. Pogs, 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 Pogs. I want a Pog. I want a Pog. Pog, 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 Pog. All right, um. <laughs> We're going to go back to our national level. Porgs, 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 porgs. Porg, 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 porg. Oh, everything is made better with porg. Like, Don Cherry says something bad, show a porg. Like, you know, Donald Trump getting impeached, show a porg. All of that. Dan touches Kelly inappropriately, show a porg. Like, that's... Porgs make everything better. Between porgs and baby Yoda, the world is a better place, all right? Like... This this is the Ryan Johnson. The best thing he's ever done is Porgs. Simple. Um, <laughs> just so goddamn good. Give me all the Porgs. We forgive you, Ryan. You we gave do. us the Porg. <laughs> you gave us the Porgs. All right. It's that simple. Um, I yeah, I love chewing <laughs> like bunking in the door. <laughs> but like, why, why is Luke, has Luke just done his laundry? Because he's like folding his robe, uh, <laughs> looking sad, going. I used to fit into this. <laughs> now I'm fat. Do you remember in our very first um, recap we did of the very first trailer, and it was all about the books, the bookshelf? Yeah, um, Luke's like, library. His library. Now it's about his wardrobe. Um, <laughs> but the thing, one thing I'll say about this, though, is uh, Empire Strikes Back, he senses his friends. He goes to Cloud City, you know, I've got to go, my friends are in danger. This is the question. How is he asking what happened to Han? Shouldn't he sense Han has died? Like, wh- wh- is well, there an explanation behind this? Because he's going to project no, himself to the other side of the freaking galaxy in like an hour. So, you know. But they, they do say that he's closed himself off from the Force. So it would explain why he sensed none of this. Um, so that, I think, makes total sense. Although I don't necessarily know if a Jedi can close themselves off from the Force. Is that possible? Um when you're like around Porgs, you're going to close yourself off because you've got those yes. goddamn cute little things. So Porgs are force inhibitors. That should have been the explanation. <laughs> How did you not know Han was dead? These are Porgs, didn't you know? They interfere with the powers. <laughs> they're like the, the transmission blockers, you know. They're like they're magnets yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah, so I look. <sighs> yeah, I don't know what else to say. Porgs. Uh, just a couple more things we'll quickly cover here. Let's Let's finish up the... Luke stuff here. Ray just sits around. We never get the answer to where's Han. They just cut the scene, and then when they come back, she's just waiting for him as he's out doing his routine or whatever. You know, we, if he's closed him, here's the other problem. We we do find out he's closed himself off in the Force. He's pretty agile for a guy who's not using the Force at all. Like this is what a sixty year old man now, and he's yeah. like doing backflips and and balancing on a stick, jumping across chasms. Like, I guess without the force, you know, he could still keeps in good shape. Maybe this is what he does with his day. Uh, we get him fishing uh, from about 100 feet up with a 100-foot spear. We get him sucking milk right off of that space oh. cow. 
makes like, is it there worse any- is that look he gives. Like, it's like it's... Yeah, it's epic. Oh. <laughs> he's, just, he's just got this look in his face. He's kind of like, mmm, that's good milk. Like, mmm, got milk. <laughs> he's he's drinking the, the blue or green, I don't even know what color it is. Milks the thing, basically squeezes the milk right out of the nipple before the Disney audience. <laughs> Children everywhere is like, is that where milk comes from, mommy? And then... Drinks his Stratos bottle that's like dribbling down his beard, and he gives a look like, ah, refreshing. <laughs> She's gonna turn to the camera and go, gotta quench my thirst? Drink alien titty milk. Mm-mm-mm. Full of calcium B5, 712, and 16.5. Make you forget about your Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru back when the last had blue milk. That's blue milk from alien titty coming soon. Mm-mm. It's so weird. Uh, I don't mind his regular everyday routine, but it's weird. Uh, so Ray's just sort of stalking him, following him around here. Uh, she finds her way into this library. She gets called into the library. So this is where her force powers start to pick up a little bit. And this is more of the mystery of Ray that I'm actually really intrigued to see. I, I've, this is one of these things where I feel like we're annoyed now that they've gone through two movies and have literally given us nothing but when we get to the Rise of Skywalker, there had better be a payoff for why Rey just senses these things. Because this becomes the entire point. She gets called into this library, doesn't even know why. This is Luke's library here with the, you know, original first edition Jedi text here. Uh, <laughs> there's, you know, <laughs> there's where's Haldo in there and uh, <laughs> all your other favorite uh, uh, Curious Hucks are... <laughs> All your favorite childhood <laughs> novels. Um, uh, Han Band, Solo. Is it the Order of the Phoenix. And gets porgs. Uh, <laughs> just porgs. <laughs> but she's called in the library. And then he just says something like, you know, who are you or whatever. Uh, and this is where we have the conversation where uh, she says, you know, uh, I'm nobody. I'm going to say, where are you from? And she says, I'm from nowhere. He goes, everyone's from from somewhere. She goes, I'm from Jakku. Okay, that's pretty much nowhere. <laughs> Mark delivers <laughs> it so well that you can actually the forgive the fact that it's, it's one of those really obvious jokes that doesn't really belong to Star Wars. But Mark Hamill, who I'm, I'm sure I mentioned this, you know, in one of our past episodes, if you've ever seen Mark Hamill, not even just in interviews, but like just heard the guy talk. He is literally one of the funniest people you will ever see in life. He could have made a living as a stand-up comedian. And this is finally, he's gets, he, I don't think he had any jokes in the first three Star Wars movies. And now he finally gets to laugh. It's great. Um, but uh, she talks about, you know, you know, there's something inside of me you know, that's been calling me or whatever. Uh, and I don't know what it is. And she's asking for him to teach her. He says to her, you need a teacher. Now, this is going to become a very big problem for me because Luke's entire purpose in this movie is the Jedi need to die. I need to be the end of it. Now, he doesn't say you're learning things about the Force, but don't do that. Don't go there. It'll only lead to tragedy and heartbreak. (laughs) He says the Jedi need to die. You need a teacher. I can recommend a few guys for you if you want. He wants the Jedi to die. Why is he telling her to get a teacher? Is this, I, what I know a guy. What's your Thursday like? Exactly. Four o'clock. Let me pull up my Rolodex here. Let's see. Craig, no. Steve, no. Jerry. Jerry was good. Oh, no way. You will trade with Jerry. I have foreseen it. 
<laughs> I have foreseen it. <laughs> On um, a volcanic planet. <laughs> <laughs> With La Pirinongo <laughs> and Pogs, 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 Pogs. <laughs> but seriously, like this is where I, I wish Ryan Johnson had had an extra year to prepare this movie so they could look back and say, if he wants the Jedi to end, why is he down here? <laughs> Go find somebody else. It is stupid. Like, it actually really is. And again, this is another one of those things where you can, you can create your own version of it. Like, and he, he kind of caves into this. And I know we're jumping ahead here. Sorry to interrupt, but it's, it's kind of a case of just, just making this old hermit man and just, you know, like, at least with Yoda, like kind of Yoda sort of just had this negativity about it. And then you could understand why he was slightly swayed. But it's just here, it's, again, with no backstory or explanation to, to Ray. Like, why is it Luke also questioning this? Like, you were called to it. Like, oh, who are you? Like, you're right. unique. Who are you? Who are your parents? Like, what are you doing here? Like, who are you? Instead, it's just like, <laughs> I'll get you in Larry on Friday. Oh, no. Oh, you were called there. Oh, I better fix you then. Oh, okay. Like, what? And also, we know this. This goes back to my question from The Force Awakens. We know that Jakku, at least if you know anything outside of what they tell you in the movies, Jakku was supposed to be where, like, the final big battle between the Empire and the Rebels took place post-Return of the Jedi. And yet, Luke, who would have been part of that battle, says, okay, that is pretty much nowhere. So again, I ask the question, what were they fighting for on Jakku? (laughs) Why was it some type of, like, stronghold? Like, what was the value of Jakku? Even Luke, who fought that battle, who probably led that battle, is like, uh, that is pretty much nowhere. Um, but after he tells her to go find another teacher, he then contradicts himself by saying the Jedi need to die, or whatever it is. This was included in the trailers. And I, I, I don't remember what we talked about in the preview episode, but I know people were immediately jumping to the theory of because the poster, the teaser poster had... Luke in kind of the, the, the shadow position, the giant shadow position behind everybody, which is what they had used in the past for like Vader in the posters and Darth Maul. It was always like the villain was sort of in that position and Luke was the people because Luke's saying the Jedi need to end and because of his position in the poster, he's going to be the villain of this movie. And I remember all the way up until this movie came out saying, Yeah, I'm actually really thinking there's a possibility that Luke is the villain of this movie. People jumped on board with that is like that's what it's going to be but literally all it is is he's just a grumpy old man here who thinks the jedi need to die um there's some things that i think would work about this but they don't go far enough but at this point he just sort of walks away from her um c- getting back a little bit here now uh, to the uh the the, the hr situation where leia's slapping poe <laughs> this illustrates all my problems with his story arc because she is the person who's hiding in safety who should be saying, no, we need to take out those, you know, dreadnoughts or whatever. And he's like, these are my man, my, my, my man, my man, <laughs> Marty, my man. <laughs> and instead he's like, no, let's kill them all. <laughs> um, but she gives this line here about how there were, um, uh, he says, there were heroes out there. So now he's contradicting himself. These are the people that he basically said, it's okay if they die because we took out a dreadnought. Now he's like, those were heroes out there. And she <laughs> says, uh, uh, dead heroes, no leaders. And this becomes his story arc. Now, I like his story arc of what you need to do to become a leader. 
But it is so idiotic the way that they play this out in this movie. And this is just the beginning of it. I love her line that she says to about, you know, not all of uh, our problems can be solved by jumping in X-Wing and blowing things up. And then, of course, we get the ships coming out of hyperspace and they're saying they tracked us through light speed as if this has never happened before. Except for an attack of the clones, except for in Rogue One and A New Hope. <laughs> it is literally happening in every single trilogy, and we get the shock of they tracked us through light speed. It's not even just how did they track us through light speed. It's this shock of they tracked us through light speed. <laughs> what is this sorcery? <laughs> It's almost very William Shatner over the top, like their arms are flinging around, like, what is this? They're tracking through light speed! <laughs> uh, and so we get another battle, and uh, immediately, uh, Poe is saying to her, permission to jump in next wing and blow stuff up. And it's like, permission granted. That I love. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of an obvious joke, but some of this stuff is played well, because they don't follow it up after that with a, let's get even funnier and wackier. <laughs> let's just let a funny joke play as a funny joke. So him and BB-8 run to the um, the X-Wing, and sadly, it gets blown up. <laughs> so he's not going to be able to be in the X-Wing. The whole thing's under fire. Um, and uh, do, do we, I think we have the Kylo Ren thing in here, too, where he appears for Snoke. Um, I'm mixing yeah, a whole bunch have. of stuff. You've, you've, you've missed that. that the, yes. the first Kylo Ren scene with Snoke was, uh, I think, in between one of the Luke scenes, yeah. Okay, so uh, we'll just add in here uh, all the way up to <laughs> our, our most controversial moment in the whole series. Um, this is scattered, forgive me, but <laughs> so is the movie. So we have the Kylo Ren meeting Snoke and Hux. I love Hux as he's, with the last we saw him was, you know, I have them tied on the end of a string. <laughs> and you think he's just making stuff up. And he's coming out of, and um, Snoke is like, you really do have them tied on the end of a string. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> We are so brilliant. <laughs> Laugh at our dastardly deeds. <laughs> Mustache twirl. You're up, Ren. <laughs> Just this arrogance as he walks past them and is like, nailed that one. You're up, buddy. <laughs> he's totally like, he should be like Pinky in the brain. He should be like, you know, you, um, what, you know what I'm thinking, Snoke? The same thing I'm doing every week. Trying to take over the world the snoke and the hux the snoke and the hux one is a genius the other's in half oh too soon no <laughs> well like do you want more of this because i feel like this is barely glossed over in the movie but they they've really developed this rivalry between hux and wren like these are the two right hand men and they can't stand each other They're always trying to one-up each other but yet like it just it. it doesn't it doesn't become part of the movie but i'm like i love this i want more of this yeah, no, I agree with you. It's, it's, again, it's something unique. Like, and this is, I think, what this movie's trying to do is a unique stuff. And here we are complaining that it just doesn't work. But I think a lot of the sequel trilogy, it's kind of there's, there's a lot of stuff where you feel it's just carbon copy of stuff. Whereas when we do have the unique stuff, I mean, again, I praise the shit out of Kylo Ren last movie. I'm going to praise him again. Like, the one of the standing lights behind Porgs is Kylo Ren again in this movie. Like, just mm. the best character in all of the sequel trilogies by far. One of the best characters in Star Wars is Kylo Ren to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I, I would love to see it. Yeah. I would I would love to see more of it. Because it does have a, you know, like, we saw that in the, the original trilogy. It was kind of Vader just had his grip on all the generals and all that sort of stuff. Kill one, let's get another one in. Like, there was no sort of rivalry. A little bit in the boardroom scene, I guess, on A New Hope with, you know... Tarkin and we love that, that, too. We wanted more of that. 
Yeah, but then you you think about the um the prequels, like kind of the, there was sort of a lot of that, like you know you sort of had Dooku and uh, um what was the Colosseum planet and all that sort of stuff, like you know they <laughs> had all these um you know evil people and alien races coming together to kind of form an alliance, which kind of was something a little bit different. But yeah, make it a little bit like both of these people because. I, I would like. I like. I like the. I like. I like the Hux. Um, so I, I like the Hux. I like the Hux. Um, stop talking about the mullet, but I like the Hux. Um, so yeah, no, yes, I would like to see it more. Uh, but like this scene is fantastic, and uh, I remember coming to this. Like, I had a slightly negative reaction to this movie. I remember my brother being like, "You know, there's some fun stuff in this movie. That is the stupidest Star Wars movie I've ever seen." And and again, he didn't have negative things to say when we walked out of the Phantom Menace. And his biggest complaint was, "Snoke is the most interesting character in this entire movie." And then they just do away with him just like that. And I kind of get that because I think this scene is incredible. It's like electrifying the, this Snoke Ren thing. And and this is one of these. Moments, I think they pick. They pick the right moments to have, or the right moment here to have him lose the helmet. I don't think that, you know, Ryan Johnson just had him lose the helmet as, you know, a slap in the face of J.J. Abrams saying, hey, this is my movie now. I'm not going to be bound by a helmet. Because I actually think the way he plays the helmet here, like, it's it's perfect, which is he's using this as a mask. He's using it, you know, to, to kind of hide himself behind and to, to pretend he's Vader and Snoke uses this against him. So it's not just like a throwaway thing here as much as I love when he is in the helmet, especially because we get a different performance from him. Like you see things in Adam driver's face when he has emotion, uh, that you don't get, but having seen him without the helmet and force awakens, then this scene with Snoke, when he says simple things like when they're talking about, you know, him killing Han and he says, it means nothing to me. Like you actually hear some emotion in his voice now just because you can picture that face. But yet it's more effective just seeing him behind this helmet. I just it's it's really cool. The one scene they have with the helmet is incredible in this movie. Uh, but Snoke is just messing with him now. Like this is the opposite of the way that Anakin turned. And this is why I hope that there is something not just an explanation of what Snoke was, but some type of payoff for what Snoke's master plan was. Not just he's this overly confident, you know, cocky Palpatine wannabe who was always in over his head and just went down like a chump. Because he's playing a real psychological game here where he's built him up in the last movie. And here he's tearing him down right after he's done what he told him to do. You know, he's he's calling him weak. He's saying, take that stupid mask off. You know, you look like a child and that thing. <laughs> he's just being this, you know, this abusive father here. And even talking about, you know, Han. Now, there is, there is a problem here where he mentions, uh, you know, you have too much of your heart, your father's heart in you. Like, really, if you're going to say that he has heart, who is going to say that between his father and his mother, his father was the one with the heart? <laughs> like... That feels like a line that should have been about Leia. And it would have actually worked even better with him just trying to play. I'm like, you're soft because you're, you're still weak because, you know, you're too tied to your parents. Ew. I had to kill my parents. Oh, so sorry, Colin. Some of us deal with these problems every day. Not all of us get to live this easy life like you and just have to kill one parent. Some of us have to kill two. And then he's like, you have too much of your mother's heart in you. Well, I'll show you. I don't have heart like my mother. And then he goes off and shoots his mother in the face. Now that's the way this should have played out, okay? Nuke him in the face. 
Snoke him in the face! <laughs> but, like, in all honesty, I'm kind of joking around about it, but, like, that's the way I see the scene really playing it. I don't just want to be, like, every time I'm, like, I like this scene, find something to criticize about it. But it just doesn't make sense that he's saying, you have your father's heart in you. This is where he should be turning him on his mom. He's playing it right. I love the psychological game that Snoke has of, you know, you're... You, you know, you're, you're weak, you you got that stupid helmet, you're no Vader. I thought that I had, you know, uh, a f- promise with his bloodline, and instead I just get a child in a mask. This is when he says you've got your mother's heart, and he turns him on Leia, and that's what makes him go after her. Because what we see next is him destroying the helmet, which is a very effective scene, it, it, as much as I think a lot of fans hate it. I love him just smashing this helmet to pieces. Uh, the Kylo and Temper Trantums we mentioned in the last movie we love. Uh, and then he jumps straight in a TIE fighter to go blow something up. Uh, because after they come out of light speed, Kylo Ren is leading the charge here and trying to blow things up. And this was all in the, the, the trailer, the whole line. It, they, they use the narration about the let the past die, kill it if you have to, where you know he's approaching Leia. And this is why I think everybody assumed Leia was going to die here. Which... It's kind of another example of like a lot of what J.J. Abrams did too much of in The Force Awakens, which is, you know, find ways to tease the audience just so that you can surprise them. Like, make them think you're going to do one thing and then just, you know, surprise them because they didn't do that. Um, I think I assumed this is where Leia was going to die based on the trailer, but even more so when he blows it up and you see Leia's body fly out into space. Yeah. Uh, would it have been the perfect moment to kill her? Maybe. What we get next is the single most idiotic, that's not how the Force works moment in the Star Wars series. And that's Mary Poppins, Force Witch Leia, who is out in the vacuum of space, somehow projecting a Force bubble around herself while she's unconscious, then stretching out her Mary Poppins hand and flying with her umbrella back towards the spaceship. Getting in just before the door closes, and we'll 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 kind of end it off there because this is. Oh, can we just end the movie right now? <laughs> it is. I, I don't know. I don't even know. I still two years later. I don't know how to articulate what's wrong with this. It's just it's a force power we haven't seen before. I freaked out. My first reaction was to freak out because I'm like, we have finally seen Leia use the force, and in some ways, I'm still happy that we saw Leia use the force here. But there's a more effective way to do this scene, which I'll explain in a second. But seeing her floating through space like Mary Poppins is not the way to do it. It looks stupid. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. The perfect way to have done this scene, in my opinion, was to have the back of the ship blown out and you don't see what happened with Leia. And then when you cut back a few scenes later... You see the doors still open, like sucking stuff into space slowly. And Leia, imagine a shot where Leia looks like she's holding on to something and she's still barely breathing and she's holding on to something, only to see her literally holding on to nothing and you realize she's levitating herself into air and she's using the force to hold herself back from being blown to space. Another example of an easy, effective way to do the scene, and for effect, you just go way too far. You could have accomplish the same thing by doing something simple that would have been more plausible would have been more effective would have been more dramatic to actually see leia using the force to hold herself in is better than seeing her floating through space 
when she shouldn't breathe or even be alive. Um, have at it, Ben. I'm sure you've waited two years for this. Well, I also think you're also gelling over a small little fact here that happened in this explosion that we lost our beloved Admiral Akbar as what? well. Like, he's well, dead. no, I didn't celebrate. I don't think it's even addressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing, but this is another like thing that's just stupid. They kill off a beloved character. Well, admittedly, okay, we talked about how he sort of has become a beloved character over the years. He maybe wasn't necessarily one uh, at the time, but. Like, he's just gone. That's it. Bye-bye. Um, thanks. See ya. You know, it's a trap. No, it's not. You're dead, mate. Um, I, I do, again, always refer to you. I want a shot of him being sucked in a space It's a trap! And then you just cut him off. <laughs> the, on the um, How It Should Have Ended, just before it happened, you see they do it and say, I suddenly realise I just have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and then, like, he just, like, walks up and gets out. Um... I'll, I'll talk. Oh, man, well, what, what are some of the things? The, the Luke stuff, just quickly with the books and, yeah, Ray, and just. It just makes no sense again because, oh, I've had this thing inside of me. I don't understand it. Like, well, neither do we. <laughs> like, it's. <laughs> Give us anything. <laughs> like, that's literally all we know. It's kind of, yeah, and, and titty milk and. <sighs> like, if, if Luke is fishing, and, okay, it's a cool scene. He flips over on a javelin. Cool. You go into the. Acto Olympics in whatever year this is set in. But, like, why does he need to do his flippy on the other side? Because, like, he literally can just stamp the... Like, is he just showing off to this hot chick? Like, oh, yeah. hot chick on my planet, you know? Gonna gonna, gonna show her my ways, you know? Maybe I'll get lucky. I've been alone on this planet for a while, you know? I haven't, got I haven't on seen something that sexy since my sister. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but, like, this is also, like, so this is the original Jedi temple, is it not? Like, this is where yeah, the Jedi well, order is, began. I don't know if they confirm that in this movie. They say... In the last movie, Luke went searching for the first Jedi Temple, and I think based on the fact that this is where the books are, maybe there's something to that. But I don't think they ever actually confirm that in this. But I, I like that idea, and that's maybe disappointing they don't confirm it, because that's, that's a cool thing. I feel we should need to learn that more. Like, this is yeah. where the Jedi started. Like, that's awesome. Like, remember when you see, like, the Jedi Temple and that in the prequels? You're kind of like, oh, this is cool, the Jedi Temple. You know, it's... Yeah, uh, I don't know. Anyway, um, the... We lose my girl in the X-Wing when Poe goes off and the being tracked and all this sort of stuff. And, oh, like, we're going to get the fuel situation soon. And for fuck's sake, like, God. I'm saving one rant per segment here. <laughs> we're going to start running out of that soon. We are. Um, I'm going to do the bad before I do the good. I feel, yeah, the, the layer stuff. Like, I remember watching this. And, again, straight away thinking, oh, my God, that's, that's, that's why they kept saying, like, we're not deleting Leia from this movie because it makes sense. They're going to kill her off. Like, okay. So, like, at, at that point, I think we're all sort of slightly dealing with the, oh, my God, we've just lost Leia. Like, and it's kind of like, oh, shit, okay. And like, I, I, for one, am adamant that this is where they should have, th- that's it. She should have died right here. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. What uh, I would always argue, what else does she kind of bring to the rest of this movie? Like, y- y- I mean, a bit here and there, sure. But, yeah, we get a scene with her and Luke. Cool. But we don't really either. Um, so, you know, it's kind of... I don't know. I just think they should... And this is just laughable. Like, because when all of a sudden you see her, like, in space and, like, her eyes, like, yeah, it's great that she uses the Force, but it's just... It's it's just hilarious. It's just... It's it's just... I can't even... Like, man with a golden gun. We get the... Like, things that don't belong there, right? Like, things that just... To this day, no matter how much you try and defend something, you just can't. You can't. You can't defend it. And this is one of those moments. You're like, what? 
Like, I would love to see if there's an interview that exists with Ryan Johnson, whoever came up with this. Like, like had you just seen Mary Poppins the night before and thought, like, hey, this, this is an idea. But what also makes it even stupider is that we got a floating back to the ship and you've got, like, this shot of Poe, Finn, and Billy Lord looking out the window, like, but they're not even shocked. They should have their mouths open, like, oh, yeah. wow. Like, but they're just literally looking like, going, oh, there goes Leia again off on one of the <laughs> mid-morning Mary Poppins rants. Open the door. Um, like, it's it's not a shock to them. And also, can we just point out, if she's awake, like, she's kind of just woken up, right? She's 10 minutes earlier complaining that Poe's off killing all these innocent people. Could she not have quickly just floated after Admiral Akbar and, like, blew in his mouth and was, quick, take a breath, and push him to the door and things like that? Like, it's kind of, where's your care factor, Leia? Bit selfish, aren't we? Save yourself. Um, but then, then also, like, I hate the editing that follows this. So, like, it kind of like you get her inside, and then it kind of does this weird fade with the smoke to her laying on a gurney, and you've got robot George Clooney putting a thing over her mouth, and they're all like, "Quick, quick, go, get her, save her life." Um, like, it's just, it's, uh, it's so, so stupid. I've got a very good friend who is a very big defender. Of The Last Jedi. And I think he'd try to actually describe why this is uh, makes sense. No, you're an idiot, Josh. I'm sorry. I love you, man. But, like, <laughs> like if he comes to my wedding next year, he's going to be in my wedding party with you, Colin. Like, I want you to have it out. I want you to, like, full-on <laughs> go at each other. <laughs> Last Jedi sucks. Last Jedi's great. Um, the Snoke... The Snoke scene. Uh, first of all, is, so is, is Andy Serkis in a suit, or is this all digitally done on top it's of It's all it? digital. It, it like, looks fantastic. Some, oh, my goodness, is it ever... Yeah, like, this is, like, we've got to find the praise when we can for this movie because, like, I think, like, it just, it looks so goddamn good. Um, and just, yeah, this scene is just incredible. I just, I love the way Snoke is toying with him. And I, I love that moment when kind of, like, Kylo Ren... Tooling, might say? Yeah, tooling, tooling, exactly. <laughs> I love, like, when he, like, gets up and kind of, like, you think Kylo Ren's going to, like, punch him and then all of a sudden just uses the force uh, lightning on him and things like that and... Yeah, like, I agree with you. It would have made more sense to kind of have Leia's heart rather than Han's. But, again, this just, like, it just harks back to A New Hope. Uncle Owen, you know, he's got too much of his father in him. Well, that's what I'm afraid of. Like, you know, it's kind of just things like that that just make it flip it on its head. And this is what makes this great. And I love the elevator scene. I love the tantrum. I've never been one of these people who are like, oh, they only got him to destroy the helmet because, you know, they wanted to be different. Like, I think it, I'm with you. It makes complete, complete sense. Um, and, like, I love that scar he's got on his face with, like, that black, kind of like oh, a yeah. tire mark almost. Um, and, like, I just, oh, it's so good. He throws the tantrum. And we're, we're talking about a man here who, again, we mentioned this last week, in a couple of months could be an Academy Award winner here. You know, he's one of the favourites to win an Oscar next year. So, like, you can see why he's such a good actor. Not for Rise of Skywalker, for Marriage <laughs> Story or whatever it's called. I mean, who knows? He could be brilliant in Rise of Skywalker. We don't know that. But um, I, one, actually, one thing I really love here is when the elevator doors open, you've got, like, that man and woman who are kind of a mid-conversation, all of a sudden they quickly, like, stand upright, like, to attention, and just before he's like, I'm going to get in my ship. Like, I want to know what those two are talking about. Like, oh, did you hear the stormtroopers are going to get dental? Oh, shit! So, Kylo Ren, hello, how, how are you? Um, did you hear love- that the general slapped a man this morning? <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> um, I also, like, I always, we don't think we really mentioned this in the uh, in Return of the Jedi with the Emperor. What does Snoke do just chilling in his throne room, just like in his gold dressing gown? <laughs> um, like, I mean, does he chat to his red armoured people with yeah, the cool with their knife things? Like, what does he do? That's going to be really boring. 
You know? Yeah. Like, I, I want to see him with, like, an iPad or something, you know, watching, <laughs> I don't know, season one of The Mandalorian or, or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, something for entertainment. Playing chess with his guards. Like, it doesn't matter what is. How about even just a stack of paper and he's he's got a stamp there and, ugh, oh, these invoices never end, you know? <laughs> just give us something other than just sitting there. He's just scrolling through all like, oh, so Kylo Ren's not working out. Okay, who else can I get to be the next Vader? Uh, look, another thing, we'll talk about in this episode when Snoke dies, but this guy's old. He's talking about like, you know, I thought you could be the Vader, you know, perfect with your bloodline. Like, but where were you in the original trilogy, mate? Like, you know, did yeah. you know Vader? Like, well, like, where were you? You've just popped up and you're going to disappear. Like, ugh. Um, and... Yeah, but I agree. It's a great scene. And I also, I do like the, the actual, the moment kind of going back to before layers floating around. I do love the, um, the sort of the pause that they kind of share that look at each other, like sort of, you know, the, the back and forth between Leia and, oh, and yeah. Kylo. Like I just, and I love the look and kind of, you see his finger on the button ready to blow. And I think that's kind of important too. Like he doesn't do it, but then obviously one Somebody of these people does. behind him does it. Like does Kylo Ren pull them up? Like when they land? <laughs> like, yeah. So- I can't believe not to do that. <laughs> Damn it, Austin! That was my mother. Um, I just want—I want to say that is it. We've heard enough mama jokes today, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, look, I—I I, this yeah, blah 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 blah. Can we just point out that we are about to get to the best scene in all of this movie? And guess <laughs> what it involves? It involves pogs. Pogs, pogs. Is it you know the unfortunate thing about that when you when you say it, it actually almost sounds like if you're if you're not listening closely that we're saying porn porn porn. <laughs> that, that's the song I sing every night when I watch yeah. pork videos. <laughs> Love pork pork porn pork, pork, pork videos. Pork. I go to youpork.com. Uh it's great. <laughs> pork tube. It's fantastic. Porgme.com. <laughs> Porgmehard.com. Hardcore porgs. <laughs> Triple X Porgs. <laughs> um, there's technically another thing that happens before this, but let's jump right into it. Chewy. <laughs> Outside the Falcon. <laughs> Fire going. I'm really interested in your reaction because when I watch this, like, I always remember, my, like, it was delayed. You're like, oh, okay, he's roasting a chicken. And then you see the Porgs watching him and he sort of looks down and I'm like, they have that 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 look like a tear running down their cheek. Chewie killed them some porks and roasted them on a fire. <laughs> I'm watching it now. Even with those sound, it is the best scene in the entire sequence. So one little look, I like. I love like you've got the group of porks and it's kind of like, rawr, rawr, and then he kind of turns and you've just got that one who's like slouched forward with his wings and. And then she <laughs> But the thing is, he's already killed, like, two of them. So why is all of a sudden he, like, fa- like he had to kill these porks? Where were they doing the sad face porks beforehand? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they should, they should have picked up that lightsaber and fought back. <laughs> fight back, porks. Where's the porks me too movement? Come on. Well, funny you speak of movements, because I don't know if this was a confirmed thing. Um, I remember talk about it when it came out, that um, 
possibly Ryan Johnson had inserted this and another scene that's about to come up later as some animal rights messages in um, right. a Star Wars movie. Oh, it's not really if it was scene. <laughs> if it's intentional, I'm like, seriously, like, leave political agendas out of here, you know. Whether you agree with it or not, like, leave political agendas out of here. But there are people who honestly said, I don't even know if it was Ryan Johnson that, that semi-confirmed. Is like, this is Chewie deciding to become a vegetarian. Because he looks at the pork on the fire after shooing the other ones away. And then all of a sudden he puts it away. He's like, I can't do it. I can't eat another bite of meat. Uh, <laughs> Somebody get me some some tofu pork. <laughs> to put pork food. To pork <laughs> food or something. I just love the way you explained it. Somebody gave me some tofu pork. Pork, pork, pork. Well, it's like you. There's like you know, tofu turkey is like tofurkey. <laughs> What's the equivalent of pork? bacon? Fake pork bacon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Fake tofurkey. <laughs> I'm gonna go with pork foo. That's what pork I like. <laughs> but it's like, oh, it's like that just ruins it for me. Like this scene is amazing. I remember seeing this in like this. Everyone lost it and laughed out so loud in this bit. And to this day, I crack up laughing at this scene still. And it's just. Oh, it's such a <laughs> so funny because I just even love the way that Chewie just kind of looks at it and goes and just kind of like puts it down. Like Chewie has nothing to do in this movie, but like this oh. is the one bit where you just like ah, oh. and like I love the fact that the one scene which is great. Uh, well, maybe there's a couple other scenes. I keep saying that, but the one that I love the most <laughs> is a Chewie scene of the one character that well, not the one one of the few characters who has nothing to do in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the many characters because <laughs> they wanted to give all the screen time to these new actors who they did not have a role for uh, <laughs> so we end up with Haldo and DJ and not much Chewie and not much 3PO but like this is a perfect example of why I love Chewie because Chewie in a movie where he does nothing will still have moments where you're like that is absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. like Empire Strikes Back you know when he's piecing together 3PO and they're, they're playing keep away with him with 3PO's head um, you know, obviously, a new hope. There's the little cowardly thing they did with you. Come here, you big coward! You shake his no. <laughs> Which I think this rewatch. This, uh, if, I mean, we can talk about this next week in our preview one and just any wrap up things. But I would probably say the biggest thing I've taken out of this entire rewatch and doing these episodes with you is my admiration for Chewie. Like, I, I yes, I think as I said, like I <laughs> never disliked Chewie. I just I don't think I got this huge because I knew he had a huge fandom. But, like, I just, I, I kind of get it now. <laughs> like, Chewie's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's got two moments in this whole movie. And both times, it's exactly the reaction you explained. Like, I remember the theater erupting for this moment, just like they erupted when, you know, they're, they're banging on the door. And you just see Chewie just blast this metal door right <laughs> off its hinges. It's like, anything Chewie does, like, the crowd really pops for. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's such a fun little moment they give him. Um... This is where Luke sneaks onto the Falcon and uh, finds the dice there that were never oh. really a thing that suddenly became a thing for the next two, maybe three movies. I really hope the next movie uh, they and- release after The Last Jedi explains it because I've been dying to know for all these years in Star Wars yeah. what happens with those dice and how they became to be a thing. Become mentally projected across the galaxy. <laughs> Uh, we're going to find out later on. Like, uh, this is the dice that travels, you know, hundreds of solar systems to reach his destination. It, it's such a, I, I, it's amazing that they didn't sell more toys of these dice, you know? <laughs> it's such a prominent role in a Star Wars movie. How is this not capitalized I, on, like, the porks? Uh, well, I, I feel, and this is a controversial opinion, but I think the Japor snippet deserved more of a <laughs> background story. 
than, yes. than the dice. Because, I mean, you know, Anakin said he, Anakin said he made it, <laughs> but I want to see the movie of Anakin making the Japorsi, but deciding the design, writing down on a piece of paper, like, oh, no, I don't think Padme would like this. Oh, do you think I'm really going to get into her pants in a few years' time when I hit puberty? No. Oh, I know. This is the design I'm going to make. Because that, in all seriousness, the Japorsi, but I think, has had more prominence in Star Wars than these dice. Hands down, yeah. Oh. And... Let's just theorize here that Solo 2, if it ever happens, kind of combines Han Solo and Indiana Jones. You have Han Solo the Grave Robber on Naboo, stealing Chapur snippets out of an unknown grave, (laughs) and then (laughs) melting it down and forming it into these dice. Yes. That's the significance. That's what I'm putting out there. It's going to happen. Oh, jeez. That actually would be cool. Like... We have a swapping grave. <laughs> well, well, you know, any excuse to see Natalie Portman, even if she's kind of rotted and a bit skeletony, but um, like <laughs> it would make it make sense how the dice can be mentally projected across the galaxy and still maintain a physical form I, because it was made by the chosen one. I, I, I wanna, I wanna see. Like, I don't, I just think that you know, out of all the potential cameos we're gonna have in Episode Nine, I, I feel Padme's not gonna be one of them. Padme's kind of that's it. She's dead. Great, cool. She's buried with the Japor snippet. But Thank any, uh, shut up. Any excuse to have Padme return? <laughs> the return of Padme, Star Wars, a new Padme, the Padme Strikes Back. <laughs> The new Padme trilogy coming soon to the Phantom Disney, Padme Disney Plus. The Pad Padme Lorian featuring Baby Padme. <laughs> I was going to say that <laughs> featuring Baby Padme. <laughs> I have spoken, <laughs> and it's just her. Her entire series is just the hunt for the Chapor snippet. <laughs> what happened to my Chapor snippet? <laughs> Zombie Padme. <laughs> She goes to a planet and featuring all these, like, just disgruntled young men. Where's my Japor snippet? I don't like Japor snippets. They're coarse and rough and irritating and they get everywhere. Which is also why Chewie decided to become a vegetarian because Borgs were too rough and irritating and they got everywhere. Oh, it's a gift that never stops. I'm going to miss this line in 2020. Can we continue it on in 2020, please? Like, could this just be the permanent Oz Network thing? We got to get it. You know, that's going to be our first T-shirt if we ever make one. Oh. The Oz Network. It's coarse and irritating and it gets everywhere. <laughs> you know, what's funny is when I posted a picture of me wearing that T-shirt is that I had a friend yeah. who commented and they were like, oh, my God. Yes, me too. I hate sand. And I commented and I'm like, and I just got like, I think they were being legit. Like they hated sand. And I commented and I just said like, why is it coarse and rough and irritating? It gets everywhere. And again, they didn't get the joke because they were like, yes, I hate it when it gets in all different places. You can't get rid of it. I'm like, okay. Yep. You've seen Star Wars. You're like, I hate it. I hate all of it. It's all my friend's fault. Holding me back. Yeah. So anyways, Luke on the Falcon here. Um, why he snuck on here, I don't know. Like, did he just, oh, I just want a, a walk down memory lane here. Like, he wants to forget everything in the past. He's like, I've got to get on the Falcon. He's not looking for anything. He's just there. It's like, hmm, <sighs> kept it us nice. Yeah, it's clean over there. Ooh, I like the new wallpaper in Han's <laughs> closet. Uh, still a couple of Lando's capes there. Like, there's no purpose for him to go on the Falcon. But when he does get there, of course, you know, R2-D2 comes to life. Because R2-D2 is still in these movies, people. <laughs> you forget he's there. Like, I, I... Honestly, when this scene came up, I'm like, I, I forgot R2 was even part of this. Yeah. You know, like, he... And it's an important scene. You think it's an important scene, you know, because 
this is what makes Luke decide he's going to help Ray, but it's so insignificant. It's just, let's put R2 in here somewhere. Like, I, there's another character. Got to do something with him in the next one. Um, but basically, he, he has this nice little, oh, R2, and then R2 starts mouthing off to him. <laughs> And uh, he says, Sacred Island, watch your language. <laughs> we get the return of watch your language. And then R2 plays the Leia hologram from A New Hope. The help people one Kenobi, you're my only hope. Uh, and he goes, that was a cheap move. <laughs> and then he goes out and he finds Ray sleeping on the ground. And she just wakes up seeing him hover over her, uh, which I'm sure is going to be remembered three separate ways come time of Rise of Skywalker, one of which... He's striking a lightsaber on her. One of which she's striking a lightsaber on him. Uh, <laughs> Luke has a thing with just creeping up on people when they're asleep. <laughs> this is now the Luke thing. I hope a producer uh, but he... pulls him aside and tells him not to do it. That's his first official warning. <laughs> Personal space, Luke. <laughs> That's what the fish nuts did to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need to talk to you about personal space and consent. Yes. Two I mean, very important things. <laughs> we have a warning message before uh, episode nine. <laughs> May disturb some viewers. Some few people will get that joke. <laughs> um, so he says to her, tomorrow at dawn, I'll give you three lessons. And then he drops what's an important line in this movie, which is something that I most people hate, but I love. I just think they handle it the wrong way, which says, I'm going to show you why the Jedi need to end. Um, and we'll get into that more later. Uh, but... Um, Back on the the, I keep want to call them rebels because it's the exact same thing. They're the going to be called resistance. the rebels at the end of this movie. Just call them the bloody rebels. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. The rebel back on the rebel ship. Finn finds as they're wheeling Leia away on the stretcher. Finn finds Ray's beacon, uh, which <laughs> let's just backtrack here. I did say I skipped a quick scene. Um, this would have made the biggest difference with Finn's little story here. Uh, because what we're going to get into is him fleeing again, which it should have been immediately following this scene where he finds the beacon. But instead, it all gets lost. So just remember this later. He finds Ray's beacon uh, on the I was going to call the boardroom, the, the 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 bridge of the ship. <laughs> There's another very annoying scene, a, a great idea that was just handled so badly, uh, which is whoever this lady is saying, you know. All of our command crew is dead. Admiral Akbar, Leia. So we get Admiral Akbar just mentioned off screen that he mm. died. Thanks. You brought him back for a cameo after who knows how many decades, brought the original actors back, and then just decide he dies off screen. Um, but she's like, you know, there, there's only one person, and we all know who it is who will take his place. And oh, his eyebrows raise, and he almost like it's almost one of these things where he starts getting out of his chair, and then they mention Admiral Aldo, and he's like, oh, let me sit down. <laughs> In what world did he think this was going to be him? This is so stupid. Like, there, there is no way. That he, he's Even in Chain of Command, he knows there's admirals here. In what world or universe or galaxy does a commander, even in his previous you know rank, a commander outrank an admiral? Because he's so beautiful. But Poe Dameron's beautiful face. <laughs> admiral Poe Dameron's beautiful face. But it's just, it's it's it bothers me... Because I feel like Poe actually has one of the better story arcs in this movie, but it's handled so poorly that you you actually walk away from it like not liking Poe. Like this makes him look like a super douche because he's low ranking, he's mid level. You know, maybe he's high as far as pilots go. But this would be like after they blew up the Death Star, if they're like, all right, so we lost a few generals in the battle. And there's only one man who will take their place. And Luke's like, I'm on it, guys. And they're like, 
General Organa. <laughs> oh, okay. So, guess I don't have the seniority yet. It's just, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it really bothers me. Uh, and then when they introduce Haldo, here is Laura Dern, which, yes, great to see Laura Dern in a movie, but I have so many problems with this character. One of which being the purple hair. Like, we've never seen people dyeing their hair in Star Wars. Like, it, this, she looks like somebody who walked out of the Hunger Games. This is normal to see in the Hunger Games. Just the look of her doesn't make sense, you know? And the the scene she has with Poe here I actually think is quite good because he's basically saying, you know, uh, uh, or, or he's identifying himself as Commander or something like that. I'm Commander Poe Dammer. She goes, uh, wasn't Leia's last act to demote you to Captain? I love the, I was going to say rapport, the, the chemistry that these two have together. Um, but the storyline, again, it just doesn't make sense. Um, he obviously is accepting he's not taking the command or whatever. Uh, but you know, she's sort of talking down to him and reprimanding him, which is exactly what Leia did. I'm fine with that. But where it goes from here is going to get annoying. But they mentioned during this is like, we are all, she mentions, we're all that's left of the resistance. And we get the first mention of the word spark. <laughs> we are the spark that we're like, how many times that we hear that? Let's just do a count. Do the whole. Next year, we do the entire series over again just so that we can count what he said more, hope or spark. Because <laughs> I bet spark in this one movie outweighs hope. Uh, but I wonder, like, this is all the Resistance is. How insignificant is the Resistance? Why is the First Order dedicating themselves? We need to wipe out the Resistance. They only lost, like, a dozen ships in the first movie. And this is all they have left. And, like, we got to stop. There are probably, like, gangs out there, like the Hut Gang, that has ten times the manpower of this, it actually undoes everything they did to build up the resistance of the first movie to say we are all that's left. They really should have made this. We have other resistance colonies out there, but much like we we discussed with uh, uh, Return of the Jedi, how great it was to actually sort of have an explanation, or even Rogue One, as to this isn't just the rebellion, it is the Rebel Alliance. It's a bunch of different little factions that all came together in the end. They should have done that with this. They just said this is the last resistance and there's 12 people there. Yeah. But we only lost 12 people in the first movie. So the First Order should not care. And that goes into uh, that bit before that I was saying, like, make this about, you know, the First Order being on the back foot and the resistance are just yeah. trying to destroy them. Because, again, you're right. And, like, you know, this is where it was poorly explained in the last movie about, oh, let's destroy the Senate and, like, the you know, the Republic seat. Cool. Okay, well we should know more about the the fallout from that. Like, that should be explained. Yeah, exactly. That this is, the resistance is all that is left of that side of things. You know, if we take them out, then we fully control the galaxy. Like, explain it better, because you're right. Why why does the First Order need to put all this effort in? And, and is this all that remains of the First Order too? Like, is this little group, because they've destroyed yeah. um, Death Star, whatever the hell it was. Like, to, is this it now? Is this all that's left of the I First Order? Well, I mean, it's not yeah, explained, think- is it? Like, that's not explained. Mm-hmm. And, and I sort of walked away from this movie kind of just coming up with that in my head saying, I really like this idea that they've destroyed their government, the resistance has been decimated, the First Order has now been decimated, where's the rule? And I envision that the Rise of Skywalker, maybe we are going to get this, it's going to be about the fact it's like, there's nobody to run the galaxy, there's not enough manpower in the resistance, there's not enough manpower in the First Order to seize control of systems or whatever they were actually trying to do in this movie. And there's no government, so, like, what did you do? You just destroyed everybody. But they don't really go there. Which, uh, and, and, yeah, and, like, to, to always hark on about the prequels and the way we do it, 
and it's we're not just doing it to be the cool kids again, as we've said so many times throughout these episodes, but say what you will about the, the Senate and the politics and the prequels, at least you can explain it. At least, like, I watched a yeah. video the other day where it's kind of in the lead-up to Palpatine's Return Next Movie about, it was a five-minute video explaining about Palpatine, how he became to what he is to become the Emperor. And it was all, like, using just summarised versions of everything in the prequels through all the politics. And without that, we wouldn't know. And, okay, we might not need 20 minutes of this, that, and everything else to explain it. But this is just, again, the sequel trilogy's problem. It just undoes so much stuff that's wrapped up in Return of the Jedi. And it just makes no sense. It doesn't take it any direction. Yeah. And it's just... It's just... It makes no sense at all. Um, so... And, like... Uh, like you said, the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy, yes, there's a wealth of you know information out there through novels and animated series and all that, comics. But you just said using only what is explained in the movies, mm-hmm. you can understand the hierarchy, the, 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 the controlling power certain people have, how the political system works, how trade systems work, all of that. And that's all spelled out just in the movies for both the prequel and the original trilogy. And none of that's even thought of here because we're changing directors halfway through the movie. I mean, even just recently, J.J. Abrams came out and was explaining having read the last Jedi script for the first time. And it's like, oh, that's an interesting take on it. Like, he's still a producer on this movie and he had no idea where they were going with it. Mm. Um, Just getting back to Haldo again for a second, like, I'm sorry to be dwelling on the purple hair, but (laughs) when when Poe is like, that's Admiral Haldo, how does he not know where there's 12 people there? (laughs) And she's the only one with purple hair like who did you think he she, who did you think she was and where was she like, like in the first movie like yeah. he, like she was on the base obviously somewhere he's the best pilot in the fleet like if he's that mm. well known like i mean Sidney crosby on the pittsburgh penguins doesn't all of a sudden go oh that's jimmy rogers the up-and-coming <laughs> ford man like oh I, that's what he looks like like dude he's the only black guy on the pittsburgh penguins like how did you not yeah. know what he looks like like it's just something that's like what it would be <laughs> And I mean, it's it's different in the prequels to have, you know, Anakin Skywalker, General Grievous, Anakin Skywalker, I was expecting someone with your reputation to be a little older. Mm. They're in the middle of war times. Jedi Knights are probably not having their identities released publicly. These are people working not only on the same side, but on the same ship. Yeah. In a, what we now know is a very small resistance because they say here, there's nobody else. This is the resistance. You should know everybody's name. I've worked in companies where there were hundreds of people in one building, and I knew more people than Ponos on this ship. Ugh, when you're that attractive, you just look in the mirror all the time. You don't take notice of anybody else. So. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's a burden people like I have, so I, I know what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> ben Waterworth's beautiful face. <laughs> um, what do we even have here? Okay, so the Haldo thing, there we go. She's not having any of uh, Poe. Um, so, again, I mentioned the scene happened two scenes earlier, two extensive scenes earlier, where Finn finds the beacon for Ray. The next thing we see of him is him trying to sneak off the ship onto an escape pod. Now, what the story is supposed to be is that he just has to find Ray. But the audience has no way to connect those dots because all they saw was him pick up a beacon probably 10 minutes ago in the movie, mm-hmm. and now they see him trying to sneak away. And the the last movie, half of his story was, I've got to get away from the First Order. We can't go back to Jakku. No, we can't, we, we can't fight the First Order. There's no fighting the First Order. We need to run. 
And now we're seeing him sneak on this. And it, honestly, it wasn't until this last time watching it where I realized I think the story is supposed to be that he's not running away. He's going after Ray. But it's also not set up properly because we haven't seen him go to anybody. He doesn't go to Poe and say, we need to find Ray. He doesn't go to BB-8 and say, okay, I can't even talk to Poe about this, but I need to find Ray. I need you to get me a ship. He just gets up and leaves. It's just it's it's his story arc, like everybody else's, really poorly done. Um, but here we get the introduction of <sighs> Rose. So again, we've covered it all in the beginning. Not even getting into it again. Um, there are moments later on where I grew to really appreciate Rose's character, not love her, but appreciate her more, more so than I think the other new characters in this movie. Uh, I'll just say that she's not the worst new character in this movie. But this introduction. I, I can't blame people for hating her. I'm sorry. This is just like the Jar Jar thing. Like, there's some great Jar Jar stuff, but when you go so over the top with a character and their introduction, you're going to turn people off. And her fangirling out over a guy whose name she should probably know, like, he's just the stormtrooper, and then she's like, you're the Finn! And I like how he responds, I'm the Finn? <laughs> but, like, nobody should know Finn's name. Exactly. He's not part of the you know and he he hasn't interacted with her in any way they just got back from this big did, did they get back and it was like, all right just gotta let everybody know exactly what happened the finn the, that guy the stormtrooper he's called the finn now he helped us get past the shields he threw captain phasma in a trash compactor he got cut up a little bit and now he's in a coma but he's our hero even if they did tell everybody who finn is he doesn't have a hero story and she's surrounded by General Leia and Han Solo and all these other people. You're a thief, Finn? <gasps> and then when he says to her, it's like, all right, it was nice to meet you, Rose. And, like, I, I love his attitude. Like, uh, like he's a famous guy. May the force be with you. And she goes, wow, you too. Like, oh, it's, just, it's painful to watch. And it's more painful because I know that this isn't the way the character is for the rest of the movie. It's just it's, – it's like – they wrote this scene and then rewrote her entire character but forgot about this scene. Uh, but during this conversation, she realized he's actually trying to sneak away after she, she's saying, I've, tr I've stopped three people trying to sneak away already. I had to blast them with this stunner. And he's like, what? People trying to sneak away? And I go, that's disgraceful. <laughs> and then she's like, what's your bag doing in there, buddy? <laughs> Who are these three oh, other deserters? I want to see these three other deserters. Like, are they in a <laughs> resistance jail or something like that now? Like, is, are, do they have... This isn't the army. I mean, this is like a volunteer resistance. Yes. Now the resistance actually looks bad because they are restraining people against their will. <laughs> when the entire plan that Haldo has that is in place is we're going to escape. And now you're going to hold people against their will for doing what is part of the plan? It's just... Uh, I'm going to use the same word over again. It is stupid. <laughs> Um, this is just, this is just the, I mean, we've had already bunches in this movie, but realistically from now on in, this is just stupid territory in this movie because basically there's, exactly. there's so little, I feel at least with the limited plot we have that makes any sense because this, this Rose and Finn stuff is, I mean, this is the universally hated moment of this entire movie that is just absolutely pointless. And mm. this is, I feel from this point on, just everything is just pointless beyond belief. And it's not, oh, you heard a bunch of people complaining about it and you're joining in. I walked out of this movie, again, more positive than I am now. 
I even said, I told, oh, yeah, you know, there's some things about it that don't work, but, you know, uh, there's some really good stuff. That's minutes after walking in the theater without even talking to other people. But I was immediately like, you know what? The Finn storyline, like the casino planet and that Rose stuff, yep. that has got to be the weakest thing I've ever seen a Star Wars movie. And Same. I've talked to some Same. I've talked to people who don't even really follow Star Wars that much. And they're like, I like The Last Jedi, but that casino planet storyline, oh, I don't know about that. Like, yep. it just doesn't work in any way. And unfortunately, because, you know, Rose is, or Kelly Marie Trans, the new one to the party, she got a lot of the hatred. But some of it has to go. It's the same thing with Jar Jar. It is you cram a character down the audience's throat so hard in such an obnoxious, annoying way in one scene, they're never going to forgive you regardless of how you redeem that character later on. Completely um, yep. When you know she realizes Finn's trying to escape, she does stun him. Uh, and this is a really weird stun. I would imagine a stun is you can't move like Chris Pratt in um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom where he got shot with a tranquilizer. And literally like, he can't move his mouth. He's warming himself on the ground because he can't, you know, move his arm or anything. But here he's just, you know, moving. You see movements with him. He's talking completely normally. And then he gives this weird, really weird line. Why can't I feel my teeth? Like, nobody feels their teeth. It's not a thing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to – hold on. Listen. Can you hear this? I don't feel a thing. That's me knocking my teeth. <laughs> right, Ryan Johnson's iconic Star Wars line. Like, you know, you think of all the iconic Star Wars lines in Star Wars, you know, Luke, you know, no, I am your father. Uh, you know, I want to go to Toshi Station and get some power converters. I don't like sand. It's coarse enough and irritating. It gets everywhere. I can't feel my teeth. Uh, that's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> I'm going to put that up there with the sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. That is one of the dumbest lines in this whole series. And it actually makes less sense because Anakin has a reason to hate sand. You've said, I've said it too. We have met people that legitimately have said the exact same thing about sand, not even realizing it's from Star Wars. Who can't feel their teeth? It's, it's, such a, <laughs> it's not a thing. It's a Marvel line. But the thing is, you think, like, with a Marvel line, like, there would just be a bit of back and forth. Like, you can imagine, you know, I don't know, um, Mark Ruffalo saying this is the Hulk. And then all of a sudden, like, Tony Stark, like, oh, have you ever been able to feel your teeth? Well, that's a Hulk I can feel. Like, you just feel like it's a back and forth banter. <laughs> yeah. But this, it just kind of yeah. feels shoehorned in. And then it's kind of... Like, what, what is the point of that? Like, it's, it's like, oh, I can't feel my hair. Like, I mean, like, if I can, yeah. Like, yeah. like, I have sensitive teeth, don't get me wrong, but like, that comes down to eating hold or cot thing, hot things, you know, cold or hot yeah. things. Speak English, Ben. But it's, yeah, like, you don't, I don't sit here and go, oh, my third molar is feeling a bit <laughs> weird right now. I can sense it in my bone of my third molar. Oh, got a bad feeling like, about this. Yeah, there we could have had a bad. I can't feel my teeth. Oh, I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> Is it, so what's like, that? What was that song by the weekend? It's like I can't feel my face when I'm with you. Like, I, I want my face. Yeah, Let's I can't read. feel my teeth when I'm with Rose, but I love it. But I love it. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> But like, let's just theorize that this stun somehow he couldn't feel his teeth. Wouldn't that imply you can't feel anything else in your mouth? Like if he was slurring his words, maybe it'd be like, I can't feel my teeth or anything in my mouth. Your teeth? Is, oh, sorry, I had that set on the tooth stun setting. <laughs> I should have done whole body. <laughs> like <laughs> tooth stun. I want that re-edited into a new hope. There she is, set for tooth stun. <laughs> 
You know why we're sending him a tooth stud? Because our stormtroopers don't have dental. Exactly. That's what tooth studs are for. That's why we why can't feel his teeth because they don't have dental. There we go. Well, we all, we'll learn later on from Benicio Del Toro that the same arms dealers are dealing to both the First Order and the Resistance. Oh man, I got one of the First Order stunners! <laughs> this is for the guys without dental. It just, it also reminds me of the Jar Jar bit in uh, New Hope when he gets stunned on the pod racer. He's like, like, come on. But at least it's logical with him. It's like, I can't feel my tongue. And he's actually not using his tongue. I can't feel my teeth. And if that was a Jar Jar line, imagine if Jar Jar was like, Miss, I can't feel my teeth. Like, it would be like, oh, fucking Jar Jar. So stupid. Because it's Finn. With his line, like, what is it? John Boyega can make any bad line funny and make it work. This is, I think, the one time where it's like, I, I, I groan every time I say, well, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't carry any humor. It's, oh. I can't feel my teeth. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I can't feel my teeth when I'm with you. And I love it. We got to do that. <laughs> Anyways, um, let's just skim through a couple of oh, the other things can here. Can we please? <laughs> so when he finally starts feeling his teeth again, he gets to do a nice discussion with Rose uh, about uh, you know how they found us here. It's like, they can track us through hyperspace. <laughs> but she knows it all. This mechanic uh, is apparently also a master code breaker. Uh <sighs> Just not with the ability to break master codes. And she's like, if they're tracking us, it would have to be from the lead chip or whatever. And she gives all the signs behind it because we really cared. Uh, <laughs> anyways, so they go to Poe. Now he goes to Poe with his plan. And uh, Poe is great in this scene, although it totally fits in with what you're saying about the, the humor. You know, just being like, uh, it's too obvious of a joke. It's too obvious that it's just trying to be funny. Uh, when they're like, okay, explain it to me again. It's like, all right, so the track is from there. Okay, so we blow it up. It's like, no. I like, oh, yeah, I think he was, I like your thinking, but no. And then he goes on a little bit more. It's like, but the track is from the lead ship, so we blow that one up. No. <laughs> and he's just always like, I want to blow someone up. <laughs> but um, uh, it kind of reminds me of the Simpsons episode. You know, the one where uh, I think it was Patty or Selma, one of them married Sideshow Bob. And Bart realized that they were going to blow her up or whatever. And it's like, and Patty has 60 minutes to live. And it just goes through this montage of him trying to explain it to Homer where he's drawing yes, pictures and he's yes, using puppets. Yes. That's what I wanted to see. And it's like, okay, explain it to me again one more time. And they got finger puppets over there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, yes. <laughs> um, but they come up with their plan here of what they're going to do to uh, now all of a sudden finding, you know, Ray is not even important. Um, but, uh, here we get another scene that could have been done completely differently. So who do they go to for help? But Maz, my least uh, favorite character. Let's and- love no longer. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Like, this is the problem with this scene. It's the only scene she has in the movie. There's no purpose. This is sort of like when Waddle was brought back in Attack of the Clones. It wasn't part of the script, but... It was sort of demanded. We want to see Watto again. So, like, okay, let's fit him in there. Except I don't think anybody was demanding. we got to see Maz again. Maybe they wanted to keep her presence in there because when they bring, if they bring her back for anything significant in Rise of Skywalker, it'll matter. 
But this scene is a Lando scene, 100%. You have her in the middle of some type of gunfight or whatever. Lando's a fighter. He's a war hero. You have her talking about, I'm in the middle of a union dispute. What unions are there in your, your bar in the middle of nowhere? Lando was introduced. Oh, I have to deal with uh, unions and this. That's an Empire Strikes Back line. And then they're getting information. It's like, I know this gambler, this real scoundrel. It's 100% written as a Lando scene. And I don't know if this was originally supposed to be a Lando scene. And like, well, we got to fit it in for Maz. Oh, all right. Well, nobody really wants Billy Dee Williams back. Let's throw Lapita <laughs> Nyong'o in there. But tell me I'm wrong. This yeah, is right. 100% have to change one line of this and it also doesn't make sense that poe is calling moz how does poe know moz she's an old friend of Han and leia's there's nothing in the force awakens that leads us to believe that leia has been in close, close communication with her there's nothing that tells us that poe knows her maybe if you want to include moz you have Poe or you have finn say there's somebody that i know that we could call and he calls moz but poe knows her all of a sudden and then they feel the need at the end of the movie to actually explain to us, oh, Ray and Poe don't know each other. Let's introduce them in the last scene of the movie. Well, they, they, Maz doesn't know them either. But this would make sense. If Lando was in the scene, you don't change one line of dialogue. You get a character everybody wants to come back for. It's just a cameo. It could have been one of those, like the Yoda thing, a surprise cameo. It fits in the story of the movie. It ties into the gambling thing. It ties into the union thing. And it makes sense that Poe knows him because he would have been part of the Rebels or Resistance or wherever it came from. Uh, rant over. Um, we're about to go to a casino planet. Mm. Let's just quickly... Uh, Can we just skip along that the... five minutes? Yeah, well, we will. I want to cover the good stuff before we get there. Um, so we have uh, Ray waking up, or this is the first time with a, the Kylo Ren mind bridging or whatever they have where they're kind of like looking around like they sent something... They see each other. They're running around corners. She sees Kylo Ren or a vision of Kylo Ren. She shoots. She blows a hole into a wall. Um, and the fish nuns, <laughs> you get introduced to them here, which actually don't play as bad now as they did originally. Like, originally I thought, like, what a stupid thing. But I kind of like the fish nuns. There's a deleted scene that's going to come up that uh, – or I'll talk about it here really quickly. But um, – Luke say, what are you doing? Like, obviously, he couldn't see Kylo Ren there. I don't know how he sees him in the later scene if he can't see him here. Because even Kylo Ren's, I don't know if it's this scene or the next one where he says, I can't see your surroundings. I only see you. Oh, yeah, I think it is here. And then he sees Luke and, you know, he hears his voice or whatever. Uh, But this is her first lesson, which takes her up to the cliff. Uh, He asks her, like, what she knows about the Jedi or the Force. or And she says, it's uh, a power that the Jedi have that they can control people with and make things float. Which... I think really works, but could have gone further this because this fits in with the Force Awakens that it's been so long that, you know, people just don't know history and, you know, history has been wiped out. And, you know, Luke's legacy, Luke talks about that in, you know, upcoming scene two about, you know, the the legend of Luke Skywalker. Uh, And he's like, everything you just said was wrong, which is another line that comes up later on. Uh, And this little Force lesson here is fun. Uh, I think they could have easily fallen to the territory of just repeating empire strikes back but they had to make it different he's giving her a lesson showing her what the force is but he's teaching her about balance some of this not going to make a lot of sense in this movie um or we'll get into it later on or maybe some of the theories for the rise of skywalker preview episode but uh when he's getting her to reach out that's funny <laughs> reach out and she's physically doing it 
And then he's at first you think he's gonna be like not with your hand, but instead he starts tickling with a feather. I can feel it. You feel it? That's the force. That's the force, Ray. You feel that? And then all of a sudden he just slaps her, which is great. Not physically slaps her. If you haven't seen the movie, taps her with a feather. Uh, and then he tells her, "Reach out with you." Oh, I, I thought you mean with my feelings. Okay. Uh, so it is kind of weird seeing this these little cuts when she's talking about I see life, death, and they're cutting to all these weird things and seeing plants grow. Like it doesn't feel like a filmmaking technique that fits Star Wars. Um, it, there's a lot of things in this movie that are way too filmmaking. That I feel like Star Wars, you're always viewing it as it happens, and even the few times where we do have dream sequences, we talked about, you know, the prequel end in the um, Empire Strikes Back, you know, uh, vision sequence. That you're seeing it from a character's point of view, and I just don't see Ray seeing a, a point of view of a plant growing, you know, at uh, ultra high speed. It's it's kind of stupid, but the less it is cool, uh, where you know she notices darkness and he says, you know. You know, that's darkness. There's a balance between light and darkness, which will become a problem because he seems okay with this as if it's supposed to be a thing. You know, you need darkness in order to have light. Sort of makes sense, but not in terms of Jedi. <laughs> like, that's almost like he's endorsing, oh, well, we need to have evil. Everything Kylo Ren does is for a purpose, you know? But when she goes to, you know, this this darkness place she sees, and there's the, this the part in the trailer where he's like, resist it, Ray, and the ground's trembling, and he's all shocked. He's like, you went straight for the darkness. And as he's storming away, you know, uh, she's like, I didn't see you. You've This is where they mentioned you've closed yourself off from the forest, which is a cool idea. Uh, it would explain why nobody could find him. Um, but uh, he gives that great line, which you know, this is why I'll give so much credit to Mark Hamilton, because Mark Hamill did not believe in this movie in any way. He was making it very public knowledge. He didn't agree with this movie before it even came out. And yet his performance is arguably the strongest in this whole movie. When he has that line, you know, I've seen this raw strength only one time before in Ben Solo. It didn't scare me then. It does now. And then just storms off. It's such a great moment. Uh, we'll cap it there now because all the good stuff's about to come. Um, yeah. Uh, the chewy stuff, Porgs, hilarious. Been over that. Um, when Luke is on the Millennium Falcon and, you know, he sees the... Uh, does he see the chess set? No, he doesn't see the chess set, does he? Um, he just sits next to it, but it's not on. When R2 shows the vision, I wish they had been like, you know, Luke's got a bit of uh, dementia or something on the island. So he just sees <laughs> Leia and like, who is she? <laughs> She's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and then R2's like, where's your sister, you freak? <laughs> but like, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a nice moment. But again, it's just one of these ones where it's like, hey, look, everyone, nostalgia. Um it- you know, let's show this scene. Um, but yeah, <laughs> he's a bit creepy just standing over Ray. And why is Ray sleeping outside? Was she not inside? Oh no, she's inside later, isn't she? There's huts everywhere. Yeah, like is she just more comfortable sleeping outside? Maybe. Um, the the general woman lady. Um, I think I commented back when we did our spoiler free ones and all that sort of stuff. That Jesus, she has a big nose. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to be. It's just, it's just- insulting is it is very prominent it, but like I, i'm trying not to be mean here i'm sure she's a very nice lady but like jesus christ she could have played like an alien or something like that without any makeup um i, I love 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 laura dern she looks amazing she hasn't aged a day since jurassic park this you know she looks incredible but yeah there is just something a little bit 
off-putting about her character, which I, I and like the, yeah, the look. You're right. I've never seen the Hunger Games, but I at least can I know what you're talking about. And her thing around her neck, like it just to me, she's got a very extended neck. And I don't know if that's deliberate mm-hmm. with this uniform that she's wearing, and kind of that's what it's meant to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, if this was anyone but Laura Dern, I'd probably not like her more. <laughs> um, I just I don't want to be mean. I like Laura Dern too much to be like ah. Holdo. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to add on these scenes, really. Um, yeah. When did Leia have this conversation with Holdo about Finn being... De- do they have, like, resistance newsletters? Like, in breaking yeah. news, Finn has been demoted. <laughs> uh, Poe has been demoted. And the Finn is the new hero only 24 <laughs> hours ago. He was unknown, but now he's the rising star. If we look at our star ranks, the Finn is now number one. <laughs> Make sure you fangirl out when you see him. Um, how does... Uh, so that necklace thing that Rose has got, because, oh, boo-hoo, her sister's dead. Yeah. Is that the other half of the thing, or is that the... I think so, yeah. Not the one that got blown up? Um, oh, yeah, they each have one half. Right, okay. Oh, how sweet. Um, but, like, also, <laughs> you mentioned about Han before kind of being the hero and all that sort of stuff. Like... If he's that much of it, does anyone not care that Han Solo is dead? Like, 24 hours, like the hero of the, like, you know, they're just quickly, and she's like, oh my god, you're the Finn! Finn should be like, come on, show some respect! We lost a leader today, like, National Day of Resistance morning. Because uh, we lost And why Han is it, Solo. like, the Finn, the one that cost us Han Solo's life? Yeah, and, and, and our general, the great Leia Organa's in a coma right now. She was Mary popping it out a few minutes ago, and now she's in a coma. But, oh, ha, 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 ha. And again, I want to know who these deserters are. Like, who are these I other know. two deserters? Um, maybe one was Admiral Akbar. Like, oh, I'm going, this is a trap. And they're like, no, go back to your bridge. And now he's <laughs> dead because of stupid Rose. Um, and, like, why is Rose, again, like, know-it-all, she knows all these mechanics, yet she's guarding... Like, why do they have to have guard people from deserting? Um, and And... If they're so concerned about fuel very shortly, can't they milk the fuel from these pods and then put it in their system and then that way no one can escape? Uh, like, there's no way to disable the escape yeah. pods. They have to put some mechanic on there with a tooth stunner. Yes, exactly. Um, and, oh, just, just, just Rose in general. And like, just even when she's wheeling away Finn and you, they keep emphasizing this tracker, which as you said before, like it would make complete sense if that bit where he picks up Ray's tracker just goes straight into this scene because it does seem like he's deserting again. And this is just a Finn trope. Like, oh, I'm running away again. Um, and he doesn't even mention it. I wasn't trying to run away. I was trying to, like, I think he has a loose mention of it somewhere, but it's not part of the story. <laughs> Yeah, and why doesn't he just be honest? Like, this is this is a problem with this movie where they try and play things out of, oh, we have to keep it secret because otherwise we'll get, you know. Like, if he's honest, surely Rose is not going to care. And in a moment when he goes to Poe and they've got this whole casino thing, just go to Holdo and be honest! Uh, <laughs> Nobody talks here. Nobody! This is a resistance problem. You've got to go to counselling. You don't have any com- communication <laughs> in your relationships. Jesus Christ. Um, C-3PO in the background, like he would... Bit, they need to go to an escape room for, like, a team-building exercise yeah. or something. <laughs> I don't get why C-3PO's in this scene at all with Poe and all that sort of stuff, because doesn't he drop some, like, one-liner or something? Because that's all he does. I don't know. 
And then just like, this is just the Rose character, which is just so annoying. Cause as she said, like, she's kind of like, oh, fangirly. Then she's all like, oh no, I've got to stop you from deserting. And she's all like, I know everything. I know where to do this. I know that. I know this. And then she's going to be like, oh, that's what we're all fighting for. Love. Like, it's just, ugh. it's so cringeworthily bad and shit and just, ugh. um, and yeah, I'm with you. It makes no sense why Poe would know Moz. I don't dislike Moz as much as you do. I think we established that last movie. But again, it's just it's just shoehorned in for the sake of, oh, let's get that famous Lapita Nyong'o back for yeah. a quick little cameo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and the whole, yeah, like the the vision thing with Kylo and, and Rey, again, it's, it's kind of a cool little thing. Like it's a... Again, I always seem to be praising the Kylo stuff, so, and the Ray stuff, so kind of that's not a real criticism. I think it's a unique take on it. I also like when Kylo Ren's kind of getting his face fixed up there by that, um, spidery little praying mantis thing. Like, that's kind of cool. Um, and the fish nuns, like, it just reminds me of Noah. Noah was obsessed with the fish nuns, and he was sharing all those memes afterwards. <laughs> I just love these fish nuns. It's just like, like, blowing shit up and stuff um yeah luke with the whole feathery thing it's, it's kind of funny you know like you feel it you feel it? that's the force that's the force um <laughs> but then the whole yeah i'm with you like with the vision it kind of doesn't make sense I, I do like cute little porg scene though nursing the uh the little porgs but In the um, nest yeah, but her whole thing where she, like, falls down on the rocks and she's like, <gasps> like, because that was in the trailer, wasn't it? Um, And then Luke's all, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I've not seen this fear, blah, 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 I'm scared. Um, Yeah, what happened to Luke? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know. this. Like, I get the story. They explain it. You know, we saw this in Benny Felt Bad, and it's a Jedi thing. They run away once they're kind of, you know, kind of go back to episode three. It's kind of what Jedis do. But uh, I don't know. Like, it's just... He should be more curious about this, shouldn't he? Like, who are you? Where do you come from? And he's just kind of like, oh, no, you're evil. I'm running away. Uh, yeah. I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah. But you know, you know what would have worked better? Because he has a line in here, which honestly I feel like they could have just spent a little more time on this and not made him somebody who's just like, I failed and I'm I'm bitter now. He has a line where he, he – when he's teaching her about the Force and the light and everything and he says, don't you see, Ray, that light does not belong to the Jedi. And he mentions in the next lesson about, you know, the the Jedi are responsible for, you know, the, the Emperor seizing power and for training Darth Vader. It could have been you – know, if they wanted to make this, Luke has come to this planet. It's not just that he's like, I don't want to help anybody because I'm such a screw-up <laughs> – but actually make us like, I've realized that the Jedi ways are flawed. I came here to try mm-hmm. to find something new, like to be to be able to actually it not be a Jedi, but but learn what the force is supposed to be and what the balance of the force is supposed to be. But he doesn't have a mission. He's just here saying, I want to give up on life. And, but when yeah. he has that line about it doesn't belong to the Jedi, you actually think that's a really smart idea to include in this movie. Like, how are the Jedi so you know, pure that they're you know incorruptible or that they don't make mistakes. And I think I think that makes perfect sense because I think a problem this movie does too, and a lot of the sequel trilogy does too, is it it unhinges. And this is where the Rise of Skywalker hopefully will 
bring something to this because like what is what were the first six movies about you know it was really the rise and fall of anakin skywalker to darth vader and his ultimate redemption and this whole balance to the force so you can kind of then argue with his death and then kind of with luke and then kind of like that's it the balance is done like that concludes it but then all of a sudden now we've got rays all of a sudden got force powers i mean the force was never going to go away it was always going to be there and there's always going to be people to exploit it but I kind of think like that would have been a good arc for for Luke because Luke sort of discovers this at an older age. He's taught, finds out about his father, and then ultimately, you know, takes over, becomes a Jedi. His father dies, tries to train some people, but then when he realizes it's not how it's going to be, that yeah, like go away and kind of just regroup and rethink and all that sort of stuff. I think you've got a real problem with this sequel trilogy with this whole notion of the balance because that's what the Star that's what the Star Wars, that's what Star Wars yeah. generally is all about. It's like from the very beginning it's, you know, the one this boy, he will bring balance to the force. And kind mm-hmm. of now we've we've switched that and we're all over the place again and like I I through his whole speech when he's sort of talking about like almost like oh there must be evil to be good and all this kind of thing and like I mean it does make sense to an extent it it reminds me of that um I don't know if you're much of a South Park movie fan but when um Satan oh, singing yeah. that song up there and he's got that line oh yeah. you know without evil there can be no good so it must be good to be evil sometimes up there yeah. the door oh love that movie <laughs> um but yeah like I mean that's actually a great line I've always loved that line in that song because it actually makes sense so um yeah, this is where we're really hopeful that Rise of Skywalker, we keep hearing this, oh, it's going to conclude all nine films, it's going to bring it full circle, and this is our point, that Anakin should be involved in it. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I agree with you. Your point, I completely agree. I think that would have been great. It just, it's just odd. Luke, Hermit Luke, and, yeah, <laughs> blue titty yeah. milk. <laughs> it's all that blue um, titty milk. I was going to say, you're like, what happened to Luke? I'm like, it's the milk. <laughs> it's the milk. <laughs> Drink some milk bad milk. milk and you're still getting over it. Um, so now we get to what's... <laughs> Just get I over this really quickly. Like... You can do this in 10 minutes, Colin. I believe in you. <laughs> I, I can, yeah. Um, so first of all, Billy Lord's helping them escape. So nobody talks to anybody, but Poe went to Billy Lord and said, will you help us escape and go against Holdo's orders? Sure. Like, should she not be punished too for this? Um, they come for the escape and... because. I guess nobody would notice. It's amazing how th- later in the movie we're going to learn that a t- tiny escape ship or a transport ship will go unnoticed by the First Order, <clears throat> but yet they have to cover for this tiny escape pod essentially leaving this ship. Like, why do they have to cover for it? Like, aren't they otherwise occupied? And, and don't aren't we told later on that, you know, small transports aren't noticed? But this is... The trip to Canto Bite, the oh, casino I'm busy planet. Now, Colin. I'm just going to go do something <laughs> for five minutes. You just you, you knock yourself out. <laughs> but like everybody was excited at the idea of we're going to get a new planet. And it was some of the first images that were released. This is a new planet. It's supposedly it's a it's a casino planet, and this and this cool. It's something different in Star Wars. And I think everybody did get excited about it. I got excited about it, and like it just lets you down in every way. I mean. When when roses explain it, it's a place where the worst people in the galaxy, and then you get there, and it's like it's majestic, and <laughs> it's like there's doves everywhere, and people smiling and laughing, and they're rich. Uh, and Finn just has the opposite reaction to it. You know, just the tone of this scene alone just doesn't work. And um, one thing I will say is I love the music. Like, there's yeah. only a handful of music cues John Williams has composed in these first two sequel movies that I'm like, are the really memorable. 
And this is one of them. Like, oh, I, I, you know, got the soundtrack when this first came out, and I would listen to this one. It's only like a minute and a half. I'd listen to this one minute and a half, two minute long track over and over again. It's just so catchy. But we get all these cheap little gags, and you know, we said how like Revenge of the Sith and Empire Strikes Back being the the dark chapters put a lot of comedy in the beginning to balance it. Balance, <laughs> but uh, spark, <laughs> spark of balance. But um, here, you know, we, we had the opening. We're sure there's a lot of comedy. You can accept that if it's going to get dark later on. We're halfway through the movie, and they're as stupid and ridiculous as anything we ever got out of Jar Jar. Halfway through this movie here, we have the drunken, burping alien, you know, roaming around this casino trying to put coins into BB-8. We have BB-8 just going along with it. And, and taking the coins for what purpose? Like, is it what, what's he going to spend this on? The crafts table? Like, he's, he's a, a droid. Prick. We know BB-8. It's, he's got secret massacre desires. It's just, uh, it's so like so stupid. <laughs> We're going to do our own stupid count here. Um, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> They're on a casino planet. They say we need to find this master code breaker. They see him. It's Justin Theroux, famous, semi-famous actor, in a cameo, looking majestic himself, kissing dice. Oh, isn't it so funny? He's like, oh, we're reveling in our evilness because we're rich. <laughs> and, uh. Uh, just before they're about to go talk to him, uh, you get some security. Those are the people who landed on the beach and then ignored me when I said you can't park here. And they get thrown into jail. BB-8 gets thrown out. Let's just do all the casino stuff in one swoop here, and then we'll come back to the Luke stuff. Um, so they're in a cell now, and uh, Benicio Del Toro is introduced to them. Like, I really do love... This is going to sound, you know, wait till I finish here. I really do love Benicio Del Toro's performance for this character. But the stutter, like, why? It just ruins it. And, you know, it comes and goes. It's not like he says everyone's, I'm Benicio Del Toro. It's actually just like he'll have a regular conversation. You need a code breaker? I'm a code breaker. I could get you into anything. I could get you onto Snoke's ship. And it just drops at weird times. It's such a stupid quirk. <laughs> and he's like biting um, on things like a rat. He's all like, like chewing on things. And he yes. has that weird little shoulder shrug the way he kind of like, then he like does a little hop. He's like, he's like the chimney man in Mary Poppins. What is with this with bloody Mary Poppins? <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? Dick? Is that Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins? Is it? Lovable chimney sweep. Benicio uh, Batoro. Benicio. <laughs> I'm going to sweep your chimney. Super califragilistic. <laughs> Spoonful of sh- sugar. Chim 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 but, like, I don't know. I, I kind of like Benicio Del Toro. Like, this take on this character is like, I'll do whatever you want. You know, like, he's a bit of a con man. He's got this, 
you know, cool late. He's he's just being Benicio del Toro here, and who doesn't love Benicio del Toro? This is maybe this is sort of like the the Laura Dern thing with you. I'm like, it's Benicio del Toro. I'll accept it. I just wanted once for him to be like, you know, uh, it's like I'll give you a nice <laughs> honeymoon or something. <laughs> yes, we need to read it. License to kill. <laughs> <laughs> honeymoon. <laughs> um. So he basically says, you know, uh, you know, uh, oh, that, or I guess Finn's like, don't worry, we got it covered. Because it's like, oh, we're not going to take this guy seriously. He's like, all right, suit yourself. And he just breaks himself out of the jail. Why he didn't do this earlier? Like, did he just go in there and take a nap? <laughs> like, he can, he doesn't even struggle to open this door. He just presses a button and he's out. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of things that needed to be set up differently with Benicio Del Toro's character. Much like Laura Dern, he's dropped in this movie with way too much screen time for somebody who didn't come before. And as far as we know, it doesn't come after this or has no real significance. Um, when eventually they, they, he does come out of the cell, not with Rose and Finn, uh, BB-8 has somehow tied up guards? Like, how does that happen? <sighs> Man, BB-8's so bad in this movie. Uh, and he decides he can open the doors for everybody, so Finn and Rose are going to escape too. Um... Uh, during the escape here, who knows why BB-8 went all the way there, tied up all these guards to help Rose and Finn out, and then he meets Benicio Del Toro, and he just starts shooting guards with the coins he collected from the drunken, burping alien, and leaves with Benicio Del Toro. Like, you came for Rose and Finn, they are around the corner, and you leave with this guy? It doesn't make any sense. And him just shooting the coins, just... Uh, it is way more slapsticky than anything Jar Jar ever did. Uh, and then we get, like, uh, in a movie that doesn't have any wipes at all, we get an unnecessary wipe to Rose and Finn suddenly being in the, the, these fathiers, the, the horse stable or whatever. <sighs> a wipe is transitioning from one story to the next or from one time to the next. Like, oh, it's been two days, so we got to do a wipe. And there's just a wipe for no reason here, like like... J.J. Abrams didn't use enough of them in Force Awakens. There were times where it needed and he didn't use it, but he understood the purpose. Ryan Johnson doesn't even get the purpose of using them here. Uh, Rose and Finn get introduced to Broom Boy. Oh, boy. Uh. Um, and this kid is a terrible actor. Like, say whatever you want about Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd acts circles around Broom Boy here, and he had a way more complicated character to do. Yippee! You know, this, and we get it here. Now, first of all, Rose's magic ring. Where so, hey, look, and she presses a button. Her ring, like, it's like a Green Lantern ring or something. So this is glowing with the Resistance symbol. Don't worry, we're from the Resistance. The Resistance is 24 people. Broom Boy on Canto Bite is not going to know who you are. <laughs> uh, and they decide they want to help these horses escape the failures or whatever. Um, because we saw those earlier that Rose gave us this story about... No, they, they they abuse these animals and they abuse children. And even though I grew up on a different planet in a mine and had no you know re relation to these animals or horse races or anything, I know everything about these people. Uh, and as they're escaping, you get Broom Boy. This is worse than any of the whoopies or anything that Anakin does. He goes, go go go, woo! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's just embarrassing to watch. Um, and then we get the stampede sequence, Ugh. which say whatever you want about, you know, overuse of CGI or, um, you know, battle scenes being too destructive, whatever, in prequels or whatever. 
there are no laws of physics in this chase scene. They appear to be going about 200 kilometers an hour on the back of a horseback. How Finn has his balls left after this, I don't know, because there's a <laughs> saddle, but like they should be thrown in the air. They are s- crashing through brick walls and steel doors and everything that should not be physically possible. And then they'll just cut to Rose and Finn, and they're just like, Gently bouncing, like, woo, nice smooth ride through the countryside. <laughs> the, the physics of it don't make sense. And what's worse is there was a lot more to this sequence. Like, it ran, like, five minutes, and there's a deleted scene on there. Like, you could have just cut the whole thing. And it is the only time in any Star Wars movie where I'm going to say this. Like, ten Star Wars movies, um, uh, how many How many do you have? This is number 11 we're covering, is it? Number Eight? 10. This is our 10th. Yeah. So, okay, ten Star Wars movies. I have never said this before now, but this is just an action sequence for the purpose of having an action sequence. It doesn't make sense for the story. It doesn't serve the story in any way. It changes the tone of the movie completely. It is totally forced and tacked on. Uh, and it ends with complete nonsense. You know, they are going through some field. There's guards who are chasing after them. There's two ships. They almost get thrown over a cliff. Because this thing can spot the cliff from about, you know, I don't know, 100 feet out. It throws them off. They hang, literally a cliffhanger, hanging off the cliff. Then all of a sudden, there's only one guard ship, and Benicio Del Toro is driving it with BB-8. Need a lift? It's like that, with a cheap stutter. I'm not even going to get to this stuff. Let's just talk, whatever you want to say on Casino Planet, and all this garbage here, like... It really is the worst sequence in the history of Star Wars. Like, nothing else touches it. And it's not just that there are annoying moments here. It's just boring. Like, everything that happens here, well, I wanted to fall asleep. And I felt like I felt like a piece of garbage watching this because I was, enjoying, <laughs> I was enjoying the movie as much as I could despite, you know, having some issues. And this was the first time I honestly felt like, I don't like Star Wars anymore. <laughs> You know, you know, I, I I felt violated and humiliated and totally spent, Colin. <laughs> More jokes you will get. You, you know anyways. what this is. You know what this is. Oh, go, and and go. you think this is me just bringing this up to bring this up? But I legitimately hundred percent mean this. This is the surfing, this kite iceberg surfing from Diana. Yes. Lake. It just it feels like anyone who's listened to our stuff on um double oh seven. Will know that I legitimately like Die Another Day. I can enjoy it for the stupidness that it is. But even I cannot ever defend that infamous iceberg yeah. melting surfing scene. It is terrible. It does not fit in any movie, not even let alone a James Bond movie. It is terrible. This is yeah. that. It just does not fit at all. And it makes me feel physically uncomfortable. Like, I'm not even trying to, like, be, <laughs> say, like, something stupid to shits and giggles. But it, it legitimately does. And this whole storyline, this, like, I was with you when, when we first saw this. This was the one where it's like, this has nothing to do with anything. Because it, it, it legitimately does not. Because even getting Benicio Del Toro to do, like, he just turns evil five minutes later. And what does it achieve? Nothing. Absolutely yeah. nothing. I'm with you. Like, it's great to kind of have a unique planet because, again, we've talked constantly about this is what you struggle in the Disney era is unique planets. They don't have that George Lucas imagination. But it, 
the thing also is you you mentioned before about how you'd heard that maybe the whole pork eating scene was Chewbacca, you know, animal rights thing, but this is where Star Wars also turns preachy because we've just got all yeah. this bullshit around. Oh, this is where all the evil people are. They look so happy, but it's all, you know, they're all doing evil things. And, oh, I grew up on a planet like this and let's rescue Broom Kid. Like, this has <laughs> no place in a Star Wars movie. Like, none at all. And you can they- turn around and say, like, oh, this is what they were doing in the prequels. It was meant to be George W. Bush and the Empire and blah, 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 blah. like. Even if you are doing that, like, it is so... It was subtle. Exactly. It's so subtle. You can interpret however you want it. This is just like, hey, everyone, look, we're making a point that people are greedy and bad, and there are good little kids, and we should save animals. Like, because I'm Rose. And this is what also just feeds into the Rose dislike for me, is because she's that character that is preaching it and forcing it down your throat. And even if you just watch her when they're walking through the casino, and Finn's all like, ah. Oh, this is so awesome. She's just got that look like, oh, rich people. Oh, look at them. Yeah. Oh, people's misfortunes. I don't mean to sound like a dick here. I've never been rich in my life. So I, for one, cannot comment what it's like to be rich. But, like, there are legitimate rich people in this world who have worked their way up from the bottom, have paid their dues, and got to a point where they are making money. And so why should they be taken down or not just because they've earned that? We all want that. Every human being Mm -hmm. on the planet wants to achieve that. So, like, I don't think you should just negatively look down at every rich person just because you're not rich. You know, it's kind of like, and oh, we've got to destroy them because they're hurting animals and keeping broom kids in the closet. And, like, we've gone through two movies now where we've learned that Finn doesn't really care about the Resistance cause. Not yet. Like, he does by the, the whole point, I guess, of his story arc is by the end of this movie, he does. But every time something comes up, you know, it's like, I just want to, you know, help Ray. I just want to, you know, get away. I just want to do this. I just want to do that. And he has a really annoying line at the end of the scene when, you know, they think they're about to get captured. And Finn, of all people, says, it was worth it to tear up that town and make them hurt. Yes. But it comes out of nowhere. Like, we don't get a transition from him being like, this place is great. And then she's like, let me tell you about rich people. And if she had taken him around town a little bit and, like, look over there, she shows him one instance of, like, you know, a, a, a horse trainer pushing a kid to the ground. And he's like, let's tear up this whole town. Like, there could very well be very good people there. Exactly. And she she turns him into a sociopath overnight. That's my point. Like, that's like that's the thing. Like, Rose is kind of painting them all with this one brush. And, like, as you said, there yeah. could legitimately be good people there. Like, you know, this is a weird comparison. No one likes Donald Trump. No one likes the administration of the White House right now. But it doesn't mean there's not actually legitimately good people who are working at the White House in his administration. Exactly. Don't paint it all under the same brush. And it's like, let's compare it again. Let's, let's bring up another case of hashtag prequels did it better. When they go to Tatooine and Padme first meets Anakin and realizes that he's a slave and she's all like, oh, I didn't realize that this actually still happened. Like, yeah. It's not shoved down our throat. Padme's not on a, you know, getting on a pod and ripping up Moss Eisley and, you know, like, oh, we've got to save it because of love. Like, look at our planet, right? Every country has our problems. Like, Canada would look at New Zealand and Australia and go, oh, well, you do do that differently to us. We don't agree with that. We're going to look at Canada. You know, there's places like that. But we don't just walk into Canada and be like, stop bashing baby seals. 
and like just yeah. kill you all. Like that's literally the only bad thing I can think that Canadians do. That and keeping <laughs> people believing that the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to win Stanley Cup. But it's <laughs> like like we, and we... Nickelback. <laughs> oh yeah, and Bieber. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but like, look, I feel like I'm talking too much about this scene. I really don't want to talk about this anymore because <laughs> feel like, uncomfortable still. It's I so dumb. With- I'm so angry. I want Paul's back. Yeah. I hate it. I hate all of it. All right, <laughs> Johnson's fault. But it's it. I totally get what you mean. Like it does come across as preachy and Star Wars movies aren't like that. There's a subtlety with it. Like you said with Padme saying, I didn't realize this stuff still went on. She didn't walk away from saying, we need to end slavery now. They never end slavery in Star Wars. As far as we know, it's still going on in episode, you know, eight and nine. But they're just simply, let's draw attention to the fact that let's, here's some parallels. This happens in a real world. It happens in the Star Wars world. Here it's like, this happens and this is why all these people are bad. She's never been to this planet. If she said she grew up here, it would be different. And he's like, I'm glad we tore up that town. Let's send him a message. Which, yeah. And I think, like, even if if you're going to do something stupid like this, have it at Rose's home planet. That makes sense. Yes. Or, or yeah. have, um, like, I think we've mentioned it before, make this a storyline about Finn freeing stormtroopers. Like, that would be yeah. cool. Like, <laughs> it's, you know, have it connected to what, like... As much as I dislike Rose, again, it makes so much sense to have this on her home planet because then you understand her pain, not just the, oh, I experienced some of this as a kid, so I'm going to do something. Like, you don't know this planet. Like, you've seen one kid being pushed over with your stupid horse things. That could just be the one bad egg in a fairly well-run, stable community. You don't know. Also, and this should have been pod racing. Just got to say it. Yes. (laughs) But, like, okay, so the movie is telling the audience because most audience members... I'm not saying people are going to be jumping to defend this movie, but most people will be like, well, but, you know, I think the whole point of the movie is that this planet is supposed to be there. This is the way everything is a planet. So maybe it is to the audience, but your characters have to be making decisions that make sense. And from this character's point of view, he has seen nothing wrong other than one guy shoving a kid to the ground. And and Padme saw slavery, and she, like, I mean, okay, hashtag racist Padme, but, like, Padme saw slavery, and yet she just let it go? This is just like where he's like, you know, oh, you know, I couldn't pull the trigger and kill, you know, those people when I was a stormtrooper. But then he goes on and kills how many people, you know, throughout the course of the movie. And it's the same thing here. He's like, oh, I can't believe there's this type of evil going on in the galaxy. Let's tear apart this town, killing how many people in the process. I want to see, like, the the Canto Bite news service, breaking news, yeah. two terrorists have torn through the town for no reasons, whatever. Our economy is ruined. We now have to go into bankruptcy. Thanks, random terrorists. They're trying to recruit children into their army, which they are, by the way! <laughs> oh, God. Okay, um, are we done with that? Cool. <laughs> okay, so, the... Luke Ray stuff here. So we get a great shot of the porks invading the Falcon. <laughs> I love that one. It's got like a little circle thing on its head and it's like, ah, 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 and she was just like, <laughs> and you know, this is why we're honestly not like saying the porks are a favorite thing in the movie because it's the only thing in this movie that's handled with subtlety. Yeah. Everybody feared when they saw the porks, oh, it's gonna be like the Ewoks. Cause like, Yes, Return of the Jedi did use the Ewoks too much. Yes, the Phantom Menace did use Jar Jar too much. This movie has the perfect balance. 
you know, half of what you see of the Porgs is just in the trailer, and the things you don't see are brilliant moments. Like, we see a Porg stepping on a lightsaber, almost turning it on. <laughs> we see, you know, a, a Porg getting eaten by Chewie. We see the Porgs invading the Falcon, and then later on, we see more Porgs on the Falcon. Yeah. And it's just such a funny idea. Like, these things just breed everywhere, and Chewie's like, no! <laughs> like, that's his story arc. It's like, these stupid Porgs, I can't even eat them anymore. <laughs> they spoiled that for me. Um, but... The Ray Luke stuff. So there's another quick scene with uh, you know Ray and Kylo Ren. We have where the water reaches Kylo Ren, like he can feel the water. This is the only thing that actually explains how the dice can be projected across the galaxy. Although there are still massive problems with that that aren't explained here, but uh, apparently you know water can make its way across the galaxy as well. Um, I'm just gonna scan through my notes here. Uh, okay, so they. The next, let's we get more stuff with the nuns. I want to talk about the nuns really quickly because we have Ray with her uh, lightsaber training, which really starts to her staff training. Now, this is actually very smart. It looks great her training sequence here, where she's by herself, she's just you know moving her staff, and then she's like, "Well, let me try this with a lightsaber." And she they have this great you know music cue where they're playing Ray's theme, and you know she's swinging the lightsaber everywhere, and then she cuts off that you know top of the 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 rock or whatever. Um, it's a really fun moment because it also explains how she would be good with a lightsaber because you've still learned hand-to-hand combat. And there, there may be, you know, something still to be explained about, you know, how Rey can do all the things she could do. They even bring that up in the movie. She's like, I don't know how I can do these things. But as far as lightsaber combat goes, this was important. And this would have been something important to almost have in the first movie. There just was no opportunity to because Rey never held a lightsaber or didn't even want to touch it. But – Episode 3, General Grievous, his guards are just droids, and yet they know how to operate a lightsaber. Grievous himself is half droid, half man. He has no force powers. He knows how to actually fight with a lightsaber. If you can fight with a staff, you can fight with a lightsaber. So I like this scene. Uh, now the nuns, there's that funny little moment where the the rock crash down and take out their wheelbarrow or whatever. Um, I didn't really love the whole thing with the nuns, but... I think I love it more now that I've seen the deleted scene. Now, have you seen any of the deleted scenes for Last Jedi? I don't think I wanted to. Uh... Okay. <laughs> I'm guessing if they like... were deleted, they were worse than what's in the movie. So, To proof that Ryan Johnson is not as dumb as people think he is, he deleted the right scenes in this movie. Um, there is a scene where Rey is noticing what these fish nuns are, and uh, you know um, he's seeing they're like going into these little huts of theirs, and there's a bunch of ships that are coming through the ocean here on this planet. And they're going towards the nuns' huts. And then she's like, what's that? And Luke says, those are raiders. They come once a month to – basically he's implying rape and pillage. And she's like, they can't do that. He goes, it's not my place to interfere. And she runs towards this village expecting to go in there and to disrupt this rape session of fish nuns. And when she walks in, she sees music, and they're all dancing and drinking, these boy fish nuns and these girl fish nuns. And she realizes Luke was messing with me, which Luke actually does a lot of that in this movie. We already had the scene with him tickling the feather. It's it's a really bizarre scene, Um, and I think it makes Luke look even worse than this. But, um, yeah, the fish nun getting taken out with the boulder, I think I like that more now that I've seen how much worse it could have been with them. Um he talks about here the, the the legacy of the Jedi. This is when they're in the, the library or whatever. And uh, he says the legacy of the Jedi was failure. Uh, they, they were responsible for the creation of Darth Vader. Or our Jedi was responsible for creation of Darth Vader. You know, the Jedi created Sidious or allowed him to take power. And he's 
she's like, but you turned Darth Vader, you know? And uh, he says, I became a legend because of that. Then we get the flashback, which again, I don't like... I think these flashbacks are done really well in something other than Star Wars. But they don't belong in Star Wars to see something from a person's point of view in a very cinematic way where he's telling the flashback of, you know, uh, you know Kylo Ren took all my students and he destroyed the Templar or whatever. It is interesting that he notes here that um, he took a half dozen of my students and left because we still don't know what the Knights of Ren are. Mm. Like we saw the the clip of them in you know the flashback of the first one which may have very well been a different scene but i i, I hope we get that explanation because the knights of ren are coming back and i think that's what the idea is supposed to be that the knights of ren were you know maybe the junior students like ben was the only you know really experienced student and then he decided to after he took luke out in this flashback or you know brought the whole structure down that he went and pleaded his case to all of the other Jedi students. Half of them said, we'll follow you. The other half said no. And then he killed the ones that wouldn't come with him, and the other ones become the Knights of Ren. But we still don't know that at this point. I think that's a clear setup, though, for what's going to come. Um, and uh, uh, when, they, when they talk about him becoming the legend, you know, it's, it's too understated. This is one of those things that would have really worked well with Luke's character, where you realize he had this legacy to live up to and he hates this legacy and he would rather people didn't know who he was. So he came here because people in the galaxy were getting this idea that like Luke Skywalker can save us from everything. I think he even mentions here, you know, you think I'm just going to go, you know, uh, march in front of the First Order with my laser sword, which I don't like the idea of laser sword being used because it implies that there are regular swords in the Star Wars galaxy and like regular swords are so outdated in our culture that like I'm pretty sure lightsabers are, they even say an ancient weapon. But minor nitpick there. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the whole lesson here he's giving is essentially a very smart lesson. This is why the Jedi need to end. And she says, you know, I need somebody to show me my place in all this. Um, and we eventually after this, we get uh, the Luke actually reaching out. So is this the first time he's used the Force? Because he's meditating here. And we see Leia not wake up, but actually say the words, Luke, and he realizes he's just communicated with her and that she's there. If he's closed himself off on the Force and that's the only reason that Snoke couldn't find him, why are they not coming to get him here? Mm. He's opened himself up to the Force. Not only that, but Kylo Ren is about to have his third scene with Rey that Snoke admits later on he merged their minds together, which means Snoke knows where Rey is, and yet still following all this, like, you need to bring Skywalker to us. Send your Star Destroyers there! Why are you wiping off 24 people in resistance? When you, all you need to do is take care of Luke, and now you know where he is! Yeah, Bad storytelling. Um, also, just scanning my notes here, I gotta point out, <laughs> dumber than the burping alien is... During the stampede sequence in the casino, we get the fat lady singing. Oh, this, this yeah, the booby lady. woman. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. That's so bad. Um, so during the next uh, Kylo Ren race session here, this is where he's shirtless, which made Jamie take notice of him very quickly after not caring about him at all in the first really? movie. And he's even saying weird, that guy, He's got a weird chest. She, she said... In the first movie, it's like, this guy just looks weird. And then in this movie, when he appeared shirtless, I think she immediately turns. She's like, mm, 
<laughs> and now all of a sudden she loves Adam Driver. Uh, but he, he's he's really big too. Like it's like Hayden Christensen in Revenge of the Sith. You see him covered, fully clothed. You don't see a guy who's muscular, or big. You see him without a shirt. Like he's got like a Schwarzenegger, not like rippling muscles, but like he's bulky, muscular. You know? What, why? Uh, I, why is he shirtless? Like I don't know because they needed a shirtless guy in this movie. <laughs> I think that's all it is. But it's just, it's just ugh, Disney. I, I, that's what they do. I just, it's just odd. It's just, I, there's nothing to take away from Adam Driver. Like, as you said, kind of, it's, you just, you have it and it's there and all that. But it's just, it just feels, it's another shoehorn scene. It's just, oh, because, yeah. you know, we've got a, a strong female lead and we want women to watch this. But it's just, it's just one of these things where it's like, it's it's not needed. Yeah. No, no, it's completely unnecessary. Uh, Ray's reaction was good because I think that uh, there's a lot of one thing I really want to give Daisy Ridley credit for is that most people in this movie and all these movies were complaining that when they deliver a joke, it plays too much like a telegraph joke. Oh, sorry, I got the hiccups here. Um, Adam Driver shirtless gives me the hiccups. Woo! Shirtless. But. Um, when Daisy Ridley delivers a joke, like it's the same thing back when she was saying, you know, it's, it's a power of the Jedi have that makes them control people and make things float. It sounds like enough of a joke that you get a laugh out of it, but it has enough sincerity about it that it doesn't play like a, you know, and that's what this is where, you know, she, she just turns around. Could you put on a towel or something? I love his reaction though, when she says that and he just like stares at her and then she just looks away. Kylo Ren's like, I've just been working out. I've just done <laughs> sat up oh, 30 fucking sit-ups, dude. No. Just gotta rub a little oil on my chest. Keep talking, babe. <laughs> I, I do love all the memes that came out after this, though. It was hilarious. <laughs> well, and and also the the way that the fan community has sort of been like, they're setting up a Ray-Kylo Ren love story. Like, I honestly don't think it could ever go there. That's mm. not Star Wars. But it's so weird the way that I walked out of this movie and the way Jamie walked out of this movie. Jamie loved every scene they had together. And she interpreted every scene they had as, like, sexual tension. And I think there's moments where I think they tried to play it both ways. It's almost like the Top Gun thing. Like It's like a hetero version of the Top Gun thing, okay? So <laughs> in Top Gun, uh, which we'll talk about next year, great dream of mine, um, Tony Scott, who made that movie, has admitted – that, you know, some of the things were not necessarily meant to be homoerotic, but they played that way, one way, but they also played another way where he wanted to be like like sports. He wanted this to be like, you know, the way baseball players would slap each other on the butt, but it's like he, he perceived his pilots as being like all-star athletes and rock stars and stuff. And that's kind of the way that this is. I, I found it really weird. I'd love to hear what Mallory's take was on their interactions because I walked out of it not feeling like there was any sexual chemistry at all or that it was intended, but just like these two had this really interesting, like it's all about what can I learn from you and what can you learn from me? And that maybe they're not going to be enemies in the end. They'll be allies, but not like a sexual thing. And yet Jamie is just like drooling watching these two together. Mm. Um, like what, like how did Mallory perceive this? I don't think she really said anything to be honest. Um, I can't remember her really giving a take on it because, yeah, I, I don't think she said anything. But I, I'm with you. I don't think there's any chemistry there. I'd, I've not, I've never seen this being set up that way. I mean, look, I can see it, 
and don't get me wrong, the you know, I think there's it's implied that it's there. We kind of talked a little bit more about it last movie. I can see the shipping of it, but I I do think there's never really been a whole love story in this uh, whole trilogy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, I don't think there's any. I mean, it'll be Rose and Finn if anybody. Ugh, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> Jesus. But I want it to be just, Finn and Poe. Come on. Yeah. Well, I, I I would just I would like them to continue on with this and have it be something in the middle because I think it's a really interesting idea that women have perceived this thing. It's not just Jamie. I know of other women. Women perceive this differently than men do, and it, neither mm. side's wrong. Maybe it was intended to be both ways. Um, but the, my favorite line in this. And I think one of the most – I'll, I'll definitely say underrated because nobody ever talks about this – is when she's talking to him in this scene, again, across the galaxy, um, but she says, why did you hate your father? And he says, not in a way of being argumentative or anything, he said, I didn't hate my father. And, and he doesn't really even elaborate on that. And what we got in the first movie was, you know, he even said to Ray, it's like, I think you'd be disappointed if you actually got to New Han Solo. And I actually like this idea. This is one thing that I think they did better in The Last Jedi. You get a very honest moment from me here where he says, I didn't hate my father. And then just doesn't elaborate. And and in his mind, he doesn't need to elaborate. Like, I didn't hate my father. I just needed to kill him. Mm. You know, because it's all about power and greed and what he can get. And so that moment where in The Force Awakens, you almost walk away from it feeling like, was when he was just so like, I'm conflicted. I don't know what to do, Dad. And then he ends up stabbing him. Was he just you know, teasing him there. Was he messing with him? But now you go back and you realize he was being honest, but he's like, I just know I have to do this. And I, I want them to go further with that. They need some type of closure with this because that one line just got me so excited. You know, I didn't hate my father, but yet barely even mentioned. Um, and then we get his version of the flashback, which is completely different from Luke's, which plays really weird, but again, it's filmed brilliantly. Uh, and, I guess in a way it also ties into the whole, you know, uh, many of our truths we cling to in life depend on our point of view that Obi-Wan said. Because Luke told the story of I was in there and, you know, he was evil and he he brought the whole thing down and tried to kill me. And then we get his perspective where he's like, I woke up and I saw Luke standing over me with a lightsaber and a look of rage in his eyes. And, you know, she's like, you know... Oh, well, that's that's terrible. Well, how could Luke do that? Because she confronts him later on it, so she's buying his side more than than Luke's now. And uh, he has that line, you know, "Let the past die, kill it if you have to." And I think that is also another one of those things that like ties into the whole Han Solo thing. You know, I, I can't I can't ever become Kylo Ren if I'm still, you know, Ben Solo. And the same thing was put in Return of the Jedi for, you know, Anakin. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. And even when Luke says, I know father, or you were once Anakin Skywalker, he says, that name no longer has any meaning for me. And you realize, to truly embrace the dark side and have all the power, you can't have any weakness from your former self. Mm. Uh, So, and I love they included that line in the trailer. During the moment where you think he's about to kill Leia, but you actually realize here, it's probably about Han. Um... Now Ray decides to leave the scene, and she goes, and we get another very bizarre scene, uh, which, okay, yes, so we see the vision of Luke in the cave. This one's just, I don't understand what the visuals are supposed to be representing. I think when you see Anakin, you know, visualizing what's happening to his mother, or even Padme, it's very clear. When you see what's happening with Luke and Vader, or fake Vader in the cave where he cuts the head off, you understand what's happening. So she goes down into the dark side cave here. The bum hole. And... 
yeah, in the bubble, and she sees a never-ending mirror, which apparently reflects on both sides, and she just keeps waving at herself and snapping her finger, and it's just a never-ending loop. And then she says, you know, show me my family or whatever, and you see the shadow of somebody on the other side, uh, and Ray is her parent? Like, I don't understand it. Uh with Luke, when they cut off the helmet or whatever, and you see it burst open and Luke's head's on the inside, it's it's clearly showing you follow this path, you will turn to Darth Vader. You will become Darth Vader. The Ray thing with the mirror, I don't get it at all. Uh, and it's just one of these scenes almost – for me, this is almost like the casino stuff. Like I just – I don't like it in a way where it's it, – like you said, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Like this doesn't <laughs> belong in Star Wars. Uh, but they immediately cut to the final scene with um, – uh, Kylo Ren here, you know, and they're now sitting across the fire from each other. Like, they've really gotten good at this whole let's communicate, you know, across the galaxy. And, you know, she's on the verge of tears or whatever. And this is where they almost touch hands. Uh, and um, they say, like, you're not alone. Neither are you. And this is where, again, Jamie perceives it like it's a love story. But I just see it as, like, there are two people who are actually battling the same insecurities and it's almost like, okay, can he help me? Can she help me? And then it's also like, he's thinking, can I turn her? And she's like, can I turn him? Luke comes in, sees Kylo Ren. Why he couldn't see him before, I don't know. Why Kylo Ren couldn't see any surroundings, but he could see it now, I don't know. And Luke just destroys the hut again. So this is something that Luke does too. Um, this is the temper tantrum of the Skywalker bloodline. We just blow a building in half if we don't like something. And... Ray confronts Luke. Uh, they have a little fight scene here uh, where Ray gets the upper hand on him. If he's again not closed off from the Force because he levitates himself here, so this whole closing off the Force is just uh, pick and choose whenever he wants to do it. Finally, we get the full flashback of what the story really was, where he's like, you know, yes, I didn't tell you the whole truth before. I did come there. I knew that Snoke had already turned him because I looked inside of him and I saw this. I thought for a brief second, should I kill him? And he ignited the lightsaber. And then Kylo Ren or Ben woke up and saw me. And he's like, and the last image that I saw was a frightened boy who Master had failed him. This is one of the other things I think people don't give enough credit to the Luke story arc. That if you are going to have Mopey Luke, he failed him. This this isn't like where Obi-Wan says, you know, I thought that I could train Anakin as well as Yoda. I was wrong. You know, I failed. Or even when during the fights, I failed you, Anakin, uh, in Revenge of the Sith. This is like Luke actually did fail him. Like if Luke had just gone there and pleaded with him, but he had that moment where he's like, I should kill him. Uh, and that was enough that Luke's actually maybe in a way to blame for everything that happened. Like he said he had already been turned, but this gave him, you know, that extra push that he needed to just destroy all the other students, turn the other students, and then 100% turn completely. So Luke kind of accepts the responsibility here. And I love the where he just says a frightened boy whose master had failed him. And Ray debates about, oh, his choice wasn't made. Uh, you know, that your, your only failure was that you didn't realize his choice wasn't made already. Uh, she says, I saw his future. You know, we can turn him back. And Luke's like, no, there's no turning him back. Uh, she offers him the lightsaber. This is where it's like, come with me, Luke. Uh, you know, you're our last hope. And it's like, no, I'm not going to come. So she just leaves. And uh, or I think she, yeah, she says here, he's our last hope then. So they're sort of setting up. This is where it starts to get really good with at least the Ray storyline uh, that 
they're going to turn them. So uh, we'll uh, cover here the next day's happen, which is great, where after she leaves in the Falcon, Luke's like, I'm going to end this once and for all. <laughs> He's still moping. He's about to burn down a tree with some books on the inside, which is very dramatic. And as he's got his flare and is storming through the woods, you see the the shadow, or not even the shadow, the what's the opposite of a shadow? The the glowing, the apparition yes. of Yoda's back, which I don't think anybody really expected. Like if there were rumors out about it, I don't even remember. But I don't think anybody really expected we would get Yoda in this movie. And that's mm-hmm. the one great surprise, even though there's some again, like so many other things, issues with this scene. And just the way they introduce them, where they they scroll past and everybody knows, like it, it just gives you that moment, just to be like it's Yoda, but not show him right away. Luke goes to the tree, uh, and he notices Yoda there, and we get puppet Yoda. And this is the best thing about it: we got a puppet Yoda again, uh, which is the, I had no complaints about the CGI Yoda. I think it made more sense for the prequel trilogy. I think it fits more because of the action we see him in. Also because he's younger, it doesn't feel awkward. They did a really great job making him look like a puppet. But you could not have done this without a real puppet. And they brought the puppet back for this scene here with Luke. And this is one of the best scenes in the movie um, where you know Luke's actually saying, you know, I'm going to end this once and for all. And then I'm going to burn the Jedi to the ground or whatever. And then Yoda even calls him Young Skywalker, and he strikes the tree with lightning, and then just gives his laugh, which we haven't really seen Goofy Yoda outside of the Empire. <laughs> I love his little dance he does, and he's like, <laughs> he's bunging his legs on the ground. <laughs> uh, but this is such a great scene, and um, when he says, you know, time it is for the Jedi to end or something like that, is a for for you know us to look past just a pile of books you think he's about to say yeah it's time for the jedi to end which i still would have liked them to go in that direction where yoda's like the jedi didn't have everything right there may be a better way but you can't give up on that you have to find the better way you and and that's sort of what the scene says but they don't spend enough time really dwelling there you know the jedi did fail you know he says remember why i told you pass on what you learned uh, but it just sort of ends there, and, and then you sort of walk away from the scene feeling like, well, he's just telling him to continue the Jedi Order. Mm. But I think the scene should have been, yes, the Jedi were flawed. You need to keep working towards something that's not flawed. Change the Jedi. I destroyed those books because there were problems with the Jedi. You need to start new. You need to build from the ground up. You know how to use the Force. She knows how to use the Force. Build something from the ground up. I love that he calls him young Skywalker in the scene. Um, and when they talk about the books, he goes, but those were the sacred Jedi texts. Rent them, have you? <laughs> well, no, but uh, page turners, they were not. <laughs> um, he talks about, you know, uh, you know, lost Ben Solo, we did lose Ray. You must not pass on what you learned. Uh, the greatest, uh, this line is like right up there with some of the most iconic Yoda lines where he says, uh, um, the the greatest uh, t- something about the greatest teacher failure is like failure is the greatest teacher that uh, you know somebody has. Uh, you needed like a Yoda presence in this movie because we didn't have that in the Force Awakens. We didn't have any wisdom or any moral lessons. And in this movie, the only wisdom or moral lesson we have is this one Yoda scene. And I still wish they'd gone a different direction, but I'm glad they did what they did with it to bring Yoda back. Um, We'll, uh, 
let's just okay let's just continue to wrap this up here uh so going back to the rebel storyline uh <laughs> we're not calling them resistance anymore they're not resistance we have benicio del toro on the ship basically saying yeah i need a deposit from you you know i'll help you but i i oh, will pay you whatever you want yeah but give me some type of deposit look like, well we don't have anything and he's like well what about that necklace and then finn who she's never really explained this necklace to him Suddenly, like, no, that is a valuable, sacred thing. You could never ask a woman for her necklace. Not that necklace. Like, he knows nothing about this necklace. And he's so defensive. And she's like, here you go. <laughs> Which actually just makes him look stupid. Um, and, of course, there's a purpose why he wants his necklace later on. The type of metal it is can short-circuit Star Destroyers. Uh, and he's going around the ship and... Uh, <laughs> a perfect example of how John Boyega just makes lines funny even when it's not necessarily funny when he's opening everything up and he's you know taking these coins and goes, why are you rummaging around your own ship and he's like oh, it's not your ship you, you stole the ship <laughs> he just makes a line that shouldn't be funny funnier and um benicio del toro gives us a big bombshell in this movie which again i don't know if it was meant as some type of you know political message or you know, preachy message here but I do like this idea. They, of course, go nowhere with it in any of the movies, which is, let's see, who owned this ship? Hmm, they sold weapons to the First Order. Ooh, and they sold weapons to the Resistance. The same people are helping both sides. And then they just drop it. Like, what was the purpose of them introducing this? I have no idea. Um, but uh, back on the other ship, the uh, main Rebel ship, Poe is freaking out uh, because they're down to their last support ship. So, And they're running out of fuel. I love that he's like, we're only down to one ship because you destroyed all the other ones, Poe, <laughs> in the opening scene. And he takes no accountability over this whatsoever. Uh, he's... <sighs> This whole Haldo thing, like this, this is exactly what you're talking about. Like nobody talking to anybody, it actually just makes them all look dumb. Um, he confronts her and says, "You know, you're doing all this. What's the plan? Then tell us the plan." <laughs> and then he realizes the plans to abandon ship, and he calls her, "You're you're a coward and a traitor." <laughs> the word "traitors" dropped here again, and uh, she basically says. You don't need to know the plan. Oh, but you're on a need-to-know basis, mister. Give me your badge. Turn in your gun. <laughs> this is like the the 80s, you know, cop movie. It's, you're walking on thin ice. <laughs> Give me your badge. Country Club 007. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's so cheesy. But it, it makes no sense because you actually have him ready to start a revolt here. And she doesn't at any point say, you know what? Maybe I should tell him what the plan is. Now, this is my example of a movie that did this perfectly. You could have had this whole story told without having a mutiny from Poe and his crew, which why these people are following him, I don't know. Like, we don't have any other scenes of people saying, I don't agree with her either. Maybe have Haldo be somebody who's making questionable moves. Why does she have to be so redeemable? Like, it's almost like in these Disney movies, they're too afraid to have flawed characters. So they don't call out the fact that Finn is actually a deserter time and time again and, and doesn't actually care about the cause. They don't call out the fact that, you know, Ray is 
not knowing anything about the Jedi and just just you know half joining the dark side. Why not have Haldo be somebody who's making bad moves and they have to have a mutiny against her? But then she decides in the end, you know what? I know what to do. I'm going to do this myself. We also have the scene in here where the second last ship is destroyed and they show the last guy on the bridge to set up the fact that you need somebody in a bridge, even though there is no reason we couldn't have a droid drive this ship, which is brought up many times. Um, but this whole mutiny thing just doesn't make any sense. And the fact that they won't talk to each other, the fact that they're actually shooting each other and holding guns on each other. And still she's not saying, you know, this is what my plan is, or just trust me. Here's my example. Saving, you're familiar with Saving Private Ryan, right? Yes. Okay. So Saving Private Ryan, the entire purpose of Tom Hanks character is nobody knows anything about him. They'll ask him and he'll never tell them. And it reaches a point where all the people on this mission just start blowing up at each other and he suddenly realizes after years of commanding these troops, they're, they've had enough. And he's like, I have no control of this anymore. And suddenly he's like, they had pools going, what's the pool up to on me? It's like, you want to know what I do for a living? I'm a school teacher. So he never intended to tell them. It's, it, and it's different. It's not like he's telling them, here's the plan that I've had all along. But if you want to do a story arc about what is a leader, that is what it should have been. When it reaches the point where you're the only half of the people of your 24 people left in the resistance are turning on you, then you're like, okay, you people want to know what the plan is? This is the plan. You should have trusted me before. You shouldn't have jumped to conclusions, but I had a plan. She literally never does that. She lets them think that they're abandoning ship and that they're cowards and they're all going to be destroyed. And it benefits nobody for her to do that. And they try to make her a hero in the end. Yep. <sighs> Which is just, right. it's, 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 it's padding. This movie goes, what, two and a half hours? It's the longest Star Wars movie. And remove the casino stuff. Remove this mutiny bullshit. You can lose a good half an hour from this movie and nothing changes. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, another problem with this is that if you want to establish her as, you know, a character that should be followed, a leader, or you want to establish her as a person who shouldn't be followed, make a choice one way or the other. But here she's actually – she's raising the question we've been raising this entire trilogy now, these two movies, that nobody else has brought up, and they don't dwell on that in any way, where she says, your plan was to use some type of stormtrooper? Like we're supposed to trust this guy? To go off and, and find some master codebreaker, and yet that should be the moment where maybe Poe realizes, or other people realize, gee, that was a stupid plan. Why are we following Poe? This guy was a stormtrooper. <laughs> he could be a spy. He's probably gone with our ship, and he's never coming back. She's bringing up a good point, and they don't actually make a point to make her more of a leader because of that. This mutiny storyline does not work in any way, but I love the idea that at least Poe has that flawed character. Nobody is flawed in this movie. Poe is the only one who has a flaw to his character, and even though his storyline is so poorly executed, I like that they did it. Um, just really quickly, just uh, finishing up um, what happens with the the other side of the story here. Um, oh, first of all, okay, so when Ray uh, she comes out of hyperspace exactly on their position because she's following the beacon is that what we're supposed to believe yes okay <laughs> is it there yet i don't know i couldn't says, tell you says 
Yo, oh, this is her way to find us home. Like, the beacon is how she finds them. The other beacon is with Finn on a ship that has not come out of hyperspace yet. How does she come upon their exact position? She should be on the casino planet. Or halfway in between the casino planet and there. <laughs> it's a complete plot hole. Um, but I love her getting in the escape pod. We finally get to see an escape pod of the Millennium Falcon. Uh, and uh, she basically pilots herself onto the Star Destroyer and Kylo Ren's there. Uh, but uh, just quickly before we get to all the stuff that happens on the Star Destroyer, the plan that they come up with is that Finn and Rose and Benicio del Toro DJ, which why do they give him a name like DJ if he doesn't his name is never said in the movie? Like it's fine to have a character with a name, but like say the character's name and his name's just DJ. Like have we ever had initials in Star Wars before? Like is there a JP in, in Star Wars anywhere else? JJB? Is, is well, I guess it's is he a droid? Is that what the big <laughs> thing is gonna be with, with Benicio del Toro? He's actually a droid. He's a fembot. He's a, he's a man boss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, before we get to all the stuff on the Star Destroyer, we'll kind of cap it there. I just want to uh, mention there's going to be a deleted scene coming up on the Star Destroyer that could have both been the best thing this movie ever did and the worst thing. But we'll get to that in a second. So any thoughts on all this stuff here? One thing I want to mention, because I, I think this is a scene after where you just ended it, but I absolutely hate the moment where you see that you think it's a ship and it's a fucking iron. Like, it's not even funny. Like, so the bit when, like, um, Finn and all that are uh, getting dressed in the Resistance, oh, not Resistance, First Order black drape things, and you, oh, see, yeah. like, and you see this thing, like, this shh, like, landing, yeah. you think it's a ship, and it's an oh, iron. Yeah. Oh, ha, 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 Disney. Hilarious. <laughs> They, they did that instead of giving us a proper wipe. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Um, look, you, you covered a lot of the movie, but to be honest with you, I don't really care because like, there's a lot. Of, like, um, I might just, the mutiny stuff, it's terrible. It's a terrible storyline. I agree with you completely. It just makes no sense that they're withholding this from each other. Absolutely no sense at all. It's just adding drama. It's padding out the plot for no other reason. It it just and by the time like um, Holdo has this hero moment, like it's just it's you meant to just forgive and forget that these two are just at each other's throats and this, that, and everything else. It's just dumb. It's so dumb. Like that moment where they like lock themselves in that room. I might be jumping ahead here, and they like pull C three PO. Like I'm going to tell everyone. Like it's just what are you a little snitch C three PO? You little bitch, get inside. Like <laughs> just get stitches three PO. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just, yeah, I, I just, I don't want to waste my breath on it because it is so frustratingly <laughs> dumb. Like, it's just so dumb. This is just where it's so annoying. Um, the, the, the Kylo stuff and the, the Luke stuff and the Ray stuff does have promise though. Um, and I agree with everything you said. Like, I like kind of the two sides of this, you know, flashback where you have like Luke holding the lightsaber to, to Kylo Ren's head. Like, I like that. I, I believe the Knights of Ren are going to be in Rise of Skywalker, so I hope we actually get a full yep. explanation of that because that was one of these questions which I was a bit frustrated on with this movie that you didn't really get a Knights of Ren explanation because I like that idea. It's a it's a cool little uh, arc there. Um, you know, I, I like that moment where... Because, like, yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's weird, the whole cave thing and the mirror thing, and it doesn't even make sense because the central ray, the ones behind her are ahead of her before she clicks her fingers. Like, it makes no sense, like, how yeah. that reflection works. And like I remember in the cinema when they're like, 
show me my parents. And you see the Steelers. I'm there going, oh my God, oh my God, here we go, here we go. Yeah. And then it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the next scene when they're like touching hands and then Kylo Ren is basically like, there are nobody. Your parents were nobody. You know, like what I mean? Like it's just kind of, that was it. Oh, we, yeah, I, we probably should talk about that. Um, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I'm thinking, oh no, they're just trolling us. But like, that's basically it, right? Like that was the whole reveal. And I was like, huh? But, but like, I, I think, okay, so if you're watching these movies, I've already stated in The Force Awakens that I feel like a lot of the excitement about who are raised parents is because we've been conditioned to Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's father, so there'll be some type of big reveal. And I honestly believe you go back and watch Force Awakens. I said it on last week's episode. I don't think J.J. Abrams ever intended it for it to be anything other than this. Mm. Um, because A, the movie actually shows her being left there with Simon Pegg's character, who's a total scumbag. And like what people would, if they were good intentioned, if this were uh, the idea that people said Luke's her father is ridiculous because sure, that's what led to his you know father turning the dark side. Let me do the same thing. I just want some action. Uh, even if it's my sister, <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's it. She's Luke and Leia's daughter, but, but of anybody important, I, I feel like they've done that. You can't do that again. And I like the idea partly because I feel like people did blow the whole who raised parents thing out of proportion, but also because it fits in with this is star Wars. When we meet Luke, Luke is nobody on a planet. We don't know he's Darth Vader's son yet. He, he comes from nothing. Anakin literally comes from nothing. I like the idea that, like, your heroes, the only way to really be this chosen one or whatever is just that you you literally come from nothing. So it's not something that ever really bothered me, but I can see why, because the media and a lot of fans who probably just were conditioned to thinking this is the way it is, got the impression there'll be some big reveal, and I, don't, I just don't think it was ever intended. I, I, I think I mentioned before, I'm kind of halfway in between all those sides of things now because like, I definitely was one of these people pissed off afterwards thinking there was going to be a big reveal and that was kind of it. But I definitely don't disagree with what you're saying about how, you know, she's nothing. It just, I think if anything, it just frustrates me though that she's just so good at everything and it's not really explained. That's the thing that annoys yeah. me because like, I agree with you, like sort of with Anakin and, and Luke, like that was their arc. But, you know, with Anakin, definitely it's sort of been described that, you know, Darth Plague is potentially being his dad or whatever it is. Um, At least implied, yeah. Implied. Luke, well, clearly his dad actually is Anakin, so, you know, there's that. It's kind of, I feel there needs to be something explained here. Like, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, Luke, when we first meet Luke, he's not, the Force hasn't awoken inside of him, if you know what I mean. He needs Obi-Wan to teach it to him. Whereas, like, Rey, it's just, she's just got it. She can fly a Millennium Falcon. She can do this. She can do that. She's amazing. Like, it's just, that's my problem with it, where I think it needs some form of explanation. Um, I do love when Luke, like, blasts the thing. It just reminds me of, like, a, a dad walking into a room of the teenage son, basically, yeah. about to, you know, half naked with a girl in the room. Like, yeah. no! <laughs> Don't look at me! <laughs> <laughs> That rem- Speaking of Simpsons, was that episode when Marge confronts a fear of flying and she walks on the plane and yeah. realizes her dad's a flight attendant? Don't look at me! Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> she thought he was a pilot the whole time. Um, I don't know how I feel about Ray and Luke just getting into a fight. Um, like, okay. Um, particularly when Luke, like, falls over and he's just got a lightsaber over his head. Um, you know, the great Luke Skywalker and he's beaten by a girl. Not, not like that. I didn't mean like beaten by a girl. But like I, was, I paused awkwardly. Beaten by a girl who's just picked up a lightsaber. Yeah, um, he's the Jedi Master. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of the whole when she leaves and Luke won't come with her, like, oh, we've only got one more hope or whatever. Like, I mean, it's a bit, you know, we got that, oh. didn't we? Hope. That boy is our last hope. No, there is another. Um, it's kind of very like that. Yeah, Yoda, I, I was with you. No clue. Absolutely no clue. And I don't even, like, I'll be honest with you, I don't think it even crossed my mind. Like, if anything, I'd sort of like, oh, maybe Lando, maybe Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, you know, there was yeah. A, there was those whispers about a Ewan McGregor appearance after he did, like, the little vo- voice work in Force Awakens. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I, did, I didn't think it crossed my mind at all. So when I saw him, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Yoda. Like, next movie, like, Rise of Skywalker, like, let's be honest, we're all hanging out for the Anakin appearance. Like, don't, like oh, we've yeah. talked about it. And if that happens, like, you will hear me jizz from the other side of the world. I will be that excited. <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, no clue. But yeah, I love, I love Yoda and his little, <laughs> with his little feet. And yeah, the, the whole, um, you know, read them, have you? Page turners, they are not. <laughs> um, I will say with the puppet thing, like, I agree with you. Like, I think it's, it's important to have him as puppet. It would have looked a bit off putting a CGI Yoda here, but is this the same puppet from Return of the Jedi and it's just aged really badly? There's something a bit squishy about his head. Like, he looks a little bit different to the last no, puppet. I- it's a bit off putting. Uh, yeah. I'm- this yeah, there is something different about. It. I mean, I don't know if it's the original one is usable. Maybe they use the same molds or something, but it does look different. I think that's that's really what they ran into with um the Phantom Menace because you know everybody said, well, the puppet and the Phantom Menace just look too much like a puppet, but yet they had so much more time they spent on it, more money. There were you know, decades of development. I think that there was something about that original puppet that was just so iconic. Maybe it's just because we saw it so many times. And obviously mm. they're using uh, essentially the same one or, or, you know, refurbished version of it for Jedi. They did for Empire because it was filmed back to back. And just any time they tried to read, maybe it's just one of these weird things. Like you just can't recreate it exactly as it was. So it'll always look a little bit weird. Yeah. Good point. Uh, just quickly on the ship thing with Benicio and whatever. Like I hate that bit when he's like, tapping on the the pad like the little number pad when he's like it just looks like one of those fake ones on like a skit on yeah. saturday night live when they're like i'm just gonna type it into my well it's like um chief wiggum on oh you know i'm just gonna type that into my computer <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> it just looks like really fake typing um and the escape pod thing like on the millennium falcon like Everyone seems to love that. Like, am I the only one who thinks a bit like, why have we never seen that before? And like, how is this a thing when Chewie can just go zoom, like drop her off, she flies off to the ship, and then you just see the Millennium Falcon go off into light speed again? Like, it's just odd. And like, are they not like communicate with the resistance? We're hearing they've got yeah. no fuel left. We've barely talked about the fact this whole storyline is around no fuel, and like. Finn and Rose are wasting fuel on this thing in hyperspeed. The Millennium Falcon is wasting fuel. Like, come on, people. This is like, they've got some blame to be shared around here. Maybe instead of Finn and Poe and Rose coming to the, we're going to go find a master code breaker. We're going to break onto a Star Destroyer. We're going to hack their ship and we're going to lower their tracking thing. Maybe they could be like, you know what? Go to Canto Bite. Pick up a couple of liters of fuel, yes. and then plug it right into the ship. <laughs> like that's a that's a brilliant point. Like, don't get a code breaker. Go get some fuel. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Call into a BP on the way in or something like that. Just pop in and f- fill in fill in a few I just, canisters. I just want them to be like, you know, okay, they're not going to be able to track a small ship, a small escape ship like Rose and Finn took. So hop into a spacesuit. 
take a hose and go siphon some out of the Star Destroyer's tank. You know, they're not going to notice you there. Just suck it up. I want the escape pod, and I want some, like, uh, First Order person on a ship going like, Oh, look at that one. Oh, we don't see any life forms in it. Oh, I know this. Yeah. This sounded familiar to something in the past. We're not taking any chances this time. Pew, pew, pew. It's a trap. <laughs> we, wasn't this written in the great empire logs about how we could have avoided our own death about that one escape pod 40 years ago? Pew, pew, pew. All right. Oh, my goodness. Yes, let's, let's close this movie out. We've only got an hour to go. <laughs> Just imagine, though, if they had shot her escape pod out of the sky, and just before they did, they cut to a guy who goes, McClunky! <laughs> you know, I was, actually, I was actually thinking of something random the other day. You know, in The Phantom Menace, when um, Watto rolls the chance cube, I just happen to have a chance cube! And, you know, yeah. like, Red, the mother, the... What, what happens if, like, Qui-Gon's uh, powers didn't work and he ended up with Shmi? Do you think Darth Vader would have been... Yeah, well, exactly. Do you think Shmi would have been Darth Vader? Like, we would have had a whole different saga. Like, I just randomly thought of that the other day. I don't think anyone's ever debated that. That's another episode, but um, that could have been a whole other story. We have Shmi going, I hate them. I hate all of them. And then Anakin's like, mother, old mother, look at you. You've grown so much. Anyway, side track. old. You're so old. This is why, as I said, we've got an hour to go. Uh, and this is why it takes us five hours to cover every single hour in these movies. <clears throat> All right. Ready for it. Okay. Yes. So here we go. Sneaking on the Star Destroyer. Now, I love this idea. I honestly wish they had cut all the Canto Bite stuff and just had the mission sneaking on the Star Destroyer. Because the extended scene that's on the Blu-ray that I mentioned earlier... I think would have made this a better scene if they cut at the right time. But if you actually watch the deleted scene, you realize that it may be the worst thing Ryan Johnson filmed, even more than the fish nuns having a dance party. Um, because you get an extended sequence where after they, you know, steal the uniforms or whatever and cover BB-8 with a trash can that apparently <laughs> fools people into thinking he's a droid. Uh, there's a much extended walk as they're having to go through all these consoles and past, you know, dozens and dozens of stormtroopers and officers and everything. And it's, it's filmed in a really tense way where I was watching this deleted scene. I'm like, it's almost like that, the one shot, I think we mentioned the Phantom Menace, um, where, you know, just before the Anakin scene, <laughs> after they left Shmi, you know, there's a scene where, where Darth Maul's probe droid is following them and Qui-Gon cuts it in half and said, we need to move quick, Anakin. I don't even remember if we talked about that. But, like, little things where it's like, oh, this really would have increased the tension. And it just goes on and on and on as there's – they have this look like everybody's looking at me. And then there's this one officer who kind of sees Finn and Benicio and Rose and starts following them. And they get into an elevator and they're just trying to hold their cool. And the guy's, like, not saying anything but just about to reach the elevator just before the doors close. And then the doors close and, like, whew, we got it. And then the doors on the back side of the elevator open, and you have this whole squad of stormtroopers that come in there. And they're just like like sweating and breathing heavy, like, don't look, don't look. <laughs> and all of a sudden, one of the stormtroopers leans forward and goes, FN2187. <laughs> and this was the Tom Hardy cameo that was never identified. Uh. You know, because it was, they all said, okay, there's the Daniel Craig one, we have a Tom Hardy cameo, and it's going to be a stormtrooper as well. And, the and it was cut Charles from Charles and Prince Harry, too, weren't they? Cut Harry, as well? yeah. Well, not, not Charles. <laughs> Harry and oh, William. The other one. <laughs> you can tell that stormtrooper is walking a bit slow. Andrew was in there uh, feeling up a couple of female officers, but they decided to cut that. <laughs> but then he gave a terrible train wreck interview, stepped down from duties, and he was fine. But um, 
it, it keeps going on like this where I'm like, this scene's incredible. And he's like, FN2187, I remember you. And then Finn turns around, he's like whispering, it's like, don't do this, don't do this right now. And he's like, and he just keeps leaning in and leaning in. And then you're like, this is the most brilliant scene ever. Like, why didn't they have this? And all of a sudden, Tom Hardy Stormtrooper goes, Hey, old buddy, I knew you'd make an officer one day. Woo, good job. And he cuts into this, like, really elaborate Texas accent. And he's, like, elbowing, nudging him, like, hey, hey, good job. Moving up in the ranks there, FN2187. Did you get dental? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. Now you get the dental. <laughs> I hope to be there one day. <laughs> uh, but it's like it totally ruined this brilliant scene. I just I wish that include the scene in the movie because there needs to be more stuff on the Star Destroyer. I even remember seeing the trailers. I'm like, oh, this would be great. But it's next to nothing in the movie. Uh, when they eventually in the deleted scene leave the elevator because Texan Tom Hardy <laughs> decides he's, he's not like proud um, of his old friend Arnie's. He was it Sergeant Coffee or what was his name in Terminator Three in the deleted scene? I'm Sergeant so, Candy well, yeah. or whatever. I'm Candy. <laughs> Look, it's me. <laughs> no, honestly, the accent is exactly the same. Like, as soon as we're done this episode, or even if you have a chance, just watch the deleted scene just to hear this terrible accent. Um, but uh, in the real movie, uh, Benicio is trying to get into some control panel, and he shorts the panel out with Rose's necklace because it's some type of magical necklace maybe this was a Chapur snippet. It's the same metal. It's, that's why, you know, Anakin thought this was so valuable to give Padme. Uh, and then he just gives it back to Rose. So you're like, okay, I get the purpose of this character. You think he's a bad guy. You think he's a good guy. You think he's a bad guy. You think he's a good guy. They really went somewhere with it. And then they'll ruin it on the end, of course. Uh, so he's doing his hacking thing, trying to shut down the tracker. Uh, so they, cause they could track them through hyperspace. <laughs> Uh, and all of this is going on. There's the mutiny on board the rebel ship and, uh, you know, Poe's about to take control, uh, and, uh, C-3PO tries to stop him where Poe's trying to get the 3PO to help them. And he's like, no, it's against my programming to take part in a mutiny. And then he's like, C-PO, 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 three C-PO, sit down. <laughs> And then he's like, no, it's not correct protocol. <laughs> then they just close the door on him. We get a few 3PO moments in this movie. Um, during the mutiny, uh, Leia all of a sudden emerges and pulls like, General Organa. And then she blasts him with a tooth stunner. <laughs> he's like, oh, I can't feel my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we find out, uh, well, going back and forth between the ship and uh, the, the Star Destroyer. On the Star Destroyer, uh, they are about to shut down this track or whatever, and then all of a sudden, Phasma and her crew are there. Phasma's in this movie, and I remember the next day going into work after this uh, this movie, or having seen the movie, and, and people were like, oh, was the movie good? And I actually was sort of like shaking my head like, uh, I think they jumped the shark. And they're asking questions like, yeah, you know, I'm excited to at least see because I think they wasted Phasma in the first movie. And I heard that she has a much bigger role in this movie. I'm like, it is a much smaller role. Yeah. Like, she has maybe three lines. Um, they, they do what they can with her. I mean, she still has more to do in this movie than the other one. Uh, but, of course, she's, you know, holding them hostage now. Uh, and during all this where, you know, Phasma and Finn have their showdown, you know, they realize that Benicio del Toro sold them out. And he accepted some payment. He even explains it off and says, you know, they caught us and I cut a deal. And you realize that he told them about 
these transports trying to leave. So Leia's plan on the rebel ship is that they're loading these transports and somehow they can cloak it because <laughs> they don't have windows on a Star Destroyer to see these giant ships with giant blue <laughs> glowing jets. And like, they'll never spot us. Poe's even like, that's a brilliant plan. Why didn't I think of that? We could hide out on the planet. <laughs> yeah, and we're cloaked, so they'll never see us. But there's windows, people. <laughs> but Benicio clues them in. No, they're actually cloaking the ships. So no, we ran the the uncloaker, the decloaker, and now we know their plan. <laughs> it's just new tech in all these movies that didn't have to exist in the originals. Um, and uh, I'm going to do the Kylo Ren stuff separately, but, uh, you know, during this, there's an escape. Benicio del Toro has a nice little scene, and this is what I do like about his character, like this flip-flopping without the stutter, where you know Finn and him are having this debate, and he says uh, something along the lines of, you know, this is just the way it goes. You know, you blow them up today, they blow you up tomorrow. It's just business. And then, you know, Finn says something like, you're wrong, and Benicio del Toro just sort of shrugs and goes, maybe, and then just walks away. And then that's the end of his character. What happens from this point on is Phasma and Finn are about to fight, but during the process of this whole escape, there's BB-8 <laughs> people up piloting an ATST walker or whatever it is, which again is so implausible and just puts BB-8 completely into the cartoony category during a sequence that's very dramatic in this movie. Every time Ryan Johnson hits on something, he ruins it with some dumb cartoony joke yeah. and this is how i would rewrite this movie you have that line where Benicio torres just like maybe and just walks away you have this whole fight scene starting with phasma and finn which is a decent fight scene other than the fact that he says let's go chrome dome <laughs> <laughs> like we have to have like chrome dome and yo mama jokes in a star wars movie seriously um but why not have in the midst of the escape benicio toro has boarded his ship and during this whole battle, all of a sudden, Benicio Tor, who's leaving, turns his blasters and starts shooting, allowing them to escape. So you realize he did sell them out, but he's still going to help them. That actually further reinforces his whole character of being the Lando type, where it's like his allegiance could be anywhere. And you don't have this cartoony moment with BB-8. And maybe BB-8 just helps, you know, uh, Finn and Rose get out of there by, you know, uh, opening a couple of doors. But, like... There should have been involvement for Benicio del Toro in this escape because he just disappears. And again, as far as we know, he doesn't even appear in Rise of Skywalker. As this is all going on, as the ships are getting destroyed, one person had to stay behind. So, of course, Leia and Holdo get their last little goodbye for these two characters who did have never met on screen. She woke up. Sorry to interrupt, but did we even mention that Leia woke up? She woke up and blast tooth stunned. Oh, oh, you did. Sorry. I did, and, I, you, I did laugh at that joke. Clearly, I was zoning and, out. <laughs> Just like the last Jedi. All right, this bit. Okay. And to make it worse, they have this weird thing where, where as Poe's being, you know, uh, stretchered away, Haldo even says, I like him. And Leia's like, me too. Like, you just had the standoff with him and shot him and refused to tell him a plan as he's committing a mutiny and ruining your plans. Oh, I like him. Like, it, none of these characters' actions match what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so Haldo has to stay behind. Now, here I'm going to... People will say, oh, this is a plot hole. A droid could have stayed behind a pilot of the ship. Because the whole plan is that Haldo is piloting the ship, and she's going to put this thing into hyperspace and blast it right through the Star Destroyer, breaking it in half, which is everything that happens during you know Finn's escape and Ray's escape that we'll get to in a second. Now, 
okay, let's just say for argument's sake, you needed a human to do it. Fine. Um, the other characters on the First Order side actually tell you the opposite. Because they say, you know, as they're trying to go after now the transports they're escaping, they say, you know, the giant ship, they're like, their, their main ship is turning on us. It says, it's empty. Don't worry about it. So the, they know that it is possible for the ship to be operated without a human because the ship's turning around and they actually state to the audience, nobody need, a person doesn't need to stay behind a pilot. That Like, they state it to the audience. So then this is 100% a plot hole because Hux told us a human doesn't need to pilot the ship. Nevertheless, it's a great moment. Haldo puts it in hyperspace. The music cue, the flash of light, mm, you know, the, the breaks up the silence. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, it's beautifully done. So this is kind of the start of some really great stuff Ryan Johnson's doing. Uh, and after this thing breaks apart, you know, uh, Hux has to leave. <laughs> Finn and Rose just find the one shuttle that's still standing there. And of course, they survive, but none of the hundreds of other stormtroopers did. And you have this, again, really cartoony-looking sequences. They're riding on the back of an ATSD walker with BB-8 through all this wreckage. While this is all going on, we get the showdown with Kylo Ren and Rey and Snoke. So as Ren's about to bring Rey before her, they have their little back and forth where she says, you know, you don't have to do this. I saw your future. You know, you will turn on Snoke. And he says, no, I saw your future. You're going to join me. And that sets up this, again, absolutely brilliant scene. And Andy Serkis, like, for, for a small role, he made this feel bigger. It wasn't until I had to write notes that I realized how little screen time he has in this movie. He probably has only a few minutes more than he had in Force Awakens. Now, he's physically there as opposed to being a hologram, but his screen time is very minimal. And even this scene is a lot shorter than I remembered. He basically goes in there and starts giving a lot of his talk about – I've mentioned this in past episodes where my theory – which we're probably by the, a week from now or two weeks from now when we're reviewing Rise of Skywalker are going to realize it was so off base, but I still think it's a great theory. He mentions that as Kylo Ren grew stronger, he knew that the equal in him on the light side would rise up against him, which sort of fits into my theories that there is the balance of the force is literally one side will never have power over the other. There will always be light. There will always be dark. They're just... They, they, those two sides, there will always be somebody representing light, somebody representing the dark. And therefore, when you destroy the Emperor, the dark side just found somebody else. And when Luke closed himself off in the Force, the Force found somebody else in Rey. Uh, but he says, I assumed it would be Luke. But this entire scene, the plot hole here is that, as I mentioned earlier, Snoke is saying, you will bring Skywalker to me. Now, he admits here he's the one that merged their minds. He's like, I stoked Kylo Ren's insecurities. You know, I... Merge your minds together. So he could not only sense Ray, he knew where she was. He could bring their minds together. He knew Luke was there. So why is Luke having to come to him? He knows where Luke is. He could have sent his entire fleet there to destroy Luke and Ray with nobody of fish nuns to save them. <laughs> and instead, he just involves himself in this whole battle. Like the, the plot does not make sense in this. Um, the. Snoke thing kind of has that one brilliant visual where he's levitating her in the air backwards. And this was that trailer shot, which they actually played the different audio over where he goes, mm. you know, fulfill your destiny, which was actually lined to Kylo Ren. But here I think he's just saying, you know, you will bring Skywalker to me. But that shot of her where she's like on her back floating in the air and, you know, he's 
stretched out his hand. And he's like mind reading her, whoever is he's doing, and she's just screaming. It's just a, a brilliant image. Uh, and then we sort of get Snoke's arrogance here, where he's like, "I am all powerful. You know, I, I've seen what will happen. Kylo Ren, you know, uh, uh, will destroy you and do this and this. He's going to kill it. He even drops the line. He will kill his true enemy." And you see Kylo Ren levitating the lightsaber here. And he ignites the lightsaber with the Force and cuts Snoke in half, which is done very effectively. And a lot of people are still upset that we didn't get either a proper backstory of Snoke or a proper build to the character, which I do see on a rewatch. I think, though, that he is the most interesting character to ever be underdeveloped in Star Wars. And I don't think we need a full... I think we'll need some explanation about where he came from or why he had powers or if he was just a puppet of Palpatine. You know, maybe Palpatine was mind-controlling him the whole time. Maybe Palpatine, you know, was somehow possessing him. And once Snoke dies, Palpatine just has to possess somebody else. Like, who knows? There's tons of places they could go with this. But uh, I, I kind of like the whole mystery. And, and then the shock of them just cutting him dead there. Then we get this, again, another brilliant standoff is the guards, these, these you know, um, Snoke's royal guards have the closest thing to a lightsaber battle in this movie. And a lot of fans complain there's no lightsaber battle. I didn't walk away from this movie feeling like I missed a lightsaber battle. Because we get this scene, which is very close to a lightsaber battle. It's shot brilliantly. It's it's very long shots. Not a lot of cutting. You see, like, the actual athleticism of Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley here doing all this choreography with the, the guards. There's some great kills in there. I love when the one guard kind of, his weapon turns into this chain and just starts slowly bringing Ray closer and closer to him. Uh, and, you know, during the standoff of Ray and Kylo Ren fighting together, you know, Ray's about to be killed, and <laughs> Kylo Ren does this thing where, or I think it's Kylo Ren, where he's he's about to be killed, and he brings the lightsaber towards his hand, and then ignites it for a split second and stabs the guy through the eye like yeah. that. We're some unique kills here that we've never seen before, and that's something I think that Ryan Johnson did bring to this series that J.J. Abrams lacked. There was... There is originality in this movie that's good. There's originality that's bad, and there's originality that's good. Um, but uh, at the end of this, we get the 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 showdown between these two as she's saying, you know, you, you should come with me. And he's like, no, you need to join me. You know, we could be powerful enough. We can rule the galaxy as um, non-sexual partners or whatever it's supposed to be. <laughs> And at Driver's performance, like I'm not going to you know, undersell Daisy Ridley's performance. Her performance, without saying a word, is incredible. But Adam Driver, the way that he just explodes out of nowhere, like he, he has this thing where he just switches himself on and off. When you get him talking quietly and then just one word in the sentence will just be an explosion. It's just amazing. Uh, and this sort of goes through the whole, you know, the truth about your parents. Uh, with people who are still saying, oh, well, he was lying to her about that. I mean, he asks her, he says, you know, you know the truth about your parents. You've known the whole time. And she's the one who says they're nobody. And he says, you came from nothing. You are nothing, which it, it, it works as him antagonizing her, but also just sort of, I love her being nothing. <laughs> and and I also think we mentioned it in the Force Awakens episode, not only do we see the flashback of her being abandoned by somebody with this scummy junk trader, but Maz also says those the people who left you are implying her parents. They're never coming back for you. He says that they're they're they were drunks. They sold her. They are dead, buried in the desert of Jakku somewhere. She sort of realizes this is true. Personally, I like that. Um, and it sort of ends with her him stretching out his hand, saying, "Come with me." 
But by the time we cut back to them, it's just him there lying on the floor, and Hux is like, what happened? And he goes, she, that girl, killed the Supreme Leader, <laughs> and she stole the shuttle and escaped. Hux is, like, trying to assume command here, and then Kylo Ren, you know, totally destroys the man and is choking him, and he says, I love the way this is played. The Supreme Leader is dead, and then Hux being choked is just like... Like, all hail the Supreme Leader or whatever the, the next line is. What is it when they pass royalty from one person to the next? Long live the Supreme Leader. That's what it was. So this whole section of the movie, I think, is good. It's it's a welcome break in action that's not sloppy like the Canto Bite stuff. It's not too comical like the opening space battle. I don't think anything here is handled absolutely right except for the Ray Kylo Ren uh, fighting together and then their back and forth banter about come with me, no, you come with me. But still, I think this is where the movie really picks up and I actually enjoy watching it. Let's get the bad over and done with. Um, yeah, I, I I think a lot of stuff in this movie that also can be considered wrong is there's a lot going on that's rushed through, I feel. Um, and I'll get to that with the Ray and Kyla stuff, because, like, again, I don't want to talk down on some of the best stuff in the movie, but you, you talk about sort of building the tension with, um, you know, Finn and Rose and Benicio kind of walking through it. It, it just feels very rushed, because, like, they've just landed, and they're there, and they're boom, and everything. And, I mean, again, let's... Wouldn't it be nice to have an extended sequence with tension, where yeah. <laughs> they were having to evade? <laughs> yeah, well, like, I mean, you can take all the casino stuff out, and have, I mean, think about A New Hope when they landed the Death Star, you know, and just kind of all of that, even just the scenes of... Obi-Wan, the way he's kind of sneaking around, like that, that's probably about the same length, but it feels so much more tension-filled. Mm-hmm. And I also think there's... I don't know if this is a Ryan Johnson style, if this is just a Disney sequel style, but they use a lot of these tracking shots, like sort of following um, people when they're walking, and kind of... You've even got the, when Benicio Del Toro's got his little Japor snippet breaking into the thing. You've kind of got this shot where you, you get the camera and it sort of tracks from Finn and it pans around the corner to Benicio Del Toro. And, like, I'm not saying that's a bad filming style, but it just feels odd in a Star Wars movie. You don't see a lot of that style of filming. It's kind of you generally have cuts to people and just it's little things like that that I think kind of put me off and it makes things feel a little bit different and kind of going back to that it feels out of place in a Star Wars movie sort of opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And just all of this kind of stuff, like you talk about how Ryan Johnson takes something and all of a sudden just throws pointless comedy into it. There's that bit where BB-8's in the little trash bin and he comes out of the elevator and bangs into the wall. Like, I know we've sort of had moments like that in the past in Star Wars. Like, you know, in A New Hope, again, like Chewie roaring at the little mouse bot thing, you know, like things like that. But mm-hmm. like this, again, it's just in a movie where it's so heavy filled. I mean, again, we literally had an iron pretending to be a spaceship five seconds ago. Um, one little <laughs> moment, though, that I do like is I like it when BB-8's first in the trash bin and he just randomly runs into a stormtrooper. And that stormtrooper kind of hops on his leg, turns around and looks as if to say, like, excuse me. And yeah. just, <laughs> I want it to be like um, the... The other C-3PO in Empire Strikes Back. Etuta! How rude! <laughs> <laughs> you watch your language! <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I agree with you with the the Benicio Del Toro sequence because the, you just got that really odd scene when he grabs the Japor snippet and turns it and then you've got, like, Rose's look on her face like, oh, he's so good. And then Finn's little, like, <laughs> acknowledgement of, like, oh, I was wrong about him. He's actually a genuinely nice guy. Like, 
It's for nothing. It is for absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And particularly, again, if he's not appearing in The Rise of Skywalker, what is his purpose? And it really annoys me then when they're held hostage and, like, Rose, like, when she realises he's a traitor, is acting like this is her dad who he's known for, like, 50 years. And she's all like... It's like, dude, you just met this guy. What is it about this trilogy about people meeting people? Again, this has been 30 hours since the beginning of The Force Awakens and people are acting like, you know, they would be terrible at Survivor. (laughs) Just like the audience, they don't even know his name. Yes, exactly. Um... And, oh, God, yeah. But I agree, yeah. I think it would be great if Benicio Del Toro helped them escape. I think that would be a kind of a cool thing. And then maybe just a little acknowledgement nod, like, as if to say, like, yep, I was with you the whole time. I agree with your values. Because mm-hmm. it is a cool line when he says, like, you know, I kill them today, I kill you tomorrow, or whatever it is. Like, it's great. Like, it really is great. Um, I do like the stormtroopers, kind of the way they're all standing there. And I like how we've got executioner stormtroopers. Like, I think that's yeah. a cool thing. Like, again, explore this more. You've got these great ideas. Phasma's a great idea. Executioner stormtroopers is a great idea. But we just don't expand on it. Like, it's just there's something missing there. Um, mm-hmm. Phasma, what can you even say? Ugh, it's just a waste I still don't believe somehow she's dead. I mean, I thought she was dead in The Force Awakens and Mm. that shot when her face is, like, burnt off and you see into her eye, it's all like, oh, not this beloved Phasma dying, please, no. I was so attached to her. The whole escape by the first... uh, first, Whatever, the rebellion in the Empire. The (laughs) (laughs) rebellion... Leia wakes up, the whole standoff, they're shooting at each other... The whole, like, scene and, oh, I like him. Like, it's just... We we talked about it before. It's just such a stupid storyline. And again, I feel like we're not talking about fuel. This is just the most ridiculous (laughs) storyline that this is a thing. They're running out of fuel. Like, I can forgive to an extent this whole new thing about hyperspace being tracked because, okay, fair enough. Like, it's sort of explained. Fair enough. But, like, you can't all of a sudden add this new thing about fuel being a thing. Like, all you need is a throwaway line at some point in this trilogy that 30 years after the fall of the Empire, you know, one thing that we've struggled in this new world, this new galaxy, is that our our fuel reserves in the galaxy have been depleted. So we're having to conserve Uh them slightly more. Like, bring that in. You can do your whole, oh, we're tying that into real-world events. Like, with global warming, we're going to run out of fossil fuels. Like, just, I don't know. Add a line in. That's all you need to do. Somehow explain why all of a sudden, after 10 films, we're worried about fucking fuel. Because <laughs> Naboo, when you're flying away from the blockade and you're going to tattoo into the outer rim to replace your hyperdrive generator, th- that's your only problem. That's a long distance. Empire Strikes Back, we talked about how long does it take to get from Hoth to, <laughs> to Cloud City, from Dagobah to Cloud City. We've established that, but they didn't have a fuel problem, did they? Like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this makes me so mad that this is a thing. Fuel is not a problem. And then in Solo, what did they make this into? Fuel! Stop it, Disney! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop it, Mickey Mouse. Calm down. Put the fuel down. Um, anyway, um, all that crap over and done with. The the, <laughs> the Kylo, uh, Snoke, Ray stuff. Yeah, look, this is some of the, again, I'm constantly saying the best stuff in this movie comes down. Oh, actually, hang on. Before I do that, sorry. I should the Holdo hyperspeed thing. Sorry. Um, yeah, brilliant. Uh, I remember watching that in the movies. Just not a, 
a pin a pin could drop and there was like just dead silence the way that was it's an epic scene arguably one of the best in the movie I agree with you with the plot hole. I think it is. And the other plot hole, I think, too, I watched a really good sort of... I think it was like there's a Star Wars Explained YouTube channel. It might have been from them. There's some good ones on YouTube where they sort of go into a lot better uh, (laughs) details than us when it comes to, you know, pointing out plot holes. I think there's also a thing with this now that if they've discovered this as a genuine battle manoeuvre now, the, the rebellion that mm-hmm. should this not be used now by everyone in the future, like get a droid, yeah. build or build a self-flying ship, this is purely an actual weaponized thing. You can use hyperspace as weaponized now. So, like, this should be a thing in Star Wars lore. Like, it's like when you discover the, the atom bomb, you know, the US dropped that on. Like, it's not like all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, well, that was nice. We used it twice. Well, we'll never use that again. Cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had a whole Cold War, people. Like, that lasted for like 40 years or however long it was after that. So, to me, this is now a pure weapon thing. They have to use this more often in the future because they've discovered this great, great maneuver. But to, not to take away from it, it is fantastic. It is such a great visually looking thing. And, Going into a lot of what you're saying and what we're saying in this episode, you know, Ryan Johnson does do some good things. He does have some good ideas. It's just the execution of a majority of them is not good. This fight, yeah, the Kylo Ren, Ray, this kind of falls into my point before. I'll sort of say the negative here that, like, it is, it feels very rushed to me that you could have taken some of the Luke stuff out, I don't know, and then just kind of had this drawn out more because, again, the comparison has to be Return of the Jedi with the whole tension building with the Emperor and Luke and all of that. Like, that just builds up so much, whereas this, it's kind of a great speech by Snoke, and then all of a sudden it's just, boom, he's dead, and let's get into a battle. Like, it just feels rushed mm-hmm. if you have to look at a negative for me. I'm one of the people who is still very annoyed by the Snoke stuff, more so than the Ray's parents, because okay, if you're going to have him as kind of just like a nothing character or whatever it is and you don't really need a backstory. But again, my point before, like, this guy's old. This guy, where was he in the original trilogy? It's not like this is like a young guy who says in one... Again, you just need a throwaway line. Like, you know, oh, I was one of these people on a planet who saw the Empire fall and that made me mad. So I discovered the Force and went out of my way Mm. to try... You know, like, that's all you... You've you've explained that with Kylo Ren. You've explained it with him. You understand why he's evil, to a point. Uh, But you've at least attempted to. Whereas Snoke, you know nothing. And again, Rise of Skywalker, as you said, the Emperor might mention something. I like your theory. That would be fine. We we might be complaining about all this for nothing. All the fans have been complaining for two years. And then this is all going to be rectified, hopefully. But again, watching this, when I saw him die, like, yeah, it's an absolute shock moment. Don't get me wrong. But like, it's, it's similar to what I said before with Ray's parents. I'm thinking like, that's it? Like, what? Like, I just, mm-hmm. it's just one of those moments where you're like, hang on a minute, what? And yeah, that's to me what I, annoys me. Um, having said that though, come on, he's not really dead. I mean, Darth Maul got chopped in half. Palpatine <laughs> um, yeah. fell down a shaft. They're not dead. <laughs> Never take a death seriously in Star Wars. Um, the, but this is what I really like about this sequence too, is sort of, this is a part where it's kind of like, you think Kylo's turned good. Like, wow, cool. This is a cool little twist. And then after the battle, when they do have this little standoff and it's sort of, you know, the whole join me, you know, join me. And then they quickly go back to being against each other, even though Kylo Ren sort of helps her escape. So yeah, like layers to Kylo Ren is great. I think Daisy Ridley's fantastic in this whole sequence here. 
Um, and mm. a lot of it is without talking. Like a lot of her facial acting and sort of her responses to things that are going on. Like when she's, as you said, being held up and sort of, I like the bit when she reaches for the lightsaber and sort of it does a boomerang. Although I could probably use it without her hitting in the head. Um, like needless <laughs> <Yeah>. comedy. <laughs> like you just go it straight back to Snoke. You don't need it hitting her in the head. Um, but the, the, the fight with the, the guards is great. Uh, I, visually, it looks fantastic. I, I'm with you. I love the bit where kind of he just stabs him in the head. There is a couple of videos on YouTube where, like, I think they're choreography people who actually break down the fight. And as great as it is, there are many mistakes. So there's actually, um, I can't even remember what point of the fight it is, but there's actually a guard. If you pay attention to them, like they are just like, they could have easily just stabbed both of them in the back. Like they're in such a good position, but they're literally standing there. And clearly you can see they're almost like counting the choreography that they've been trained for in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So like, it's actually, if you, there's a breakdown video of it, it's actually kind of funny when it, you, you can't miss it, but I, I don't want to take away from it because, you know, as, as you said, it kind of shows the physicality of, of Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver. And it's actually, it's a great sequence and, probably the best fight we've got in the movie maybe um but yeah again it's just it's just there's some good stuff in this film that just feels it could have been better it there's a lot being shoved into this movie uh that that could have worked if they just had slowed it down a little bit and also the, the visual look of this bit when they're talking and in the background you've kind of got these flames falling in the background you see it sort of like raining fire like that's really cool uh, and Hux, yeah, I love it when like Hux is getting choked. And just Hux is Hux is just pure comedy at this point now. Like you can't yeah. take Hux seriously at all from this point. But I still love the man. Hux is great. Uh, just two more things I want to touch on. That you know, I thought about was the um, the Force Awakens. How much criticism that movie got for Kylo Ren having a bit of a struggle against both Rey and Finn in the fight scenes, which I had sort of said last week in The Force Awakens that I think a lot of that was him sort of delaying their deaths. Let me just, you know, prolong this a little bit. Let me let me make them suffer. But also the fact that he was hurt and his mind wasn't right there. Mm. It's completely plausible because as much criticism as Last Jedi gets, why does nobody bring up the fact that they have a very much a struggle in a fight scene here with guards who are not force trained, who are just guys with weapons, not even lightsabers? And this doesn't get the same criticism, but it really, it, I think it just shows that, you know, if you know how to fight, you know how to fight. The force gives you a bit of an advantage, but somebody could still hold their own in a fight against you. Uh, the second thing being my initial reaction with the whole Finn and Rose story, which at this point is pretty much over, is that it was completely useless. And you even said it, like, none of it had to happen. And, okay, so a lot of people are going to defend this and say, well, what about the Raiders of the Lost Ark thing? You know, that, that, uh, that whole thing that the entire story of the Raiders of the Lost Ark, nothing changes if Indiana Jones is not there. The, the story plays out exactly the same with him. He doesn't accomplish anything in the movie. But there's a difference. That was a story that was being told from the point of view of Indiana Jones. Without Indiana Jones, the audience does not experience that story from start to finish. You need to have somebody present at all those events, and the only way somebody's present is for him to be there. From the point that... Finn and Rose leave on their mission to the casino planet until they get back here when they crash land through the doors in the mine. None of that had to happen in the movie. They didn't accomplish anything. Nobody in the movie really knew they were gone for the most part. (laughs) And what they did do on this ship 
was simply be there to observe what was going to happen anyways. But they don't observe what's happening in the story. They have a side adventure that none of the other characters ever know about, that none of the other characters need to know about, that even their enemies don't know about. They're completely on their own. So I think it's totally different than the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that's why it really doesn't work because you walk away from it feeling like I just wasted – let's say even just 25% of the movie watching something that had no purpose and that didn't even amount to anything in the end. It's And this is the longest Star Wars movie ever, you know? And you could easily cut this and nothing of the story is affected. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, moving on. So they've all hid out in this mine somewhere behind these giant barricaded doors just as the doors are closing on this uh, salt planet. <laughs> Uh, we, we see the ice dogs for the first time and Finn and Rose's ship crash through the doors the last minute. Everybody opens fire. Leia's shooting, Poe's shooting, uh, Billy Lord's shooting, the big nose woman is shooting. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're like, wait, 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 it's us. And they stop and pose like, uh, Finn, Rose, where's my joy? <laughs> yeah, BB-8 coming out and he gets more excited for BB-8 than anybody else. Um, I still really like Poe, even though I think the storyline is stupid. I love... Oscar Isaac brought something to this movie that I don't think that they could have gotten from anybody else. They needed a character that was somewhat fun to watch. Because I don't think as funny as John Boyega is and as entertaining as he is as an actor, his storyline sucks so bad. And even he's not having fun in it. Poe, even in this like desperate moment, is still having a bit of fun. And I think that's what I liked about Oscar Isaac in this movie. He's definitely the most improved character in these two movies. Um, but the, as they're barricaded behind the doors they put this distress call out to all their resistance allies they're saying let's see who's willing to answer it and then in the distance they see a battering ram cannon now the fact that they need finn to explain this i think is just trying to continue to justify finn's presence in the story when you're on the star destroyer it makes sense because he's like okay you gotta wear your hat like this all right be careful okay go around this corner he knows all that stuff but for him to be like, it's a Batarang cam, and they're like, what? What's that? Like, they wouldn't know what this is? Like, this is some new... This is the most advanced tech they've ever seen? And it's kind of in the and title, Battering Ram. It's kind of yeah, like... Yeah, exactly. If, if they oh, see what? a Star Destroyer, and they go, oh my god, it just blew up a star. We didn't know it could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize these names were literal. Yeah, like, wow, that, <laughs> that changes everything. Quick, get away from that star! <laughs> But, you know, you also said something interesting back there that I had never thought about, which was, is this now the, the Haldo move? Is that just going to become a maneuver that makes it very easy to win a battle? They just saw this happen. Why doesn't the First Order say, I'm going to take one of you meaningless stormtroopers. They don't even need a big ship. This is a small mine. I want you to take a small TIE fighter or something like that, go within 10 feet of this door and then hit your hyperdrive. Mm -hmm. one TIE fighter takes them out with this move. Yep. But they're too dumb to realize that. So it does pose a problem. We have this great moment that suddenly doesn't become a thing. Uh, but uh, with the battering cannon in the distance, they need to go out and destroy this thing. So they're all in these little beaten up ships, which is a cool design. Like Giving credit to Ryan Johnson, he gave us some unique designs, some unique ships here. Like Everything Ryan Johnson did visually feels like a George Lucas move. I think he brought one touch that J.J. Abrams was lacking. The fact that this planet, it just it's laid out like Hoth. you got a small base inside these rocks or snow or ice in the case of Hoth. The consoles all look the same. Uh, you have a trench. You have this white substance on the ground. Then you realize it's salt. 
but there's the red underneath. Um, but the way that these ships actually have to have the stabilizer, so you see it kicking up that red dust is really cool. I remember seeing that shot in the trailer and being like, whoa, something looks interesting in a space battle. <laughs> um, but the fact that these ships could do anything, like I don't understand. I don't know if these ships have blasters that could take anything out. Like they're going up against this battering ram cannon, but then there's TIE fighters everywhere, but they don't even seem capable of shooting the TIE fighters with it. Still, it looks cool, though. Jamie, she she only started watching close to the end here and was falling asleep several times throughout this, telling me, this movie's so boring. Uh, but she brought up another very interesting issue. These are open cockpits. Now, there's enough of a windshield that it's like driving a convertible. But this dust and salt is kicking up everywhere. She's like, why wouldn't all these people just be, like, grasping their eyes saying, oh, the salt, the salt, I can't see anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a very good point. Like, they're kicking salt up everywhere. There's explosions, and nothing's happening. And, and during the midst of this battle, you know, Ray comes to the rescue. The Millennium Falcon appears. I love that moment. I love that we get, you know, the classic uh, music from the, the, the TIE fighter escape from the Death Star. The da 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 Ray on the can and saying, I like this. <laughs> a little, again, a little too jovial in this, this moment of despair. Uh, but the, the Porg on, <laughs> the, the, the Porg window. on the controls, and then Chewie just swats it off. <laughs> um, but the, the, the part where the Millennium Falcon just goes through the core of the planet, like, it gives us a little bit of an idea that this is a real mine, but we already saw the Millennium Falcon driving through some type of internal structure with the Star Destroyer in the first one. I just feel like this is, it's too much of a carbon copy of that, um, Finn flying as as they're like break off the attack. We you know we're not going to make it. And Finn's like, no, this is our one shot. And you get Poe's. This is Poe's first of two moments where his story arc's complete. Where he's like, no, it's a suicide mission. You can't do this. Now this is one time where Poe should be willing to sacrifice himself. Hall, he just watched Haldo sacrifice himself. And if you could take out this battery round cannon by driving one ship into it, and he knows Finn's about to do this, why doesn't he say, Finn, break off the attack? I'll do it. Because Finn's plan does make sense. You fly this through the sender, you break the weapon. Now, they're still coming after you, but they're not going to get through the doors. But he's like, no, Finn, don't do it. It's a suicide mission. And then Rose has to come to the rescue in something that defies physics because she is way behind him. Everybody has turned back. Finn is flying directly into this thing that is heated because you see the heat on the door of their the rebel shelter. It is heating it up. You see... Finn's ship breaking apart, you see him sweating bullets in an open cockpit, and his skin is not being burned. And at the last minute, Rose makes this miraculous rescue, even though these ships all travel at the exact same speed, she somehow was able to go five times the speed of sound, knock him out of the way, both of their ships get blasted apart, crash lands, and then we get a moment that I really loved all the way up until I really hated it, like everything Ryan Johnson does in this movie where <laughs> she says to or he uh, says to her it's like what they're so stupid and she says i saved you you dummy which i really like the way she played this again it's not fangirling it's not annoying just her that line i saved you you dummy and then she says you know uh that's what we're supposed to do and then she says not fight what we hate but save what we love <laughs> <laughs> that's it real reaction like, it is so <laughs> sorry i can't help it <laughs> 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 
<laughs> is this the worst? Like, I'm sorry. I will listen to people talk about sand for 20 minutes. I will talk about people who can tell Luke. Is that who you can tell? I could, like, everything in Star Wars. I Teeth not being able to fill them. This is the worst dial. This might be the worst scene in all of Star Wars. I'm calling it right now. I've liked it better. Because I envision this as I saved you, dummy, and then she passes out. I would have liked that as an ending. It's the whole not fighting what we hate but saving what we love. Like, why are they having this conversation right now? And they've known each other for less than 24 hours, I think. The door door that they're trying to stop, which she's fucking cost them because she's stupid, has just blown up in the background. All their friends are about to die and she's still going in for a kiss. Now, exactly. (laughs) You're an idiot. This is why she is such a bad character. She's annoying. She's stupid. She costs them this. It's just dumb. What if Luke doesn't show up here? Then they're fucked. All because of stupid Rose. That goes back to what I'm going to say. Not necessarily stupid Rose, but stupid Poe, that he's not going along with this plan saying somebody needs to do this. But I do get what you're saying. Like, it's... It doesn't help them in any way. Saving what you love. I mean, you've saved one person and you're all going to die now. Like there does come a point where you have like it's like Ryan Johnson had a message you want in this movie where it's like no life is worth sacrificing. Well, that goes against the fact that these movies are called Star Wars. OK, <laughs> a war is about sacrifice, you know, and I think he missed the boat on that. Uh, but anyways, down to more logic being thrown out the window. These ships have been flying in one direction. Now, they are not going in circles. They are flying in one direction for at least five minutes, going at as fast as any car can go at the very least. And Finn drags Rose's body back there in about two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) While the battle's still going on, does not make any sense. He gets inside. They're doomed. All is lost. Um... And they realize no, they've received our call. All of our allies, they receive the call, but nobody's responding. They're like, "There's no one coming." That I kind of like that this this moment of our resistance is done. Nobody's willing to come to our aid. But I think they needed to spend more time on the fact that the first order has nobody coming to their aid as well. Mm. Like these two sides are going to wipe each other out and then make it about who's going to rule the galaxy. There will be no order. Everybody else is just going to fall into a lawless society unless one side wins. And then it's not about we need to run. It's about we need to fight. But this becomes we need to run (laughs) and still leave nobody to rule the galaxy. Now, if they start the rise of Skywalker and it is suddenly become a thing where the First Order is taken over, when we know at this point here that the only people left in the First Order are on the surface of this planet, which is a handful of people, that's the most implausible thing now that's ever happened in Star Wars. But anyways, all is lost. There's no way out of here. Um, C-3PO even says, you know, we, we scanned and there's, there's no, uh, release outside of this door. And I, I ask another question here. They are looking out at the battlefield through a window. And why is the first order trying to blast this door apart with a battering ram cannon? Go in <laughs> with a hammer, knock out that window that they're staring at you from and walk in. There's no other way in or out but this door as they stare out a glass window. <laughs> so dude, That's a good so point. Um, I, I do love, though, um, uh, the, the moment here where 
Luke appears, just the, the way that it's played with the music slowly building. And if I had to pick one favorite music cue from this whole trilogy so far, it would be this one where the music's like dun, 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 dun. And like Luke just appearing in shadow. And nobody says anything. Everybody just sort of stands up and looks. And then Leia says, like, just Luke. And he sits down next to her. And again, more problems being posed here. A lot of physical contact for a guy who's just projecting himself across the galaxy. You might say, well, they established earlier on that Kylo Ren and uh, Rey could physically touch, even though they were across the galaxy. Okay, maybe. He hands her the dice. Let's just remember that a little bit later. After he's dead, he hands her the dice. But this scene, Ryan Johnson really got this right. Like, it's just like the introduction of Han and Leia. Like, we talked about in The Force Awakens. Did they need something bigger? Or like, somehow it's actually perfect with them just saying, you change your hair. New jacket? No. Old jacket. <laughs> uh, or old jacket, no new jacket or whatever. But when he just sits down next to her and she says, I know what you're going to say. I changed my hair. And he goes, it looks good that way. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> nice little conversation. But then they get into the serious where he, he says, you know, I came here to face him, Leia. You know, I, I can't save him. And she says, I thought for the longest time that, you know, there was hope. But I know my son's gone. This is why I think it is so important that this trilogy is not about Kylo Ren turning back. But it's about the fact that, like, some people aren't redeemed. Or maybe that's Kylo Ren's destiny. He needs to be that balance on the dark side. Even though the idea of balance on the dark side also doesn't make sense. I'm sure we'll discuss this in Rise of Skywalker. Uh but he goes out there, and when he passes by 3PO after handing her the dice that should not exist, 3PO just says, Master Luke. And then Luke just gives him this wink, and I'm like, I love more, than, more than the moment with R2, more than the moment with Leia. That's yeah. the moment where I almost got choked up. You know? yeah. And I don't know why. But I it's just, that. it's so simple. Like, just, just Master Luke, and he just winks. And then that music, like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It's like the, a Western, like this this Western hero, this gunslayer going out into the middle of the desert, facing down everybody. And he mentioned earlier on, I'm not going to go out with a laser sword and face down the whole First Order. The way that Kylo Ren responds to this was like, everybody stop firing. And then he just turns and he's like, I want every gun to fire on that man right now. And even Hux is like, what? He goes, every single gun right now. And you have all the guns blasting Luke. Now, this is where I'm going to... A lot of people have said they think that Luke should have physically been here. Ryan Johnson said it's not supposed to be that way. I, I, I kind of like it with the way it is here because I think it presents a nice surprise, but there's a much better way to do this scene. I'll play it all out after I wrap this up here. Luke all of a sudden emerges after all these blasts have destroyed. We got the red sand being thrown everywhere, the salt being thrown everywhere, and then all the dust settles and Luke's still standing there and he just wipe some dust off his shoulder, but he doesn't because <laughs> he's not there, people. But still, I remember just like like cheering at that moment in the theater and like applauding and like everybody else was doing the same thing. And I mean, that's the Luke hero moment I really wanted, whether he's there or not. Uh, and then, you know, Kylo Ren coming down to meet him face to face. And he says, you know, you, what do you hear so that I can forgive you or, or so you can forgive me? And are, are you here to save my soul? And he just, he just says, no. <laughs> and then on the inside of the base... You know, they're saying, we got to go help him. No, wait. And Poe's like, he's doing this for a reason. And it's like, he's stalling so that we can escape. But there's no escape. Wait, what do you not hear? Those stupid ice dogs. <laughs> <laughs> like, they just look stupid. They look like Pokemon. They, try, they do, yeah. And they tried to do this practically. And in the end, they decided maybe that there's some behind-the-scenes footage of 
them dressing real dogs in like these ice costumes, which I think look kind of cool, but there's something just way too CGI looking about these things. Uh, I don't know. Do something else. You don't need to hear the animals at this moment. You could just say, well, where did all those animals go? But they, they came up with this weird ice dog thing or crystal dogs or whatever. And they're like, wait, there's an, if they got out, then we can get out. And they're like, but there's no escape route. But then how did Luke get in? Good question. <laughs> I guess that's going to be mentioned later on. Mm. Um, has has his, his only moment here where he gets told to shut up, uh, where he says, but the odds of there being another escape road is approximately 15,428. And then he's like, shut up, 3PO. And then he actually finishes his thought. He's like, to one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when Poe's like, let's go. And then nobody's leaving. And then Leia has that moment saying, don't look at me. Follow yeah. him. You know, I love that. Because it does complete Poe's story arc. The only successful story arc that was handled poorly, but I think still at least ended right. Um the Kylo Ren Luke fight begins as you know they've got the lightsabers drawn and and Luke says something like you know I failed you which goes back to the whole Obi Wan thing probably one of the few connecting things to the prequels where Obi Wan said to Anakin I failed you uh, and he tries to cut him down Luke just ducks backwards every time he tries to hit him Luke's moving around there's a brief shot where Luke's foot very obviously moves across the surface and the sand isn't disturbed or the the salt isn't disturbed which i didn't catch on first viewing i know my brother as soon as it ended he said the second they showed that i'm like oh he's not actually there i don't did you catch that the first time around i didn't i think some people it depends on how close you're paying attention or how checked out you are from the story that you're just (laughs) able to pick up all the things um luke apologizes him says i'm sorry uh they uh, have this last Jedi, the, the line here uh, comes out where Kylo Ren says, you know, I'll be the one who wiped out the rebellion and killed the last Jedi. And then Luke goes back to the, the every word you just said was wrong, uh, which I love that. Like Mark Hamill had so many disagreements that the, the documentary that's on the Blu-ray is actually called The Director and the Jedi. And... There are multiple times in that documentary where Mark Hamill or Ryan Johnson talk about the fact that they completely disagreed on this. And Mark Hamill said, but it's my job to do your vision right, and I'm going to trust that your vision's right in the end. Now, Mark Hamill never believed in this, but he gives a performance like he 100% believes in this. And it works better than any anybody else's performance in this movie. Um, when he says, you know, the, the thing that was wrong with this, I won't be the last Jedi. Uh, as they reach the back of the cave... They realize the dogs have a way out, but it's too slim for anybody to escape. Ray lands the Falcon. She has her whole force power thing here and moves the rocks. Brilliant moment. Her her moment like Luke trying to lift the um, X-Wing, you know, and Empire Strikes Back, but she accomplishes it here. And then Kylo Ren storms at Luke, chops him in half, but he doesn't because Luke's not actually there. He's just a mental projection of himself. And then Luke just says, see you around, kid, <laughs> just disappears, which is great. We get maybe the most beautiful death scene in any Star Wars movie. And I was so divided in this. Like, I, I was 100% with Luke, even through some of the, the poor choice in this story. And then when I realized this is the moment he's going to die, like, I didn't feel right about it. Like, I'm, I'm like, I wish that this didn't happen. But it's handled so well where you see him sort of meditating in the air and then he just collapses. And this goes back to the whole thing about... You know, uh, when Kylo Ren said to Rey the first time she appeared in the projection to him, he says, you couldn't be doing this to yourself. It would kill you. Um, And then you realize this has killed Luke in order to pull this off. 
and he's collapsed and he's looking at the sun. The fact that it's 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 a callback to like the sunset scene in A New Hope. Mm-hmm. He's just standing there and his robe collapses and he disappears. Uh, only the third Jedi to ever actually do that. And Luke's gone and uh, the Falcon's getting away. Uh, Kylo Ren and the few remaining stormtroopers in the First Order go inside the shelter. He picks up the dice from the Millennium Falcon that have still maintained a physical form it's after Luke is dead and then vanish in his hands. Yeah. Uh, and then we have what could have been the perfect ending on the Falcon where the only remaining resistance people are all there and they talk about, you know, uh, you know, the rebellion is reborn today. And uh, um, we have a ridiculous moment where Poe and Ray meet each other for the first time. Hi, I'm Poe. I'm Ray. And that's like the last line in the movie, essentially. Like, I don't know why that's there uh, to to say, well, these characters have never met before. So have a lot of other characters that apparently know each other. We don't need that. Uh, We see the Rose is unconscious because there's no way that a Star Wars Disney movie could end without one unconscious character at the end of it. It was Finn the first time. Now it's Ray. And Leia has her speech about, you know, uh, Luke gave us a chance, you know, for he chose peace and purpose or whatever. And now we have a chance to live. And you have this great shot of everybody just sort of talking to each other. You always have that final closing shot, the pose of the the characters. And that would have been the best way to end it. But instead, we cut back. (laughs) (laughs) And we get Broom Boy and a couple of the kids telling story in an alien language. Luke Skywalker, blah, 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 playing with their little toys. And then, hey, you kids, get out of here. Broom Boy, you see, uses the force. To call the broom to him, he sweeps up and he looks up at the stars. Sees, I don't know if it's supposed to be the Millennium Falcon or some other ship going to hyperspace. And he just sort of raises his broom in the air. <laughs> and oh, then God. the end of the movie. Um, I'll let you cover all this before I go through it. I think would have been the better ending for this movie. But uh, what an awful last shot. Like I, 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 I still was applauding with the rest of the audience when this ended. Even though I immediately turned and said, there's a lot of crap in this movie. But, like, that last scene, it was just... I knew the second it happened, like, this is all wrong. Look, we did a movie at some point where we wanted to do it in less than 60 minutes, and we did it well. I'm just going to make us panic here and say that if we don't finish this recap in 15 minutes, we have to make it two parts, and I'm not making The Last Jedi two parts, so I'm going to do this fucking quickly, and we're going to do this, Colin. It's going to be the greatest achievement we've ever done on Survivor Oz, Oz, Oz Network. We're going to close this off in 15 minutes. The... One thing I'll quickly say about them going to Salt Planet, um, why is this only discovered like five minutes later and Holdo's Planet? Just adds to the ridiculousness of it and just, they should have just gone there in the first place. Why not? Cool. Visually, it looks great. I think like, I love the red sand. <laughs> I'll keep saying sand. Same as you. It's coarse enough and irritating. Salt, look, it looks great. Um, and cool. Ha, huh? let's use the old rebellion ships because movie. Um, the battle sequence, yeah, like, why does the First Order land so far away? This is the Rogue One argument. Like, fucking land next to the door, guys. Like, then you yeah. just, you don't have to take an hour to walk so slowly. Um, how does Finn know how to fly this thing? He's not a pilot. He I couldn't know. Fly, he couldn't fly a TIE fighter before. So, and this was only yesterday. Um, great. I said the Rose sequence is just the dumbest thing in all of Star Wars. It is stupid. It is annoying. And it would have been almost a cool Finn story arc, like going mountain high. Like, you know, Poe. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Stupid. Um, How do they drag him back? Like, as you said, how do they drag Rose back when all those cannons are firing at Luke as well? Um, 
the the one thing I'll say about the Luke stuff, again, on the how it should have ended, there's this really epic moment where they actually are being serious and like, this is how it should have ended. Have real Luke and Ray standing there as all those things are firing at them. And then you see them. They've all held the la- the the laser shots like in The Force mm-hmm. Awakens. And then they just turn it and start firing it against them. Like, that would have been epic. We would have been talking about that as one of the best moments in all of Star Wars had they done that. I do, actually, I really like the the moment when they're on the ship and Hux basically repeats exactly what Kylo Ren says. When it's like, you know, move forward and shoot them all. And then, like, yeah. <laughs> Hux repeats it and they kind of just say, look at Hux. Um, yeah, the... I love the Luke 3PO wink. Um, I did not notice that foot thing. I didn't realize Luke had died at that moment. It's kind of like, um, remember the end of the Matrix when Neo, it's not, to me, it's not really clear that Neo dies at the end of the Matrix, uh, revolutions. To me, it was kind of like that. I was kind of like, is he dead? Like, it just, it didn't really (laughs) click. But, I, I do love the sunset. Like, I agree with you. There was that great image I think the official Star Wars account shared at one point where they're like, like, like Luke's entire life is bookended by sunsets and sunrises because mm-hmm. you've got the, the baby in Revenge of the Sith, his first moment in New Hope, and then this moment. So, um, the ice dogs are stupid. They look like Pokemon. Um, <laughs> Ray flying through the porgs are great. Again, she just happens to show up and, you know, timing, whatever. We get a woo from Finn. Uh, <laughs> Um, Should be go 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 woo! <laughs> I don't know how I feel about Ray with all the rocks because again, I mean, she, we've barely even touched the fact that she had like what twelve hours of training, and now all of a sudden she's even better than she already naturally was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, the 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 bit on the Millennium Falcon at the ends, yeah, they should have ended there. We've got the Jedi books in the drawer, cool. Um, and also I do like the Kylo sort of stare down with uh, Ray before they fly off. Um, and then we've got the second dumbest scene in all of Star Wars. They end with broom kids. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, it's just dumb. It's so dumb. Just end it previously. You don't. And again, if, what if broom kid doesn't show up in Rise of Skywalker? Now you kind of have to have him or something, I feel, because what is this at the end of Rise of Skywalker? They've closed it all off, but broom kids missing. Is he going to be in the new Ryan Johnson <laughs> trilogy or whatever it is? It's all about broom kids and <sighs> anyway, <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, um, okay, so quickly, my theory on how this should have ended. Uh, I mentioned in the Return of the Jedi episode that the original script before Lawrence Kasdan did the rewrite, George Lucas's original script for Return of the Jedi, had that moment where the Emperor was electrocuting Luke, that you saw flashes of Yoda and Obi-Wan's Force ghosts kind of blocking it and holding it back, just like giving mm-hmm. Luke just that little bit of extra time. And I always thought, like, that would be such a great way to do this. And when I saw that thing about all the blasts coming at him, I just imagine imagine Luke actually physically being there. And you don't re- – like, Kylo Ren doesn't realize what stopped those blasts. But as the dust is settling, or maybe you get a couple of blue flashes from Luke's perspective. And as the dust is settling, you just see, like, the dissipating ghosts of both Yoda and Obi-Wan. You get an Obi-Wan cameo in there, and you realize, okay, Luke had some help with that. Kylo Ren comes down. They do the scene the exact same way. Luke doesn't want to fight him. Luke just keeps avoiding the shots. The Ray thing with moving the rocks is a great moment if she didn't have a more impressive moment earlier on. And during the fight scene with Kylo Ren, where they're both battling over the lightsaber, the lightsaber's levitated in the air, and you actually see like this ripple effect of the force as they're both pulling on it so hard that it basically blows them apart. That's a more powerful thing than levitating rocks. So when she levitates the rocks, it's not impressive. So hold off on the lightsaber moment in that fight. 
just have the fight end the way it normally did without that. Have Ray's moment be the levitating the rocks, and then end the Kylo Ren Luke thing with Luke like unwilling to actually strike him down, but them fighting over the lightsaber. So Luke's just f- finishing his speech. You know, you, the, the the one thing you're wrong about. I won't be the last Jedi. As they're basically on the verge of death because they're using Force powers so strong to hold this lightsaber back or battle between it that they break apart. Now Ryan Johnson said that. His idea of Luke was that Luke had rejected being the legend because he didn't feel he was worthy to live up to it. And that this movie was about him embracing himself as a symbol of hope uh, or a spark of hope spark or whatever. Of hope. <laughs> yeah. um, but nobody knows that. And that's what Ryan Johnson thought this ending accomplished. Nobody sees what Luke did. Half the people on that base who escaped the Millennium Falcon don't know who Luke is. The only people who even realize Luke is gone are Ray and Leia because they sense it. So all these people are like, who is that old man, and why aren't we going back to get him? <laughs> this needed to be the Millennium Falcon floating through the air, ready to leave. Luke has just been blown apart by Kylo Ren. And then as they're like, let's go back and get him, Luke says, no, I'm going to sacrifice myself the same way Obi-Wan did. Everybody witnesses it. Now Luke is that symbol of hope. The, the, the Jedi live because people have seen him. He isn't just this legend where people told stories about him. They've witnessed it themselves. That's the ending this movie needed. You could have him be physically there, not have the physical fight, and accomplish what Ryan Johnson wanted to accomplish, and get a cool Yoda and Obi-Wan thing in there. That's my ending. That's what I would rather have. That's what I like to envision when I watch this. I, I think that would work. That would work. I, I would I would agree with that. Um, seven Let's minutes. remake cool. this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So quickly wrap this up. Go. We're not even going to go into all the reviews, but this movie got 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is ridiculous. And I often say, like, Metacritic is a little bit better of a, a gauge of what they give because Rotten Tomatoes just simply was it a positive or negative it could have been mildly positive like our this is a loose rent or it's a it's a low buy but this is 85% on Metacritic but the big controversy when this movie came out was that the audience response did not match the critics and the media ate this up as if there's got to be some reason for this. this must be Russian bots I'm sure that contributed and a lot of people brought up you know similar things happen with a lot of the Marvel movies where you know, uh, or Rotten Tomatoes is just barrage with all these fake reviews before the movie comes out, just trying to destroy it. Now, I don't think this is anything outside of it. But we talked about Batman versus Superman. The audience response did not match the critic response, and nobody brought that up. This honestly, to me, just feels like unless it's a Disney movie, we're not going to acknowledge the fact that there are trolls on the internet who will ride down a review. But in this case, it was a real response. Audiences did not like this movie. I know very few people. I know a lot of people who said I liked it. Very few people who said I love the movie. Most people say it's definitely a weak Star Wars movie, but I still liked it for a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Academy Awards, it got a couple of nominations. Didn't win any of them. Uh, lost visual effects to Blade Runner 2049. Lost original score to The Shape of Water. Uh, lost sound, I think, to Dunkirk or something like that. Uh, plot keywords we've already discovered in Star Wars. It's a big letdown. There's no sense in even getting through that. I think the, I think the key office. one, this one, was shit. Um, and <laughs> and yeah. I want to see if you can find a plot keyword while I'm running through this that has to do with can't feeling your teeth. We're reading that and we're doing it next year. Um, <laughs> box office, still open strong. Not as strong as Force Awakens, but it's $220 million domestic opening. Uh, was number one for like three weeks. But then the strangest thing happened that this opened a week after, I think, Jumanji or a week before Jumanji. And then after about three weeks of this riding at the top and still making a ton of money, Jumanji just started beating it week after week after week. So when you look at the overall year-end box office, 
it's interesting. Last Jedi, $620 million worldwide, or, or uh, yeah, worldwide, $1.3 million worldwide, sorry. Beauty and the Beast, just behind it, $1.2 billion. Fate of the Furious, just behind it, $1.2 oh. billion. Uh, Despicable Me 3, $1 billion, and Jumanji, $962 million. Domestically, uh, Last Jedi, number one, $517 million, only $13 million behind it, Beauty and the Beast. So, yes, wow. this movie was huge, but in comparison, Beauty and the Beast, which we covered earlier this year, a terrible movie that rode literally just on nostalgia and promotion, $13 million less than this domestically. Wonder Woman Disney, just behind that. Disney did okay that year. Uh. <laughs> yeah, because they also had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. They shared in <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming, number five. Also, It, Thor Ragnarok, Despicable Me 3, Logan, Fate of the Furious. Uh, that's just within the calendar year. I hate how Box Office Mojo has uh, actually um, uh, changed this year. Uh, so if you look at overall for all movies released... Uh, Jumanji actually ends up number four with $400 million. So Jumanji stole a lot of thunder after this came out. Um, not really much else to talk about other than to rate this. I, I don't know when we originally did this. I, I'm pretty sure all three of us we both bo- rented. Uh, rented. Yeah. Rented. Okay. I don't remember. Like, and I, I would expect to buy this movie, you know, when I first saw it, but I rented it and I would expect seeing so many more problems now and not really even be able to watch it in one shot that I would just want to bin this now, but I'm still going to go with a rent just because there's enough stuff in here I like, and I think there's a better movie that we didn't get, but the things I like, I still like, and it still is Star Wars, but this is a rent for me, and it is last on my list when we're going to do the rankings. Yeah, I think we're... Fuck. I I want to do the same as you, but I don't know if I can. Like, I just feel I need to bin this. Like, I just... Fuck it, I'm binning it. I'm binning a Star Wars oh. movie. Uh, I, I have to. Like, I just, I, there's so much in this that's bad. And I think that I'm with you, though. Like, there is definitely a good movie in here and the stuff that worked. Um, this is not the worst movie we've ever covered on this show. Um, but I just, I, uh, I just, I have to. I just, I really have to bin it. I have to take one for the team. I'll be that guy. Uh, but it's still Star Wars. I'll still watch this. You know, I'll still watch Moonraker when I watch all the James Bond movies. Like, you still watch them. But, um, no, I have to bin it. I'm sorry. We're going to be coming back next week. Normally, we just wrap up the, you know, entire series and give a fitting conclusion. But none of us care after doing The Last Jedi. So, <laughs> kind of remember our rankings. Like, that's, we, we need a week off to be able to, I need to go back and yeah. do a play-by-play to find out because we changed a few things up from the last time we did rankings of Star Wars, I think. Plus, I'm pretty sure that we are both set on what our bottom is uh, <laughs> yeah, after absolutely. this one. A new hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Better not be. But um, we'll be back next week to do a full preview of Rise of Skywalker covering all that's happened since um, <laughs> since the trailer came out, which really I think is going to be more our wrap-up of the series before Rise of Skywalker, and we'll kind of go through our rankings and everything then, but that's what we're excited about for next week. Um, really not much else to talk about here. We kept this under five hours. I'm proud of ourselves. Let's quickly wrap up. we got left. We've got 30 seconds or something. What? Something like that. Quick wrap. Okay, okay, okay. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, leave us a five-star review. Just don't leave us a one-star review. But if you do, change it back to a five-star review later on. Thank you, whoever did that. (laughs) We'll be back next week for the Rise of Skywalker preview episode. This has been The Last Jedi. My name is The Colin, and I can't feel my teeth. (laughs) And my name is Ben, and see you later, Chrome Dome. Thank you for listening to The Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.